Sophie Hardy and the Changeling Hybrid by Emma Dale. Narrated by Leona Hall. Prologue. Six weeks ago, the day of the return. Desmeralda had lived in Zatvor for a decade. Every day she had pressed the button to alert Jane and done everything she had been told to, but she had never come back. Within hours of her arriving in what was supposed to have been a temporary holding cell, all the guards had simply disappeared and Esmeralda had come to realise that she was on her own. Not long after realising nobody was coming, she had broken out of her cell and started to mingle with the other inmates. There were monstrosities from all walks of what Earth had become. Ogres, mermaids, sirens. Over time, she had become friends with a small group, an imp called Lynx, a Monociello, a short human-looking creature that dressed like a monk named Eberon and Anastomy, another human-type creature that appeared to Desmeralda to be completely mute as it had no mouth and completely incapable of making a sound called Gangene. Another group member was an odd-looking alien named Calix, who had said he was from another planet and that he had been separated from his wife, much like Desmeralda had been split from her son. For years, Desmeralda listened to Calix talk about his beloved wife, but as the years passed, he became less and less lucid and his stories seemed to make less and less sense as the madness he was being driven into became more and more apparent. Spending the amount of time they had been locked up was enough to drive even the sanest of people mad. As the years went by, Desmeralda and Calix drifted apart as he grew wearier yet more maniacal in his behaviour. Also, Every time she spoke to him, her visions of Kingsley became clearer and she could sense even more changeling inside her. Since then, Desmeralda had given up fighting the urges. She tried to send Kingsley telepathic messages every day, but they didn't appear to get through. She saw him looking distressed when he got them and she had seen him get into trouble at school because he was so distracted, but Desmeralda couldn't help herself. She simply had to let her son know that his mum was coming for him. She didn't feel cross at Jane. There must have been a reason for her departure, along with the rest of the agents, but she just wanted to know why. Why had she been left all this time? Why wasn't she allowed to see her son? How could she explain the fact that she had missed him growing up? She just wanted answers. For years, the only powers that she had had were the ability to see and try to communicate telepathically with Kingsley, but recently... Over about the last four weeks, she had felt herself hovering off the floor for a fraction of a second longer than she should be able to and was starting to feel an immense force in her fingertips that she couldn't account for. As the last few weeks had gone on, she had been finding it harder and harder to resist the urge to channel the energies that now appeared within her. It had come to the fore only yesterday when she had been talking to one of the sirens who had annoyed her so much by telling her that she would never see her son again. The power in her hands had gotten the better of her and, as she pointed her finger at her, a bolt of blue had flashed out her finger and the siren had disappeared right before her eyes. The power faded almost as soon as it had started and if Desmeralda had learnt one thing over the last ten years, it was to not draw attention to yourself while you were in Zapfor. So, she just acted like nothing had happened but the incident, understandably, played on her mind. She had learnt from some of the fights that she had seen and crossed words that had been exchanged that if she told anyone about it, that it wouldn't work out well for her. Not only that, but when the blue energy had reached its peak, memories flooded into her head that she knew nothing about and couldn't explain, 
things that had happened to her in Zapfor that she simply couldn't remember happening. As the energy died down, though, the memories faded and were soon lost, again, as if they never happened. On this, what turned out to be her final day in Zapfor, Desmerelda had been sitting around the main floor of the prison, now keeping even further out of the way of the creatures she had come to know and be wary of, when she noticed three young girls, all wearing purple jumpers and black trousers, trying to discreetly make their way across the Zapfor floor. It must have been the changeling that was now inside of her that helped her to spy on them, using the unnatural sense of locating children that she knew changelings had. They stood out even more because Desmerelda thought she knew of every inmate in Zapfor and that if there had been three human schoolgirls in there, she would have known about them and they could only have been babies when Zapfor was seemingly locked down and the inmates abandoned. She watched them as they made their way across the floor where they were stopped by one of the Encantados, a creature well known for freaking all the inmates out, even the more dangerous ones. Desmerelda shuffled to try and get a view of their faces, but she couldn't see them. They had been walking away from her, but Desmerelda watched what they were doing with interest. Seconds later, and the girls had simply breezed past the Encantado and were about to disappear when a shout flew up from the back of the prison. Suddenly, every set of eyes was on the girls, who had opened a door that Desmerelda had never seen before, just to the left of the monumental main entrance and exit that every creature inside had at some point tried to open, but failed. The three dived in and pulled the door shut. A barrage of creatures bounded to the door and started banging on it. Desmerelda hung back. She studied the situation more carefully than the wild animals that she had lived with all this time. The tingle in her fingers grew ever stronger than it had previously. Her feet lifted her off the floor and she ended up hovering a good twenty feet above it. She gazed around at the carnage. Every single living thing in the prison was bombarding the door. Her old friends, the imp, the monociello and the astomy among them. The only one that wasn't was Calix, who remained at the top of the first set of stairs and was watching on in awe. Without a second thought about how she was doing it, Desmerelda flew herself over to the main exit. The flying just seemed to come naturally to her. The visions of Kingsley were becoming clearer. She knew where he was. She closed her eyes and took a deep breath. Memories again resurfaced and Desmerelda was faced with a million things to do. She had to get to Kingsley, but she had to do something else first. What was it? She continued to try and concentrate, but just couldn't quite figure it out. When she opened her eyes again, the main exit was open, and out she and every other creature she had known in her time there flew. Immediately, she knew what she had to do, and where she had to go. Chapter 1. Kingsley Six Weeks Kingsley Roan had never known his parents and had been passed around foster families since he was a baby. He was now on his tenth and he was only ten himself. Some had lasted longer than others. Two years was the longest with Pearl and Brian, but they couldn't handle Kingsley and his behaviour any longer. He would come home after school, where he had been made to stay in at break by whichever teacher he had had at the time and get so incredibly cross that he would simply throw everything around Pearl and Brian's house. Nobody understood him. Nobody else could hear the voices that Kingsley could. For what felt like every second of the decade he had been on the planet, voices had echoed around his head, haunting him. 
What the voices were saying was indecipherable, but he could make out a woman's voice. Sometimes he would try to listen to them and that made it easier, but when he was sat in lessons and all he wanted to do was concentrate, the voices drove him mad and distracted him so much that teachers just assumed he was naughty and so punished him accordingly. Kingsley was sick of being chastised. He longed to be one of the good children and to call someone his friend, but it just wasn't happening. Every time he got close enough to someone to call them a friend, he would hear the voices again, stop talking to the person and they would then think he was weird. It wasn't his fault. He had tried to talk to people about it, but he assumed that social workers thought he was mad and his foster parents just moved him on to the next ones because they couldn't cope with adopting a boy with such concentration issues. He longed for a friend and to be accepted. The family he was with at the minute were struggling with him. He had just started year six at yet another new school and had punched another boy whom he couldn't even remember the name of. His parents had been summoned to the head teacher's office. Kingsley had sat there trying to listen to what the head teacher was saying, but the voices wouldn't let him. They talked over the head teacher, almost like they didn't want him to hear what she was telling him. He again tried to make out what they were saying. It was just chatter. He closed his eyes to hear it better. Open your eyes when the head is talking to you, bellowed his mother. You're lucky to have this opportunity, the father shouted. Kingsley felt his body temperature rocket and the voices sounded like they were laughing at him. Was this what they wanted? To get him into trouble? That was the last thing Kingsley wanted. Are you even listening? The head teacher questioned. Kingsley clenched his fists and slammed them down on the desk. Just leave me alone! He screamed. He vaguely remembered being taken back to the car. The voices were completely overpowering now. They had been bad before this particular Friday, yet now they were more pronounced than ever before. They were getting clearer. Kingsley was in a complete trance, like he was stuck between the real world and the world of the voices. He recalled these parents strapping him in the car as he was physically incapable of doing it himself due to him having to cover his ears, but nothing of the drive home. Arriving back at his parents' house, he was plonked on the settee in the living room. Father turned on the TV as Kingsley had told him last week that it had helped him calm down. What sounded like the news for children was on. There was something about the blackout that Kingsley had heard about the other day. Internet implants malfunctioning and some girl called Sophie, but that was so far away from Kingsley's mind. The voices were almost clear now. They were saying one word, but Kingsley couldn't quite make it out. Mother had put the microwave on and was cooking. The whirring from it distracted him as did father putting knives and forks onto the kitchen table. Kingsley covered his ears with his hands and concentrated harder than ever before. He could almost touch the words. He lay down with his head on a cushion as the whirring in the microwave stopped. Father walked into the kitchen and closed the door. This was as close to silence as Kingsley was going to get. He took a deep breath and switched off everything else but the voices. At that moment, they stopped for a split second and Kingsley heard the word that they were saying. Now! Kingsley let out a cry in pain and anguish like his head was about to explode and stood up to try and run away from it. Mother and father came running into the room at the sound of the shriek of terror. Before they could get near him, the wall of the house was ripped away and dust and rubble were thrown everywhere in a mighty explosion. Kingsley was shaken, but now though, the voices had stopped and he was coughing having swallowed debris from the blast. 
Looking down at his hands, he saw blue balls of what appeared to be gas swirling around his palms. He clenched his fists and the balls grew smaller. Opening his hands made them larger. What was happening to him? Realising he hadn't looked for mother or father to see if they were okay, Kingsley felt liberated and free to finally see the world for what it was. Sounds he had never heard before entered his head and sensations that were previously unfelt rushed into his body. Scanning the room with newly found eyesight, he saw mother and father standing in front of the bright September sunset, which now shone through what had been the living room wall. Beyond them, in the garden, was a figure. Or was it two? They, or it, were just silhouettes at the moment as dust parted and the sun shone from behind. A blue ball like Kingsley had on his palm appeared in the hands of one of the shadows. Or was it both? Kingsley really couldn't tell. He looked over at this version of mother and father and realised he didn't even know their names. The figure behind them threw blue balls of gas at them. They turned to look at Kingsley as if he could be of some sort of help, but as soon as they caught his weakened gaze, they disappeared right in front of his eyes. The figure, or figures, became crystal clear. There was now only one, a woman wearing a long, green, hooded cloak and she had a fresh pair of blue gas balls in her palms. Kingsley saw that she was trying to smile, but the green skin, protruding nose and warts that covered her face made her seem more frightening than Kingsley thought she could be. She held out a hand to him and he felt compelled to accept it. This woman needed help and so did he, so he went to take it. He walked over to the rubble that covered the living room floor and held out his hand. As he did so, the woman fell to the ground and her green skin transformed into a dark complexion. Being able to be helpful to someone else for the first time in his life, Kingsley helped the woman rise to her feet. Having regained control of her body but lost her original scary look, the woman stood up and smiled again at Kingsley. Without needing to think twice about it, Kingsley gripped her hand tightly and they ran off into the evening. Last week. Kingsley and his mum had lived together since she had taken him back from the foster family that had been looking after him that week. She loved him. He loved her. Kingsley was especially delighted because the voices had mostly stopped and he was happy with where he was for the first time that he could remember, simply because he had his mum. They hadn't managed to find anywhere to live permanently, partly because Desmerelda had found it difficult to explain away how she had been missing for the last ten years and now appeared to have the power of a changeling flowing through her and partly because of the green-hooded creatures that had started seemingly hunting for them since his mother had rescued him. They had come at least five times now and each time they had wanted a hybrid to go with them. Neither Kingsley nor Desmerelda had a clue what they had been talking about, but they looked and sounded dangerous, so the pair of them had fought them and somehow managed to make them disappear. Because of this, Desmerelda had decided to keep her new powers to herself out of public view, and Kingsley, who understood more and more the powers of his own, until she could get a grip on them. However, she was finding it a lot harder to explain away the ten years she had been missing. Employers wanted to know. The stories she had dreamt up, travelling, living abroad, volunteer work, all didn't fit with the fact that she had a child and they started to smell a rat. She had managed to get some work waitressing and serving in a pub, but none had lasted. However, it had paid for food and shelter. Right at that moment, though, Desmerelda and Kingsley were homeless and jobless. 
seeing the man that Kingsley was becoming upset and began to anger her greatly. For ten years, she had missed out on all the love, affection and life that almost all of the mothers got to both give and receive. Hers had been taken away from her by Zapfor and Jane that never came back, and the resentment Desmeralda held towards her was growing the more she realised she had missed out on life with Kingsley. While she had been in Zapfor, she hadn't felt the loss, but now, faced with her son ten years later, it stung hard. Yet Kingsley was still extremely well-mannered and had the desire to help people. He had told her that, since the voices had gone, he still had a temper inside him, but he wanted to fit in and help, and she couldn't ask for more than that. As she contemplated this, sat in a crummy fast-food restaurant, watching Kingsley stuff his face with whatever they could lay their hands on, she started to wonder if maybe she should have left Kingsley where he was. What if they were the foster parents that would make a difference and help him deal with the voices? Maybe they could give him more than what she could. No real home and barely any money to get by on. She looked at her boy and a tear ran down her cheek. I've missed so much, she murmured to herself. Kingsley didn't hear her. He was too engrossed in the chips he was packing into his mouth, enjoying the freedom of thinking without the distraction that had plagued him previously. As she looked at him again, a snippet of memory ran through her head from her time in Zapvor, a warning from a friend. Something was coming, something that Desmeralda needed to prepare for. But what was it? Some kind of threat. But she couldn't remember, try as she might, and the memory subsided again. Her concentration on the matter faltered as, finishing his chips, Kingsley pulled out the tablet that his mum had managed to get second-hand from a charity shop. They could be picked up for pittance since the arrival of the internet implant and started streaming videos. Desmeralda paid very little attention to what he was watching until she noticed a girl wearing a lilac school uniform that looked very familiar to her. She leant over Kingsley's shoulder. The girl sat in a large red chair and had a creepy-looking man leaning over her, talking to her. The girl seemed to be on some kind of stage with hundreds of other children looking at her. "'Who's that?' she asked Kingsley, intrigued. "'Don't you know who that is?' Kingsley replied. "'Remember, I've been away for a long time. Be nice to your old mum,' she replied, blagging her way through another white lie. "'That's Sophie Hardy,' Kingsley explained. "'She's so unlucky, one of only three children on the planet to be given an implant, but hers didn't work.' Desmeralda thought to herself as she studied the girl more closely. It was. It was the same shade of purple uniform she had seen in Zatvor the night of the breakout. Who are the other two? She probed further. The boy sat there is Reuben Houghton. Kingsley pointed at a boy who stood with a giant of a man just to the right of the Sophie girl. And Yasmin Aritti. Kingsley then pointed at another girl on the stage that seemed to be staring at the crowd, not looking at anything in particular. Desmeralda thought she recognised that girl as the girl who spoke to the Encantado. Why are you watching it? Wait to see what happens. Yasmin and Reuben already have their implants. Watch what happens to Sophie. Studying the video very closely, Desmeralda watched as Sophie put on what looked like a headset and fell to the floor. Looking even more intently, Desmeralda saw chaos ensue. People were running all over the place, but it was one figure that caught her attention more than the others. There she was, hurtling onto the stage to cede to the stricken child. The face she would remember forever as the one that left her in the hellish prison. The face of the woman that stole her child's childhood from her. Who's that? she asked Kingsley, pointing at the woman with dark skin and short curly hair, which was greying at the temples.
Don't know. Their teacher, I'm guessing? The tingle returned to Desmerelda's fingers and darkness came over her as she stroked Kingsley's head. The memory that kept leaping into her mind since the Zatvol breakout reappeared. Where is this? she asked. Before Kingsley could answer, a figure with a green hood walked into the restaurant and instantly summoned blue energy into its palms. Desmerelda saw it and so did Kingsley. Putting his tablet down, Kingsley stood on the chair and Desmerelda got out of the booth. Both pairs of hands turned blue, the memory faded once more and the battle to protect this unknown hybrid began yet again. Chapter 2. Bored and a bit confused. Fed up at having to try and remember how to spell portmanteau for this week's spelling test and wondering when she would ever use it in a piece of writing, Sophie Hardy was bored. Six long weeks had passed since she had allowed the many prisoners held at Zatvor to escape to save one of her best friends, Katie. There had been warnings of impending doom being brought upon the earth, carnage to rival what it used to be like, demons being resurrected from the underworld, aliens hell-bent on destroying the earth as it was, obliteration of entire cities and life-changing beyond all recognition. But there was nothing. None of that had happened. Life had just gone back to how it was before, living in the high-rise flat in the poor part of Pinkleton Village with her mum, Amelia, dad, Tom, and one-year-old sister, Lizzie. It wasn't that Sophie wanted any of this supposed destruction to happen. She had just assumed that life would be different to how it had been before the events of late August and early September, but now, in mid-October, nothing had even come close to happening. So, as Sophie stared out of the classroom window, chewing the end of her pen, she saw nothing but the browning trees around the field and the calmness of a world that was completely unremarkable. Sophie needed some excitement. Are you listening, Hardy? Mrs Phoenix, the rather rotund straw-head supply teacher, barked at her. No, not really, Sophie mumbled to herself. Pardon? Mrs Phoenix replied. I said, yes, miss, Sophie retorted patronisingly. Mrs Phoenix had taken over the class, much to Mrs Tabard's dismay, after Miss Sissons had left the school due to what she'd coined the return. She had to devote her time to Manning's scope in case something dramatic ever did happen and also had to supply every child that was entering Year 7 this year with their internet implant. She also needed to put protocols in place should anything happen to her because she was now the only person that knew how Shadow was run so measures had to be put in to prevent a disaster. So she was, by all accounts, rushed off her feet. The girls heard from her occasionally but most of the time she was silent, busy maintaining cover of what humankind saw as the world's largest tech company. Number 10. Government. Mrs Phoenix said in a tone that grated on Sophie. Sophie wrote the word quickly and glanced over at Yasmin, who was sitting opposite her. Yasmin had been voted on to the school council for this year, following a very impressive speech she had given a few weeks ago when the elections had taken place. Sophie didn't catch Yasmin's eye, but smiled at the green badge that was pinned to her school uniform. There was no stopping her at the minute. Everything she touched seemed to be turning out brilliantly, and Sophie was delighted for her, as she knew it was something that Yasmin had always wanted, but never had the confidence to do before. On top of that, she was fast becoming the fashion icon of the school, with some new shoes and a new shorter hairstyle, which was being copied by girls and some boys throughout the school. Yasmin also loved training at Scope. She and Sophie had taken to it like ducks to water and every evening, and most weekends, 
the pair of them would log in and access the vast array of training programmes in Scope's library. Yasmin was missing her dad, though, as she'd hardly seen him in the last six weeks due to some new job he'd been offered. Again, she didn't know exactly what he was doing, but he must be important, as he was always away on business. Number 11. Isosceles. Again, Sophie wrote the word, but was getting even more frustrated. This wasn't difficult anymore. Spellings were easy. She leant her head on her left hand and gazed out of the window again so that Mrs Phoenix couldn't see her face. This meant she could log into her implant undetected. There had been strict rules imposed on Sophie and Clara since their parents had gotten used to them having one. Not logging into them during school time was at the top of the list. Yasmin's mum and dad, when they had been there, on the other hand, were a lot more relaxed about it, giving Yasmin a lot more freedom, but they still frowned upon it being used at school. Realising she wouldn't get caught, Sophie typed out a quick message to Clara and Yasmin. Training tonight, it read. Sophie knew what the responses were going to be before they even came back. Yasmin would go and they would have a great time, but Clara wouldn't. Out of the three girls, Clara had been behaving the weirdest over the last six weeks. Before the return, Clara had been loud, confident, brash and seen by many as a bit of a leader but now she was quiet and kept herself to herself. She had even stopped hanging out with Sophie and Yasmin outside of school, preferring instead to hang around with her dads. Sophie and Yasmin caught her in scope doing some training occasionally, but not as much as they would have liked, and very rarely working alongside them. They had asked Miss Sissons, but she just smiled and told them that she would be all right in time as she'd been through a lot in the nightmare programme that hadn't affected her until a few days after when the shock of it hit. She wouldn't elaborate any more than that, but the girls took her at her word. Number 13. Parliament, Mrs Phoenix said in an attempt to sound authoritative. 13, Sophie thought to herself. What happened to 12? She must have been logged in and typing while Mrs Phoenix had said it. Miss, can you say number 12 again? Sophie asked pleasantly. No, I said it twice. I won't repeat them. The power was going to Mrs Phoenix's head. Sophie thought for a second and decided that getting 19 instead of 20 for once wouldn't do any harm and so carried on. Just then, the red light flashed in the corner of her eye. Sophie tilted her head back towards the window and read the message. It quite simply read, not me. The sender, as Sophie had predicted, was Clara. Number 14. Temperature. No problem with that one, Sophie thought to herself and eagerly wrote the word in the back of her grammar book. Her concentration wandered again. Her gaze was caught by the sight of the empty chair that sat next to Yasmin's. It was where Katie had spent the first few days of the school year, but it had sat empty for the past six weeks or so. Nobody had seen anything of Katie or her mum since the girls had placed her in the car outside of Zatvor. Miss Sissons had looked for them, but had no luck. The car had arrived back at Scope after it had dropped Katie off, and Tasha's implant had shown that Katie had arrived home. However... Not long after her implant had been switched off and neither of them were anywhere to be found. The three girls had gone to Katie's house to find her but had come back with a huge blank. There were no perception filters around it like the bin and Clara's so Katie's whereabouts were completely unknown but Miss Sissons had assured them that she was looking into it. Number 15. Q. Sophie missed her friend, as did Yasmin and Clara. They all felt responsible for her going missing after what had happened at Zatvor. It was the main reason Sophie wanted to get started with cleaning up the mythicals, but hadn't been given the opportunity yet. 
Why was it taking so long? Another red dot flashed in her eye line. She logged in. The message read, I will, but after tea. Sophie knew she could count on Yasmin. Also, doing it after tea meant that she could put Lizzie to bed again, as Amelia had been feeling a bit unwell lately, and tell her a few more of her training stories, whilst Amelia thought she was reading Lizzie a much more traditional bedtime story. Despite the three of them being best friends, Sophie felt happier about having someone to talk to that wasn't Clara or Yasmin. No, Lizzie couldn't talk properly yet, and it was very much a one-way conversation, but just talking about everything out loud made her feel so much better and more real. Sophie found it amazing how attentive Lizzie was during these stories, but she eventually managed to get her off to sleep. What was hard on Sophie, though, was that Lizzie kept waking at almost exactly the same time every night and demanding to eat something, which then Sophie had to oblige with, while Amelia slept in an attempt to feel better. Number 16. Frequently. Before Sophie could put pen to paper, the classroom door was flung open and in walked Mrs Tabard, completely forgetting to knock. She had a piece of scrap paper in her hand and proceeded to read from it. You have a new boy starting tomorrow. Please make sure you have everything ready for him. He's moving here from out of town. He did come for a look round yesterday, but you were out doing PE, Mrs Griffin. It's Phoenix, Mrs Phoenix replied. No, his name's Kings Road or something, not Phoenix, Mrs Tabard snapped back, not seeing the error of her ways. Mrs Tabard was still a bit disappointed that the school had chosen to hire a supply teacher rather than let her carry on in year six, and she hadn't seen eye to eye with Mrs Phoenix since she started because of it. Nobody was entirely sure if her getting Mrs Phoenix's name wrong was on purpose or a genuine oversight by Mrs Tabard. OK, thank you, Mrs Tabard. I shall seat him over there next to Sophie, Clara and Yasmin. Nobody has sat in that seat since I started and I think it's the one spare spot I have left in the room, Mrs Phoenix said. Sophie glared at her. She had no idea that one of the bravest girls in the universe had sat there just days before she'd begun teaching the class. Clara and Yasmin were also giving Mrs Phoenix evil eyes, but she seemed completely oblivious to it all and carried on with her test. She's got no idea, Clara whispered very softly, but determinedly to Sophie. Chewing her tongue to not say anything she shouldn't, Sophie agreed wholeheartedly with Clara, as did Yasmin. Girls, I hope you're listening and not chatting over there, Mrs Phoenix barked again. The three of them looked at each other and seemed resigned to the mundanity and unfairness that they found themselves in. Katie was gone and she seemingly wasn't coming back. This random supply teacher, whom none of the children particularly liked or got on with, didn't know what was potentially coming for the world. Nobody did, but the three of them had to keep quiet or they would either be laughed at for being ridiculous or start a worldwide panic on the off chance that they were believed. Number 17. Embarrassment Sophie remembered that Miss Sissons had taught her to remember the middle part of that word as really red and super sweaty, so she had no trouble spelling that one. This afforded Sophie the time for another gaze out of the window. On her way to school that morning, she had seen numerous adults glued to their implants. They weren't concentrating on anything except their social media or funny videos they'd found. No wonder people were ignorant of the terror that was supposedly coming. They never turned off and looked at life outside of their screens. Sophie wanted to shake some of them and tell them to wake up and look at the world, but who was going to listen to a ten-year-old? As she sat there doing her spelling test, Sophie realised why people were zoning out so much. 
Life was dull outside of their screens, and so they used their implants to escape the boring reality. All these adults had lived through times of demons and danger, but now they were becoming complacent and accepting life rather than living it. The children, who hadn't lived through those times and couldn't appreciate the escapism that the adults needed, saw the world differently. Sophie needed some excitement. This living in the real world just wasn't enough anymore. Sophie completed the final three words in her test and ended up with 19. Normally she got 20 every week, but, as she thought earlier, it wasn't like getting 19 was the start of the end of the world. Chapter 3. That Evening Sophie fought the numbness for the rest of the day and when the class was sent home, she waited for Clara and Yasmin so that the trio could walk home together. They were the last out of the class as usual because Yasmin took forever to get her things together and by the time she had everything she needed, everyone else had left. They made their way out of the back of the classroom, round onto the playground and down the drive to the main exit without exchanging a word between them. As they exited the school gate, something caught Sophie's attention. It was a lady on the other side of the street with a green hood covering her face. She was just there staring at the three of them. Gradually, she raised her arm and pointed at them. Sophie could have sworn that the lady's arm flickered blue for a second, but she quickly dismissed it. The lady lowered her arm, but continued to stare at the three girls. The fuss about Sophie fainting when her implant was put in had died down almost completely. Some of the younger children at school still asked Sophie questions about it, and some of the local villagers still looked at her as if to say, you were famous, weren't you? But it was a lot less common than it had been. The world was of course still unaware that the implant worked and she got the odd stare but this was different. The woman simply didn't take her eyes off the three of them as they began the procession of walking home. Yasmin and Clara seemed completely unaware of her and it wasn't until Sophie tapped them both on the shoulder and spoke discreetly that the other two cottoned on. Another fan for you, Soph. It's been a while since we've seen one, Clara replied with an eye roll. Let's walk a bit quicker, Yasmin suggested. Sophie didn't argue with her and increased her pace. Turning around to see if she was still there, Sophie saw that the lady had stopped staring and was now walking away in the opposite direction. Weird. I thought you being famous was all done with, Clara said, now that she could see they were out of earshot of the woman. Hmm, replied Sophie, and she tried to put it to the back of her mind. Changing tact completely. Training tonight then? Yasmin asked more enthusiastically, remembering Sophie's message from earlier. Definitely, Sophie said. About seven? Then I can put Lizzie to bed and make tea. Why are you doing your own cooking? Yasmin asked. Mum hasn't been feeling up to it the last few days, so I've been helping her out. Lizzie has been up demanding bottles at about midnight every night just lately, Sophie replied. No training for me. I've got something on, Clara interjected, and she spoke like she didn't want the conversation to continue. Yeah, you said in your message earlier. What is it? Yasmin asked, intrigued. You've been acting odd lately. Just family stuff, Clara replied innocently, still desperately trying to bring the conversation to a conclusion. Anything I need to know? I am your cousin, and therefore family, Sophie asked, not wanting to get the hint that Clara was trying to make. Nothing you can help with. I need to do this with just me and my dad's, Clara concluded, and she walked off slightly faster than the others so that neither of them could ask her any more. Sophie was a bit baffled. For years, she and Clara had shared everything. Secrets, friends, toys. It was most unusual for Clara to keep anything from her. But as Sophie had learned through the last 12 weeks, 
Clara did have secrets that Sophie knew nothing about, and it appeared that there were even more. Arriving at Clara's house, the girl said goodbye to her and arranged to meet up on a walk to school the following morning. In the six weeks following her rescue, Clara's house had been restored from the mess it had become after the time dilator incident. Her dads had started to question whether they had gone to New York, as no photos or anything existed, but they had the memories of it. Sophie and Clara had laughed discreetly whenever they had tried to make the story fit. As a result of this, both of Clara's dads decided to go implant-free for a few weeks to make sure they weren't going completely crazy. To give themselves a rest, they said, as they would spend half-term, which was next week, with Clara and no implants, then put them back in. Sophie had admired them from afar and wished other adults would do the same, if only to see a little more of the world around them. Clara ran up the driveway and Sophie's uncle Matthew opened the door, gave Clara a huge hug and closed the door behind her, but not before he'd given Sophie and Yasmin a wave. After about ten more minutes, Sophie and Yasmin arrived at Sophie's flat. The pair gave each other a shrug, implying, see you later, and Sophie scurried off upstairs. Arriving at her front door on the twelfth floor, Sophie took off her bag and coat, flung them onto the bedroom and slouched down on the settee. Mum was lying on it, not doing a lot. She was zoned out while Lizzie was in her playpen in the corner. She had stood herself up as Sophie walked in. Sophie! Lizzie shouted, and she tried to walk to the edge of the playpen but fell over some of her toys on the way. Sophie smiled a huge smile and picked her sister up. Amelia zoned back in to see what her youngest daughter was shouting about. Glancing at her mum, Sophie could see that she didn't look great and her speech seemed a little slurred. Oh, it's you, Soph, Amelia shrugged, seemingly not overly pleased or excited to see her eldest daughter home from school. I wondered what she was shouting at. Good day at school. Was all right, Sophie mumbled. Not a lot happened. This was fast becoming her go-to answer to that question. No wonder Amelia seemed to be growing tired of hearing it. Never seems to. Now that that Miss Sissons is gone, Amelia sighed. I wonder what happened to her. Sophie just smiled to herself at this and mouthed, I know, to Lizzie, who was now standing up on Sophie's knees, still shouting, Soapy! Soapy! Amelia was about to zone back out again when Sophie asked, Dad home yet? No, dear, he's working late at the factory tonight, so it's just the three of us, Amelia replied as she got herself comfortable again on the settee, now that she could see there was nothing interesting going on. Sophie silently mouthed the celebratory yes, which Lizzie laughed at. That meant Dad wouldn't be disturbing her during her training. While she used to love listening to her dad's stories, Sophie now wanted to be living them and not just hearing about them. She loved her dad enormously, but she would rather spend time with her friends at the minute because they were just having a more exciting time. It wasn't anything personal. Are you OK to cook and put Lizzie to bed again? I've got something important on later and I'm trying to sort it, Amelia asked only half looking at Sophie, and all but zoned out already. Sophie smiled and nodded. While she did enjoy doing both those things, she couldn't help but wonder what exactly her mum was doing that meant she couldn't do them. Has Lizzie been fed? Sophie asked. No, would you mind, dear? Thanks. And at that, Amelia zoned back out again. Sophie took Lizzie to get her pyjamas on and then went to put tea on. Mum had never been a great cook, but it was something that Sophie was picking up quite quickly through reading recipe books. Once Lizzie was in her baby grow, Sophie took her back into the living room and played with her while Amelia stayed on the settee. 
About an hour later, Sophie put Lizzie back in her playpen and got the tea started. She then started to wonder again why Amelia couldn't do this. What was so important online that she couldn't prepare her own daughter's tea? Having cooked, served and devoured her tea at the speed of light in anticipation of another evening of battling mythicals, albeit still not the real ones Sophie was waiting for, Sophie picked up Lizzie and made for her bedroom. Thanks, Soph, Amelia shouted from the settee in the living room, still reluctant to get up from whatever it was she was doing. No worries, Mum. I'll tell her a good story as well, Sophie replied with an air of fake sincerity because she wanted nothing more than to be left alone. Thanks, dear. And then make sure you get your homework done. What's it you've got tonight? Research, Sophie inadvertently lied because she couldn't remember the real homework that she'd been set. Amelia finally looked up from her chair at her daughter. Research again? That's all you've had since that new teacher took over. I'd have thought in year six you would get more stuff than that. Something a bit more challenging. Sophie knew she shouldn't lie to her mum, but this was more important than school and Amelia was busy sorting out other things. The fate of the world could be on the line. Homework was easy. It paled into insignificance compared to the threats to life that Sophie would be facing. Any time soon, the world is going to need me, she kept telling herself and she was now completely over the 19 out of 20 on her spellings and had just written it off as a blip. As Amelia once again went back to whatever it was she was doing, Sophie and Lizzie scurried off into Lizzie's bedroom. Placing her gently in her cot, Sophie reached over and took a random book off the shelf, just in case Mum walked in. She began to tell Lizzie about how boring school had been that day and how a strange lady was staring at Clara, Yasmin and her when they'd left school at the end of the day. I think I'm going to try and defeat an orc in scope tonight, she then said to her sister. Lizzie just smiled a tired smile, yawned and lay in the cot with her cuddly giraffe. They aren't very bright, but they're amazing with axes and other weapons. I'll need to make sure my combat training file is up to date, Sophie said excitedly. Miss Sissons had continued to upgrade their implants avatars throughout the last six weeks, installing apps such as cameras, enhanced split screen and a host of other accessories. The girls could simply sit in their bedrooms at home and get projected wherever it was they needed to be. Hard light had been a godsend as it allowed the girls to have these add-ons. Other people on the planet with implants could only see a projected image of what was there, not have a version of themselves appear in that place. If Sophie wanted to, she could sit there in Lizzie's bedroom, log into her implant and project her avatar into the kitchen and finish off the washing up and Amelia would be none the wiser. Sophie, Clara and Yasmin had thought about it for a while and decided that their avatars should always wear the same colour as the Pinkleton school uniform, lilac. It was a way of honouring the fact that the founding members of Scope had all come from the same school Black trousers were also chosen, but the school logo had been removed to avoid any mythicals recognising it and working out where they were from. They hadn't been a problem yet, though, as the only place the girls had projected themselves was into the Scope HQ. Yasmin had suggested that the three of them could actually stay off school for the day and simply project themselves there and nobody would notice. Miss Sissons, however had quickly dismissed this idea as irresponsible and the girls agreed that it should only be done in an emergency. Noticing that Lizzie had dropped off, Sophie kissed her baby sister and pulled the bedroom door so it was almost closed, having flicked on her nightlight before she left. She then stuck her head around the living room door to say to her mum that she was off to do her homework. 
but she need not have bothered because Amelia was still zoned out, completely oblivious to everything around her. Excitement fizzed through Sophie's body. School was over and playtime could begin. As Sophie went to lie down on her bed and zone out, she caught sight of the actual homework that she had to do, a reading comprehension, again. I can do it before school in the morning, she said quietly to herself. I know I can read, and it isn't like I'm not going to do it. And with that thought of self-reassurance, Sophie put her pyjamas on, lay down on her bed, and zoned out. Chapter 4. Shut down for the night. In the blink of an eye, Sophie was transported to the corridor in scope, although the world still knew it as shadow, where the playground door could be found. It was where she always met Yasmin and Clara when she could be bothered, before training. A million other possible scenarios had run through her mind about what they might train on tonight since she'd made the fleeting decision to battle orcs. Flying Pegasus into battle with Chimera, sailing a ship into the mouth of the Kraken, answering the riddles of the Sphinx correctly. Out of all the possible ones available to her, Sophie's favourite was still the Minotaur. That first time when Clara threw both her and Yasmin into that maze, nothing could match that feeling. Nothing else in a training programme anyway. After pondering it for a few more moments, Sophie decided that she now definitely didn't want to fight an orc like she'd told Lizzie. She was going to do battle with Hydra, the many-headed water monster from Greek mythology. 200 feet tall and with at least six dragon heads, all of which would be out to snap her in half, Sophie was tingling at the idea of going to war with it. She racked her brains for what Miss Sissons or her dad had told her about it and realised that there were a few things she simply had to remember to defeat it. The sword of fire, she said to herself, as her anticipation grew, and wrap a cloth around my face to protect me from the poisonous gas. Many other things flashed through her mind, but those were the main two that she knew she had to remember. Sophie felt that with her dad's stories, Miss Sisson's teaching and her own reading, she would know what to do against any creature on earth. Sophie reached forward and started to try and type on the keypad that was located at head height for an adult to the left of the door. No lights came on like they normally did. Baffled, she tried again, but still no lights. After a third attempt, Sophie stepped back from the keypad and kicked the door in frustration. Why wasn't it working? It had never broken before. Annoyed, she typed out a message to Miss Sissons and Yasmin. Why isn't the playground letting me go in? Almost instantaneously, a message came back from Yasmin. Sorry, Soph, come up to the control room. Miss Sissons wants to talk to us. Sophie tutted and zoned into the control room. It was the room where they found Miss Sissons clinging onto the levers for dear life when Katie had broken into Zatvor and was trying to release everything. Computer screens lined the walls, but there was nothing on them. The room was spread over four levels and each one was more of a huge platform than a floor. Miss Sissons and Yasmin were on the top one, which also played host to the chairs and meeting area that the agents of Shadow must have used in those years gone by. Sophie imagined what it must have been like when Shadow agents were plenty and villainous mythicals roamed the earth. It must have been a hive of activity, tracking all sorts of creatures on the screens and messages being passed to and fro between agents. What a sight it must have been. For now, though, it was deathly silent. A shadow... Sophie laughed to herself at the clever wordplay of what it used to be. Making her way up the stairs, Sophie wondered why she didn't just zone in at the top, but she seemed to enjoy the walk. She found Miss Sissons, Yasmin, and to her surprise, Clara, all sat around talking. 
No screens were on. It was just the three of them. Hi, Soph, Miss Sisson said with a smile on her face. Hey, Sophie, Yasmin chimed in. Clara didn't say anything. She just turned to acknowledge Sophie and smiled a rather forced smile at her. Why aren't we training? Sophie asked, rather than say hello to everyone. It wasn't that she was annoyed at not being able to train. She was more aggrieved than anything else that after a monotonous day at school, she would have this taken away from her. Night off, Soph, Miss Sissons replied. You've done nothing but train for six weeks straight, and that's not counting the amount of time you've used the time dilators to make it longer. Crikey, you'll be turning 16 in brain years soon if you don't slow down. But I enjoy, Sophie began to appeal. Not tonight, Sophie, Miss Sissons said more firmly, and Sophie knew not to argue back when she used that tone in her full name. Reluctantly, and seeing that her argument wasn't going to hold, Sophie pulled up a chair and joined the conversation. I got the final batch of internet implants sent out to the secondary schools today, so I thought we all deserved a night off. Not long until we'll be preparing for next year's batch, Miss Sisson said, pouring herself a drink. How are you drinking? asked Yasmin. Are you here? Not just zoned in? Sort of. I've made a few alterations. Sophie was already bamboozled by this response, but Miss Sissons continued before Sophie could think about it any more. I've been half living here for the past six weeks, trying to make out like it's business as usual. For all his faults, Mr King had all the necessary automatic protocols in place. Things get shipped automatically and delivered to schools automatically. All I had to do was keep the system up to date with who's who and fix any problems. So you haven't had too much to do? Yasmin asked Riley. No, I suppose not, Miss Sisson said. I've been testing an implant add-on that isn't quite ready for your use, though. I was quite literally beside myself when I first got it to work. Sophie pondered that last sentence for a moment. The word literally had got her wondering exactly what Miss Sissons was up to. What have you three been up to? I know about you, Clara. Miss Sissons proceeded to ask, clearly trying to take the focus of the conversation away from herself. Clara shook her head and looked at her with dread like she was going to spill some secret that she had, but Miss Sissons carried on regardless. But what about you two? she asked Sophie and Yasmin. Clara seemed to sigh with relief. I got on the school council, Yasmin said excitedly. Hey, well done, Yas. Made any big decisions yet? Miss Sissons seemed remarkably impressed. The governors came in and spoke to us about what we'd like from a new head teacher, but that was about it. Still, a big responsibility. What did you say? Miss Sissons asked inquisitively, instantly switching back to the teacher they had known before. I just said not some lunatic who's a liar and a manipulator and is obsessed not with saving the world, but with becoming famous because of it, Yasmin said with a dead straight face. Miss Sissons looked agog. Her mouth fell wide open. You didn't? Of course I didn't. What do you take me for? Yasmin smiled. I'll answer that one. Clara chimed in for the first time with a smile on her face. You be quiet, Yasmin snapped jovially back. The four of them all laughed, but then Sophie went all serious. In a way, it felt like they were all wasting time just sitting around and talking when they could have been doing something more productive. No sign of Katie yet, she asked. Miss Sissons didn't reply. She just shook her head and looked down at the floor. We'll find her, Clara said solemnly. What about King and Houghton? Well, Nathan, Sophie continued with her questions, desperate to get something productive out of the evening. 
No, nothing. It seems the one thing that Scope is not very good at is finding people who don't want to be found, especially when they don't have an implant, Miss Sisson said. You aren't wrong, Clara said randomly. What do you mean? Sophie asked. Nothing. It doesn't matter. I'd better get back. I uh, promised my dads I wouldn't be long. And with that, Clara said goodbye and zoned back to her house without waiting for a response. As soon as she disappeared, Sophie turned to Miss Sissons and asked, What's wrong with her? I'm not trying to be nosy. I'm just worried about her. Miss Sissons smiled a knowing smile. I know you are, and she knows you are. She just needs more time. She's got something going on that she'll tell you about soon. It's nothing bad. It could be wonderful, but it's a huge thing for her. And don't forget, she spent six months in the nightmare programme and never really got time to process it. I swear, nothing bad will come of this. Yasmin and Sophie didn't say anything. They just nodded, an understanding nod, assured that their friend was all right and was going to be looked after. So, how's school? Is that supply teacher any better? Miss Sissons asked, changing tact. She's OK. Nothing exciting. A bit boring, Yasmin replied, trying to muster up some enthusiasm. Test preparation going OK? Miss Sissons asked. I got 20 on the spellings today. Yasmin replied enthusiastically. Well done. What did you get, Soph? 19, Sophie said, very slightly disheartened as she knew what would be coming next. Not like you to not get full marks, Soph. What happened? I missed one of the words, Sophie replied, trying to own her mistake. How? Tell me you weren't zoned out. Miss Sissons looked disappointed, like she knew what the answer to the question was. Sophie just nodded and stared past her. Sophie Hardy. The implant is predominantly a hobby, a plaything. You are not to use it in the classroom. I know your parents, and I'm willing to bet they've said the same thing. Sophie nodded, but instead of being upset at what Miss Sissons was saying, she was getting cross. It was only 19. It was only one mark. She couldn't be perfect all the time. Have you done your homework? Miss Sissons asked, a bit more animated than she'd been before. Didn't have any, Sophie lied. That's not what Yasmin said, Miss Sisson said, standing up from her chair. You've got a reading comprehension. Have you done it? Yes, Sophie lied again. She knew that a white lie would mean no lecture, and it wasn't like she wasn't going to do it when she got back home. Miss Sissons relaxed slightly, believing the lie. Thank goodness for that. I won't allow this other life that you have to interfere with what's important. That's not why we invited you to this. You are a child first, an agent second. The girls saw how passionate Miss Sissons was about this and how much their childhood meant to her. It was almost like she had a sense of guilt about taking part of the girls' lives away and replacing it with something an adult should be doing, really. But as the three of them knew, it hadn't been her decision. Miss Sissons had often said to them when they were in year five they shouldn't waste this part of their lives and that she would love to be ten again. Aware that she was now lying to Miss Sissons, as she was with her mum, it occurred to Sophie that she was reassuring people by not telling them the truth. If she hadn't lied, they would be all worried and upset with her. Lying had put their minds at rest and was quite good for not just getting her out of a mess, but for also calming people down. Sophie decided that she wasn't normally one for telling lies when adults would believe her when she did. Being a good girl in their eyes meant potentially allowing her to get away with it when she did bend the truth in a way that some other children couldn't get away with. Anything else exciting happen at school? Miss Sissons asked. 
We're getting a new boy in class. Mrs Phoenix wants to sit him where Katie sat, Yasmin replied confidently. Really? What's his name? Miss Sissons inquired. Something unusual that starts with a K, Yasmin continued. Well, from that description, he sounds lovely, Miss Sissons said sarcastically. Again, the three of them laughed. Sophie thought, though, back to after school and the woman staring at them from across the road. Yasmin hadn't brought it up and neither had Clara. So not wanting to look worried or nervous about what was nothing in front of her friends, she didn't tell Miss Sissons about her either. Convincing herself that it would all be fine, Sophie again put the woman to the back of her mind. The little catch-up lasted for about another 20 minutes, at the end of which Sophie again asked if Miss Sissons could open the playground for her to have a quick go, but she flatly refused. As a result, Sophie zoned back into her bedroom and reluctantly did her reading comprehension. A few hours later, Sophie was awoken by the sound of her dad entering the room. It must have been late, as it was pitch black outside, and Sophie found her reading comprehension stuck to her face as she'd fallen asleep at her desk whilst trying to finish it. For a few weeks after the episode at school, lesser-known newspaper and lifestyle websites had offered Sophie's mum and dad lots of money for an interview with her about her experience that day when the implant was put in, but they had both refused without even thinking about it twice. Sophie was not some fad that the world would be interested in one minute and completely forgotten about as soon as the next story came along. She was their daughter and they didn't want her to be treated like that. Money had always been tight in the Hardy house and now, with both Sophie and Lizzie growing at an alarming rate, needing new clothes with what felt like every week, it was even tighter than normal. So much that Amelia and Tom had been forced to give up one of their internet implant accounts. Tom had cancelled his account and now he and Mum shared one. It wasn't that inconvenient, it just meant that only one of them could be zoned out at any time. Looking tired, Tom stood behind Sophie at her desk, stroking her head and whispering, Shouldn't you be in bed? Still slightly dazed, Sophie replied, I am, I was, I'm going now. Tom laughed. Did you finish that homework? Yes, Miss Sissons told me to, she replied, still a bit confused. You must be tired if you think that Miss Sissons told you to, Tom replied, smiling. It must be all that battling mythicals you do when you zone out. Sophie woke up properly with a start. Er, uh, what do you mean? She asked with an air of panic in her voice. None of the three girls had told their parents exactly what they got up to on their implants, so her dad asking this threw Sophie slightly. Whatever those online games are that you, Clara and Yasmin play, sometimes I can hear some of the things you say when you're zoned out here on the bed. It sounds exciting. I used to be quite the gamer, you know. Perhaps you'll let me play one day, Tom said. Relieved that her dad had not meant what she thought he meant, but also mortified at the idea of her dad wanting to play computer games with her and her mates, Sophie furrowed her brow and looked at him. He smiled a knowing smile as if Sophie had heard everything he had intended her to hear. Then he carried on as if the conversation had never happened. Mum is giving me the implant on Saturday afternoon if you want to zone to the football with me, he asked, hoping his daughter would want to at least spend some time with him. Sophie didn't need to think about it. Of course she wanted to spend Saturday afternoon shouting at footballers in the company of her dad. Granted, it was a virtual ticket and not a real one because there was so much cheaper and Sophie could project herself there as she wanted to. But this was Dad, and the chance to spend time with him not doing something that might embarrass her in front of her friends was too much to pass up. She hugged him, and he kissed her head and left, and then Sophie climbed into bed properly. 
Perhaps training wasn't the be-all and end-all of everything, she thought to herself, and nodded back off to sleep. Chapter 5. The New Boy The morning after, Sophie got herself up, washed, dressed, fed, and ready for school for what felt like the millionth time. Fortunately, her dad had been up in the night with Lizzie this time, so she had had a better night's sleep. She kissed her mum, dad and sister goodbye and caught the lift down to the ground floor where Yasmin was waiting for her. Silently, they both set off for Clara's house to pick up the third member of their group. Sauntering along, the only piece of catching up they had to do was that Yasmin's dad, Nicholas, had met some more new business people and would be away a lot more over the next few weeks, possibly even until Christmas, but this wasn't anything new for Yasmin. Her dad had always been away a lot and she had just sort of gotten used to it. She did miss him massively and knew his work was important to him, but there was a part of her that wished he would spend at least some time with her. Done your reading comprehension? Yasmin asked. She'll go nuts if you haven't. Yeah, I did after we finished last night. I fell asleep on it, Sophie replied. That must have been late, Yasmin said. I've done it, Sophie half snapped back. Before Yasmin could reply to that snipe, they turned the corner onto Clara's driveway. Only one car was there, meaning Sophie's Uncle Josh was at work already. The pair knocked on the door and Clara came bundling out with her uniform a mess and her trademark hair all over the place. She looked like she'd been crying. You OK? Sophie asked. Clara nodded, but didn't reply. Sophie and Yasmin could see that she wasn't, but thought about what Miss Sissons had told them last night. Part of Sophie wanted to quiz Clara, as she'd learnt from not talking to Katie that not being a friend in the right way at the right time could have catastrophic consequences, but she took her former teacher at her word. Anything we can do to help? Yasmin asked, not adopting the same policy as Sophie. Clara shook her head this time, but still didn't speak. Sophie and Yasmin left it at that, and the three of them walked off to school. As usual, the playground was a hub of activity. Parents of the foundation stage children had finally gotten over the fact that their children were now old enough to be at school and the procession of hugs, kisses and declarations of love had died down, slightly. The parents were a lot more focused on finding criticism with the foundation stage teacher, Miss Carr's way of getting the children to line up. Mrs Tabard blew the whistle and began barking out orders at children who weren't lining up fast enough. It was all very familiar and mundane to Sophie now. Once again, the three girls lined up in the Year 6 line and were joined by their classmates. Ryan Myers was, once again, the last to line up and Mrs Tabard hurried him along like she was herding a lost sheep. Mrs Phoenix ambled down from the steps and onto the playground. Sophie chuckled to herself at the idea of her falling the last two. She stood in front of the class and simply said, Come on then. With a distinct lack of enthusiasm, the whole of Year 6 followed their leader into the classroom. As Mrs Phoenix opened the door to the room that they supposedly knew so well, a horrible realisation hit Sophie as she surveyed the room. Mrs Phoenix had done the thing that some children despise about school and it gives them nightmares, whereas other children get excited about it. She had moved the tables round. Sophie, Clara and Yasmin fell into the nightmare group. They all loved sitting together and the idea of splitting them up and the realisation that this was actually happening filled them with instantaneous dread. The reality of not sitting next to each other was completely alien to them. They had been together since foundation and had no intention of not being with one another until the end of primary school. I have drawn out the new table plan on the board. Find your new seat and sit in it, Mrs Phoenix ordered. Why have they moved, miss? Yasmin asked, 
holding in her disbelief. A change is as good as a rest, Mrs Phoenix snorted back with a phrase that meant nothing to the three girls at that moment in time. What? The word slipped out of Sophie's mouth before she could have the chance to stop it and she immediately put her hand over her mouth. Pardon, Sophie? Mrs Phoenix turned with a look of sheer disbelief on her face. Nothing, miss. Sorry, Sophie replied extremely nervously. I think for that I'm going to move your seat to one right at the front. You can look after the new boy when he gets here. Sophie was horrified. She had never been made to move seats because of her behaviour in her whole life. This was uncharted territory for her. Mrs Phoenix marched over and pointed at the chair right next to her desk and the whiteboard at the front. Here, she ordered. As Sophie trudged over to her new seat, she looked at the whiteboard to see who would be her new group for what Sophie hoped would be just for today. Before she found her own, she noticed that Clara and Yasmin were still sitting next to each other and that her original new seat was at the back with theirs and still allowed her to glance out the window and zone out whenever she needed to. Sitting there wouldn't have been the end of the world. Now though, for today at least, she was right at the front. Finding the new place on the board, she read the names. Ryan Myers, the name that sent shivers down everyone's spine, including the teacher's for his poor focus and inappropriate behaviour in Kingsley Roan, the new boy. Sophie sat down in her new chair and looked over at Clara and Yasmin, who just gave a very sympathetic smile and shrugged as there was nothing they could do. A few minutes later, Mrs Phoenix got a bit cross with Ryan and told him to hurry up as he was taking far too long in the cloakroom. He sauntered over and slumped himself down opposite Sophie. What? he said aggressively. I don't normally have to sit with anyone. Sophie just smiled, rolled her eyes and got out her maths book. Today could be a long day, she thought to herself. Then again, she had wanted something to be different for a good few weeks now. About half an hour into the maths lesson, Mrs Phoenix had told Sophie to keep working at least twice, even though she wasn't making any noise. It was Ryan attempting to cause a disruption, not her. As Mrs Phoenix's shrill drone started again, Mrs Tabard flung open the classroom door once again, forgetting to knock. Mrs Hippogriff, Mrs Tabard began. It's still Phoenix, Mrs Phoenix snapped back. Kingsley's mum is at reception demanding to talk to his teacher. Would you please come down and have a word with her? She's making quite a scene. Can you watch the class while I do? Mrs Phoenix asked. Of course, I love covering and the children love it when I do. Don't you children? Mrs Tabard asked with genuine enthusiasm. The silence that had been there before went nowhere and the children carried on working on their long division. Mrs Phoenix left the room while Mrs Tabard came in, grabbed a pen and started to almost skip around the room marking books. This lasted for a few seconds until she caught sight of Sophie. What are you doing at the front, Hardy? she asked with surprise. Doesn't matter, Sophie replied. I didn't do anything massively wrong. Opposite her, Ryan snorted. I should think not. Not like you to have to sit at the front. You're normally such a good girl. Sophie was starting to fall out with that phrase. A good girl wouldn't lie to her mum, as she had done. A good girl wouldn't lie to her old teacher, as she had done. The label that was attached to Sophie was something she was starting to not care for much anymore. She didn't think she would ever get tired of adults making sweeping statements like that or making assumptions about her for such positive things but it was beginning to get on her nerves. She was an agent that protected their lives, 
Being seen as the good girl wasn't the impression Sophie thought would bestow fear into any wrongdoer she might come across. After a few minutes, Mrs Phoenix rolled back into the room, looking a bit worse for wear. Behind her was what Sophie assumed must have been Kingsley. He had dark skin and short curly hair that was a bit all over the place. To Sophie, his soft eyes and hunched posture implied he was nice, but nervous. He didn't lift his face as he walked into the room to survey his new surroundings. He just hung up his bag, slumped himself down next to Sophie and grabbed a pencil. Everything okay, Mrs Sphinx? Mrs Tabard asked Mrs Phoenix. Mrs Phoenix looked at Mrs Tabard with a sense of, are you getting my name wrong on purpose? But then she simply replied, yes, thank you. His mum didn't want to talk to me. She wanted to talk to the lady who had this job before me. No idea what she wanted to talk about with her. She wouldn't tell me. Sophie shot Clara and Yasmin a look of concerned confusion. They returned it. While the adults continued their discussion more quietly, Sophie logged into her implant whilst avoiding distracted looks of Ryan. She typed out the message, What does she want Miss Sissons for? and sent it to Clara and Yasmin. Almost immediately, the replies came back. Both said, No idea. After Sophie had read them, she zoned back into the classroom and saw that Ryan was looking at her very suspiciously. He could see something wasn't right. Sophie was going to have to avoid zoning back out while he was around or Ryan would take great pleasure in getting someone else into trouble to take the inevitable focus away from him. Sitting with her two new table friends, Sophie hoped that either Yasmin or Clara would have the sense to get a message to Miss Sissons. However, Mrs Tabard had left and Mrs Phoenix was back to circle the room with her marking pen, so the chances of getting a message out now were slim. About ten minutes after Kingsley had sat down, Sophie noticed that he had his head in his hands. She also noticed that he hadn't yet started the maths, which wasn't too difficult, and didn't seem to have any intention of doing any work. Seeing that he was struggling, or upset, or nervous, Sophie put down her pencil and leant over to him. Are you OK? she asked conscientiously. Don't talk to me! Kingsley screeched back, loud enough to make the rest of Year 6 drop their pencils in surprise and made Ryan laugh. Behaviour like that was normally his thing, and to see and hear someone else do it brought out a sense of delight in him. Mrs Phoenix looked up from Mark in Clara's book and sympathetically asked, Is everything OK, Kingsley? Without taking his head out of his hands, Kingsley said angrily, No, she keeps talking to me. His hand shot out and pointed straight in Sophie's face. Before the shock had sunk in, Sophie caught sight of his fingertips. They were glowing blue. Sophie, please don't distract Kingsley. It's his first day. Let's not get him into trouble, Mrs Phoenix preached. I didn't, Sophie started to reply. Kingsley said you did. Please get on with your work. Sophie glared at her and wanted to scream the type of scream that only her mum and dad had heard her make on her very worst of days. She held it in, though, because that's what good girls do, Sophie thought to herself, very sarcastically. Before getting back to work, she tried to have another look at Kingsley's fingers whilst giving him an evil stare. There seemed to be glowing light blue liquid being pumped around his bones. It was like the blood in his veins was glowing sky blue. She wanted desperately to send a message to Clara and Yasmin, but couldn't zone out because Ryan would see and alert Mrs Phoenix to Sophie using an internet implant that nobody at school knew she had. 
Instead, Sophie just quickly took a photo of his hands using the implant camera that Miss Sissons had recently installed. All it took was the blinking of her eyes for slightly longer than normal and she knew she could send it in a message when she got the chance. Sophie racked her brain for what she knew about creatures with blue blood, but nothing relevant came up. None of her reading or Dad's stories that she could remember offered up anything noteworthy. Next to her, Kingsley had now picked up his pencil and was just drawing straight lines in his book while his other hand kept holding his head up. Ryan sat next to him, watching him, and was almost cackling with delight at what he perceived as misbehaviour. I won't do it, Kingsley whispered to himself, and Ryan chortled some more. Sophie looked at him from the corner of her eye. I won't do it, he said again, only slightly louder. Sophie turned her head fully to look at him. The blue had spread to his head. She could see it pulsating around his temple. Going for broke, Sophie whispered back. Won't do what? I won't ask her. He seemed to reply to her, but not to her, like he was talking to somebody else. His breathing was getting very deep, and Ryan was now almost poking him with his pencil whilst rocking on his chair. Won't ask her what? Sophie whispered again, feeling like she was getting somewhere. Where she is, Kingsley replied. Where who is? Sophie continued to probe. Jane, Kingsley said. Sophie instantly put two and two together. His mum wanted to talk to Miss Sissons. He must mean her to be Jane. A little too excited, and as a result, a little too loudly. Sophie asked, Jane who? At that, Kingsley shot up out of his chair and turned and scowled at Sophie. Almost jumping out of her skin, Sophie nearly fell off her chair in surprise. Stop talking to me! Kingsley screamed at the top of his lungs. His eyes had gone neon blue, and so had all the veins in his body. He looked like he was about to burst. Nobody else could see any of the blueness, because, being at the front of the room, Kingsley had his back to everyone else except Sophie. Even Ryan was too busy rocking and laughing at the distraction Kingsley was causing to notice. He was assessing the room to make sure everyone was getting a glimpse of what was happening. When the screaming had stopped, Sophie averted her eyes from Kingsley and looked at the floor. She could have sworn he was floating, only slightly, but Sophie was sure that Kingsley's feet weren't touching the ground. Back in what she perceived as normality, Mrs Phoenix tried to take back control. What on earth is the matter? she asked. Kingsley got in first, but didn't take his eyes off Sophie. She keeps talking to me and won't stop, he said angrily. Mrs Phoenix tutted and again spoke very calmly to Sophie. So far today, Sophie, you have answered me back, tried to distract Kingsley, and now you have upset him. Move your name down, please. But I, Sophie began, just move it down, please. Mrs Phoenix cut her off. Getting children to move their names down the behaviour chart was the first line of defence teachers had. If children were asked to move their names twice, then they would miss break time. It was something that Sophie had never had to do. Ryan, on the other hand, practically spent his whole time on the second step and was still taking great delight in watching someone else suffer. Sophie stood up reluctantly, almost mentally frozen in disbelief. It was like she was watching somebody else in her body. This good girl would never be asked to move her name down. How could she get out of it? Subconsciously, as she walked towards the names on the board, she thought of every way she could avoid getting into trouble. Yes, being labelled the good girl was getting annoying, but Sophie now realised that getting into trouble was a much worse feeling. 
Arriving at the front, she reached her arm out for her name. An idea struck her. It was Ryan, she said to Mrs Phoenix. Mrs Phoenix looked up. Pardon? she asked. It wasn't me that was talking. It was Ryan. He distracted Kingsley. The lie felt unusual. Guilt, but also a dangerous excitement flowed through her. No one in their right mind would believe Ryan over her, and Sophie knew that. A thumping started. Sophie assumed it was her brain warning her, or her heart beating telling her to stop, as she was completely unfamiliar with the concept of blatantly lying to adults. The longer Sophie could hear it, though, and the more she concentrated on it, she realised the thumping wasn't in her head, but was coming from outside. Ryan, oblivious to the banging, looked at her, livid, as he could see straight away what she was trying to do. "'Was it you, Ryan? Were you distracting Kingsley?' Mrs Phoenix asked, her voice getting louder to accommodate the ever-increasing volume of the noise outside. "'No!' Ryan replied. He then picked up his maths book and threw it on the floor at what he could see was a massive injustice. He got cross enough when he was guilty and accused of it, never mind if he was innocent. "'Kingsley, who was it that was talking to you?' Mrs Phoenix asked. Before Kingsley could reply, the classroom door was flung open once more. It was Mrs Tabard, again forgetting to knock. She looked extremely distressed and shaken. Dragon, she murmured. It's Phoenix, Mrs Phoenix snapped. No, Dragon, Mrs Tabard said through shaking teeth. What are you talking about? Mrs Phoenix asked. Some of the children started laughing. Mrs Tabard composed herself as best she could and managed to get one sentence out before she completely fell apart. There's a dragon on the school field. Chapter 6 the changelings arrive. Some children shot for the window to get a better look. Some sat in silence and disbelief, and others screamed at the top of their lungs. Sophie, Yasmin and Clara looked at each other in an attempt to have one of their silent conversations about what best to do. Mrs Tabard ran out of the room, probably to warn the class next door. The children at the window could make out some giant figure moving on the field, but the fence was a bit too thick for them to see through it properly. However, the banging sound that Sophie had heard made sense. Now at the front of the room, conveniently the place furthest away from the back door that led onto the field, Mrs Phoenix tried her best to calm everyone. I'm sure it's someone playing a joke on us. There'll be no need to worry. Being older than ten, Mrs Phoenix could remember a time when dragons roamed free and she knew that you didn't want to get on the wrong side of one. So, she was doing her best to try and keep herself calm, as well as a class of ten-year-olds. As it happened, it was something she wasn't very good at. Just then, a huge roar reverberated into the classroom from outside. Everyone now turned to look at the window, even those who were sat agog couldn't ignore it. The tops of the trees that lined the edge of the field were now in flames, and the stomping noise that Sophie had assumed was in her head was now deafeningly thumping around the room. I think it might be true, miss, Sophie said calmly. Be quiet, Mrs Phoenix snapped back as she quite aggressively twisted her shirt. Sophie could see that the supply teacher was in no state to be concentrating on a whole class of now screaming children and so jumped over the table to sit nearer to Yasmin and Clara, who were also starting to look slightly worried. What do we do? Sophie asked. We can't do anything while we're stuck in here, Yasmin replied. Getting a message to Miss Sissons should be first, surely, Clara suggested. Agreed, Sophie replied. Send it, Yaz. Yasmin zoned out at the table, but
but nobody had any interest in looking at her, and so she did it without any unwanted attention. Done, she said about ten seconds later. Sophie and Clara surveyed the room. There has to be some way we can zone out and get onto the field, Sophie said determinedly. You aren't serious, Yasmin replied. It's our job, Sophie snapped back. This is what we signed up for. We've trained against dragons loads of times in the playground. Now we can do it for real. Yasmin looked at Clara for some reassurance that it wasn't just her that was thinking that going out there as a ten-year-old schoolchild to face a huge, fire-breathing creature of certain death was, to put it mildly, a bad idea. As a result, no such response came and Clara just shrugged at Yasmin. Sophie scanned the room again. The only other child who wasn't now at the window was Kingsley. He was sat with his head in his hands, much as he had been throughout the maths lesson. Sophie didn't have time to worry about him, although she did notice that the blue under his skin had now gone. Looking towards the main classroom door, Sophie noticed that Mrs Phoenix was reaching for the handle. Stay here, she shouted. You aren't leaving us, Sophie shouted back in disbelief. I'll be back. Stay here. The rest of the class didn't notice her leave, but the three girls most certainly did. As the door slammed shut, Another tremendous roar came from the field and the trees that were on fire collapsed. The fence separating the children from the dragon also started to wobble and the children who had charged for a closer look near the window took a step back for the first time. Got it, Clara sounded relieved. That fence is going to buckle and then the dragon can get through. If we can get everyone onto the playground at the front of the school, then we can zone out into the field and distract it. Distract a dragon, Yasmin asked querying Clara's choice of words. Have you got a better idea? Clara barked back. Yasmin could see no real alternative. How do we get everyone onto the playground, though? she asked. Leave that to me, Sophie said, having a sudden bolt of an idea. She stood up, walked over to the wall and, without hesitation, smashed the fire alarm. Having done many fire drills in her time at school, Sophie knew that the place the children always gathered in such an event was the playground as far away from the field as you could get without leaving the school grounds as it was on the other side of the building. As nobody saw her do it, the children in the room assumed that someone else in another class had set it off and they all made their way as calmly as they could away from the window and went out the main door, which in this scenario doubled as the fire exit. The only person that didn't move was Kingsley. What about him? Yasmin asked. Can't do anything. We only have a few minutes before they do the register and realise that we aren't there, Clara said. We have to zone out, onto the field, now. Sophie and Yasmin agreed, so they got comfy in their chairs, laid their heads on their desk and zoned out. Their avatars appeared on the field immediately and there stood the magnificent beast, true and proud. Behind it, three women in green cloaks and hoods. Sophie looked hard but couldn't make out their faces as they were bowed and not looking up. As soon as the dragon caught sight of the girls, it settled down. It was almost as if the whole purpose had been to get their attention. Continuing to patrol behind the three women, walking back and forth, the dragon snorted and one of the women raised a hand to indicate that it should stop. The dragon did indeed stop and stood to face the girls head on, like the world's largest guard dog. Unfazed by the whole event, like it was all just a game, Sophie walked forwards and got within an earshot of the women. Clara and Yasmin followed, a little more apprehensively. We're here for the hybrid. It's time to leave, the woman in the centre said without raising her head. Pardon? 
Sophie replied. The hybrid. Give it to us and no harm will come to anyone, said the woman on the right. We don't know of any hybrid, Clara said, channeling some of Sophie's confidence. This is a school and it's protected. The hybrid wants us all to go home, said the final woman. We need it. We don't know what it is, Clara added. Tell us more. For years we have remained stuck in your world. We want to go home and take many with us. The hybrid allows us to do that, for the danger is coming, said the first woman, still without moving her head and with almost no emotion in her voice. The three girls all looked at each other and shrugged. Yasmin contacted Miss Sissons. Are you getting this? she asked. Yes, was the reply in the girl's ear. I think they're changelings. What are they talking about? Sophie asked Miss Sissons. What hybrid? I'm not sure. Give me a minute, Miss Sissons replied. Sophie studied more closely the women that stood in front of her. They were wearing the same colour that the woman who was staring at them across the road yesterday. Your time is running out, the second woman said. Hold on, we're working on it, Clara said, attempting to stall the unwelcome visitors. Whilst all the parties were stood round waiting, the gate to the field suddenly flew open. Everyone's eyes darted to the side to see who it was. There was a blue glow around the unexpected visitor. They were making their way across the field and they were shouting something incomprehensible from the distance they were at. Sophie stared and listened harder. As the figure got closer, Sophie realised that it was Kingsley and what he was shouting was, Get away from me! Can't you just leave us alone? The three women dropped their hoods and turned to face him. The dragon also rode up on its back legs and got into an attack position. Kingsley, wait! Sophie shouted. He ignored her, or couldn't hear her, and continued to stride towards the three women and the dragon, apparently completely fearless of the 30-foot monster that was roaming menacingly around the school field. Sophie's gaze drew back to the women and their now visible faces. Their noses were long and pointy and their skin appeared to be almost hanging off. Their eyes were neon blue like Kingsley's and the majority of their hair had fallen out. Slowly, they began pacing in different directions. One walked towards Kingsley, one headed towards the three girls, and the final one turned to face the dragon and calmed him as he was becoming agitated. Sophie, Clara and Yasmin drew back like they'd been trained to and looked to see what the woman would do. Before she got anywhere near them, though, Kingsley had fired a blue bolt out of his blue glowing hand and had made the woman that was heading for him completely disappear. Sophie furrowed her brow. Yasmin stepped forward from the group of three and started to walk towards the woman, who was still not walking too quickly. It was like a fight in slow motion. After Yasmin had taken about five steps, the woman raised her finger and a bolt of what could only be described as blue electricity shot out from it. Yasmin screamed slightly as the bolt travelled towards her. Fearing the worst, she bent down and tried to avoid it although it was impossible because the lightning was travelling so incredibly quickly. Unbeknown to Yasmin, the bolt passed straight through her and hit the hedge at the back of the field. Sophie and Clara instantly understood that by them being in their avatars, they would be very difficult to harm, and Sophie's confidence in the whole thing feeling like a game became even more real. Clara stepped forward and ran at the woman. The changeling aimed her finger again, but the bolt went straight through Clara and into the hedge again. Clara didn't break stride and continued to run at her. Just as soon as she was in arm's reach, she stopped suddenly as the woman became entombed in a bright blue ball. She was lifted off the ground and Clara got a really close-up look at her wart-ridden, loose-skinned monstrosity of a face. 
she cackled and screamed from inside the sphere and was slowly lifted from the ground. Clara looked round to see that Kingsley was in full control of the sphere and was almost toying with the woman inside it. He was lifting her, dropping her and pulling her side to side. Looking more closely at his neon blue face, Clara could see a huge smile on it. This worried her almost more than the huge dragon that was being set up to do goodness knows what. As Kingsley continued to throw the woman about, he stopped for a split second while she was mere inches from Clara's face. The changeling leant forward, looked Clara dead in the eyes and pointed at her. You are not from this world, she said, and Clara's avatar's hair changed from black to blonde to red and back to black. As soon as she finished her sentence, she vanished from right in front of Clara. Slightly dazed, Clara turned to look at Sophie and Yasmin, but neither of them was looking at her. They were both staring at the final woman, who was standing under the dragon, holding a large sword above its foot. Knowing what the woman intended to do, Sophie went running towards her. Before she had taken a step, or even thought about zoning to her, the woman raised the sword into the air and shouted, You were given a chance! Immediately, the woman slammed the sword into the dragon's foot. Then the woman disappeared before the eyes of the four children on the field. The dragon screeched and a few windows on the top floor of the school smashed. The agents of Scope looked at one another and tried to work out how to stop an actual dragon from harming every child in school. Chapter 7. How to Tame a Dragon The dragon let out another huge roar of pain and more bolts of fire shot out of its mouth. The fence separating the school from the field collapsed. If Sophie, Yasmin and Clara didn't do something quickly, then their zoned-out bodies would all be burnt to a crisp in the classroom. What have we got then, girls? Miss Sissons said through their ears. Sophie studied the beast in front of her quickly but carefully. She knew what it was almost straight away. A wyvern. Whilst not strictly speaking an actual dragon, she wasn't going to go into pedantic territory now. It's a wyvern, she said. How do you know? Clara asked. Its wings are like a bat's. Its tail is huge. It has two legs and it's red, meaning it's a land wyvern, not a sea, Sophie said confidently. Well done, Soph, came Miss Sisson's voice. How do we stop it? Yasmin asked. Take the sword out, Miss Sisson suggested. Oh yeah, didn't think of that, Clara said sarcastically. We need to do that and get it away from school. It'll destroy the building if it roars again, Yasmin surmised. Agreed, Sophie said. Yaz, cause a distraction. Yasmin turned to look at Sophie like she just suggested she jump into a fire, which, as it turned out, she might be about to. Why me? Yasmin asked. There was silence from all three of them. It's your plan, Sophie shouted. So therefore, Yasmin began. Your name is first on the register, Clara replied, relieved that she'd thought of a half-reason. My first name isn't, Yasmin snapped back as she prepared to zone nearer the beast. Sophie and Clara spread out to get a better look at the enormous creature that stood before them and find a way of getting to its foot. The option of just zoning to it was out of the question. It was throwing itself about in agony too much. They needed to get close to it and be able to move at a split second's notice. Yasmin appeared again near the dragon's left side and shouted as loud as she could, Hey, look at me! I'm a distraction! The dragon instantly craned its long neck round and stared at her. 
With the changelings no longer around, Yasmin was the next best suspect the dragon had as to who had struck the sword into its foot. It roared in realisation, which sent another warning to those children and staff who were on the playground to stay there. But as Yasmin started to run back towards Clara, it did what the girls had hoped and started to turn away from school. As it did so, the sheer beauty of her first real mythical creature hit Sophie. The size of it was immeasurable. The only thing Sophie could compare it to was a house. The striking crimson-red skin glistened in the crisp October sunlight and it shone as each of its millions of scales caught the light at different angles. As it reached half the way around, it spread its wings and Sophie caught a glimpse of the enormity of its wingspan. At full flight, it would dominate the sky. Clouds would part for it and the sun itself would shy away with insignificance when the creature took to the air. Sophie had almost forgotten what she was meant to be doing. Her whole life, she had waited for this. Adults didn't discuss things like this anymore. Why? It was the most beautiful thing Sophie had ever seen. Why hadn't they drawn pictures of them? Why didn't people rave about them? People were so lost in their technology now that things like this just weren't of interest to them. If people put their technology down and just looked around them, they would see gorgeous creatures like this. It was breathtaking just to be in the presence of one. Sophie had never been so enthralled but so baffled at the same time. Her interest peaked though as the beast had turned fully, had its attention drawn to her and was now face to face with Sophie. She didn't run away. She didn't feel the need to. The teeth stood to attention in its mouth, each one of them like a sword, capable of piercing through the strongest of metals. It began to stamp towards Sophie as she came into view. Yasmin disappeared from sight and as it stomped, the ground shook violently. Sophie didn't move. She was paralysed by her transfiction. Sophie, you might need to move, Sophie heard from Clara in her ear, but she knew she didn't need to. Soph, get out the way. He's coming for you, said a different voice. Still, Sophie didn't move. She'd waited for this all her life. Why would she move? The dragon was only a few feet away as Sophie was swept off her feet and knocked to the ground by an unknown force with a thud. Move, now, Clara said, who had zoned across the field and pushed her out of the way. The pair stood up, slightly further away from it than they'd been, but still close enough to need to run. Clara ran, but Sophie looked at the dragon from this new angle and noticed the sword in its foot. She took a few steps back to bide herself some more time. Get it to look away from me. I know what we can do to help it, Sophie said confidently. OK, they both said back to her. Talk to me, Soph. What are you doing? Miss Sisson's voice asked her again. There's no way we can zone to its foot. It's moving too fast, so I have to run for it, Sophie replied very excitedly. You can't, Yasmin said. Have we got any other ideas? Sophie asked. No answer came, so Sophie assumed that she was good to go. Yasmin and Clara ran to face the dragon again, and, once they had it focused on them, they sprinted. As they did, it let out another huge, deafening roar that caused the windows in the school to shake again. When the roar had died down, Sophie could hear the screams of the children on the playground again. She needed to work fast. Once it was turned away from her, Sophie ran towards the dragon's foot and jumped onto it. The dragon continued to walk and as a result, Sophie was clinging to its leg whilst almost surfing on its foot. 
once the dragon put its foot down again and stopped to look for a continually zoning Yasmin and Clara, Sophie reached out and grabbed the sword. She pulled with all her might and, thanks to the extra power given to her by her hard light avatar, out it came. Immediately, the dragon stopped and let out the loudest, most ear-shattering roar that it had done so far. This time, some more of the windows in the school smashed and the screams echoed from the playground again. As it finished roaring, the dragon looked down at its foot to see what had happened. It caught sight of Sophie again, but instead of aggressively going for her, it just flicked her off its foot and out of harm's way. When she looked up from her landing, the dragon came incredibly close to Sophie's face. She was almost nose to nose with the magnificent beast. She could feel its warm breath against her avatar skin and smell the ashes and embers around its mouth. It was the greatest feeling she had ever had in her life. Miss Sissons had done an excellent job making the avatar's feelings as lifelike as possible. It huffed in appreciation and tiny plumes of smoke came out of its nostrils. Yasmin and Clara came and stood next to Sophie and the dragon changed where it was looking. It gazed at Clara and Yasmin and snorted agreeably at them as well. It was relieved to have had the girls help it. The girls all welled up, the three of them all sharing this unbelievable moment. This was why they did what they did. Nobody else they knew had ever done this before. This creature didn't want to hurt them. It had been in tremendous pain. The girls laughed and hugged each other. Sophie reached out a hand to touch the dragon's nose, but as she went to do so, the girls heard a shout. No! came the voice from the tail end of the dragon. The dragon's head turned sharply and the girls peered round to see who it was. Emerging from the destruction of the fallen school fence and shattered windows was Kingsley, his whole body pulsating with blue throughout the veins and arteries again, as it had done when he had taken out two of the changelings. In the palms of his hands, he looked to be spinning two blue balls of energy, much clearer and better formed than the ones he had earlier. It matched the colour of his skin and... As he got closer to the girls and the dragon, Sophie noticed that his eyes were now completely electric blue. Leave this place and tell your owners to leave me and my mother alone, he shouted at the dragon and he fired one of the balls of what Sophie could only now describe as electricity at it. The dragon leapt to the side and the ball just fizzled out on the field. Meanwhile, Kingsley had already concocted another one. No, leave it alone, Sophie shouted, but it fell on deaf ears. There was no reaching Kingsley. Are you seeing this? Clara asked Miss Sissons. No response came. The dragon roared again, this time more in anger than pain, and its fury was aimed solely at Kingsley. I said leave, bellowed Kingsley, and this time he fired two more bolts of whatever it was at the dragon. The dragon tried with all its strength to get out of the way of them, but it slipped on its damaged foot and was caught up in the second blast. It now hovered just above the field encased in a huge sphere of blue, much larger than the one the changelings was caught up in before. It roared again, but more out of desperation than fury. Kingsley raised his arms and, as he did so, the dragon was lifted higher. It turned to look at Sophie, Yasmin and Clara and they could see the fear in its eyes, which had been so playful a moment ago. Then, as if merely being removed from existence, it was gone. The carnage it had caused was still there and Kingsley still stood at the other end of the field but he was now hunched over with nowhere near as much blue pulsating around his body. Anger taking over her, Sophie jumped up and charged straight at Kingsley. 
Never had Fury taken over her as badly as this. She had yelled at her parents before, but what ten-year-old hadn't? This was different. This was rage. This monster had destroyed an innocent creature and with it, Sophie's first encounter with a mythical that hadn't been locked up in a prison. Kingsley saw her coming. He fired two bolts at Sophie, but both went straight through her avatar. Clara and Yasmin then followed in hot pursuit. Kingsley kept firing and firing at them, but everything went through the girls and fizzled out onto the field. Kingsley was getting visibly confused and distressed. How are you doing that? he shouted at Sophie. Sophie, who was so engrossed in her fury that she'd forgotten she could just zone to Kingsley, kept sprinting right for him and, just as he was about to let off another blast, she punched him full in the face with a punch that reverberated around the field. Kingsley fell to the ground and the blue faded away from his face and body completely and he writhed around in agony, clutching his nose. Clara and Yasmin caught up with Sophie and grabbed her by the arms. Sophie wanted to scream and kick and punch Kingsley more, but the girls held her back. Clara then whispered something in Sophie's ear that made her calm down instantly. We have to get back in the classroom and get on the playground. People will wonder where we are. Sophie heard Yasmin agree and the three girls zoned back into their bodies in the classroom before running out onto the playground. They left Kingsley on the field, rolling about holding his nose, which had blood pouring out of it, and, as discreetly as they could, made their way onto the playground and mingled in with the rest of the school. Chapter 8. Repercussions About ten minutes after the dragon had gone, the girls had rejoined the rest of the school on the playground. The fire at the fence had burnt itself out, but shards of glass from the broken windows remained strewn everywhere. When the all-clear had been given, every single child was summoned to the school hall to talk about what had happened. Sophie, Clara and Yasmin had agreed that it was probably best to just keep quiet and not say anything. Since Pinkleton Primary had no head teacher at the moment, responsibility for delivering this chat fell to the school's deputy head and teacher of Year 3, Mrs Jones, who had taught Sophie, Clara and Yasmin when they were seven. The children thought she was wonderful. She had a gentle face and long brown hair which she sometimes wore beads in to stand out from the crowd. Her glasses were enormous and freckles dominated her nose and upper cheeks. Did anyone see what happened on the field? She asked every child in school very calmly. Silence blanketed the hall. Nobody? Okay. Can anyone tell me anything about what they think has happened here? She asked again, all the time maintaining complete composure. The children didn't know her as someone who shouted a lot or who got very animated. Wasn't there a dragon on the field? A younger child shouted out. That's what we're trying to work out, my lovely, she said, bending down to reassure the year one child that everything was okay. Ryan Myers put his hand up and Sophie could see delight dancing in his eyes that he might be about to get someone in trouble. We couldn't see anything, miss. The fence was in the way and when Sophie pressed the fire alarm, we all ran outside. Mrs Jones listened attentively and you could see her studying what it was she was hearing very calmly. Eventually she replied, Sophie, my dear, why did you press the fire alarm? Every pair of eyes were now glued on Sophie. It was like being interrogated by nearly 200 people. Sophie assured herself that she hadn't done anything wrong and so replied confidently. Because I thought everyone might be in danger if we stayed in the building. Whatever it was sounded like it was heading for school, so I decided it would be best to get everyone as far away as possible, Sophie replied, maintaining as much composure as Mrs Jones. 
And did Mrs Phoenix give you permission to do that? Mrs Jones asked. No, this was after she'd left the room. Sophie replied perfectly happy in her recounting of events and also secretly slightly pleased with herself that she'd planted a seed of doubt about Mrs Phoenix. Do you know why she left the room? Mrs Jones was probing, but in the nicest way possible. Don't know, miss. She seemed a bit nervous, Sophie said, honestly. Standing at the side of the hall, away from the other teachers, Mrs Phoenix blurted out, I, I went to get help, but Mrs Jones just ignored her. Thank you, Sophie, Mrs Jones finished. It seems you acted quickly, but I do think you probably should have waited for Mrs Phoenix to come back. Sophie stared at Mrs Jones. She wanted to scream at her that she knew full well that Mrs Phoenix had no intention of coming back and that if it wasn't for her, then all the debris may well have fallen on a child. She knew she acted in everyone's best interests, but Mrs Jones couldn't see that. Slumped down on the bench at the back, Sophie found it hard to concentrate on what was being said now, so she just mulled on what had been a very polite criticism, but one that, if Mrs Jones had been in full possession of the facts, didn't need to be made. After the brief talk from Mrs Jones and a few of the teachers, the children were told that nobody knew exactly what had happened on the field. To them, everything was unexplainable. Sophie, Clara and Yasmin knew better though. As everyone was about to stand up and be dismissed, the hall door flew open and Kingsley hobbled in with tissues under his nose, which must have started white but were now covered in blood. Mrs Jones was the first to speak. Kingsley, what on earth has happened to you? Kingsley scanned the back row of the hall, which contained year six, until he found Sophie. She punched me in the face, he said angrily, pointing at Sophie. Once again, everyone turned to look at her. Trying to look as innocent as she possibly could, Sophie pointed at herself and silently mouthed, Me? Are you quite sure, Kingsley? Sophie Hardy? Mrs Jones asked. Yes, her, the blonde one that was on the internet, Kingsley replied, not taking his eyes off Sophie. Mrs Jones squinted in thought and looked back at Sophie, who was still attempting to look completely like butter wouldn't melt in her mouth. This, though, was quite difficult, as Sophie was still a bit cross at Mrs Jones. However, Sophie focused enough to change from the girl who was angry to the popular, well-behaved good girl that everyone knew her as. Under this guise, she was sure she could get away with it. Did anyone see this happen? Mrs Jones asked without taking her eyes off Sophie. Of course, nobody spoke, as Yasmin and Clara weren't about to drop their best friend in it. Come with me, the pair of you, Mrs Jones said. The rest of the school was dismissed, but Sophie and Kingsley followed Mrs Jones to what used to be Mr Houghton's office. Wait here, please, Mrs Jones said as she went inside. Sophie and Kingsley were left to stand outside, on either side of the door. Sophie couldn't bring herself to look Kingsley in the eye. As she watched him mop the blood off his top lip again, she was now feeling slightly bad for punching him. But then she remembered the horrible thing he had done, and soon the fleeting feeling of sympathy was gone. After a few moments, Mrs Jones emerged from the office. I've spoken to your mum, Kingsley. She said she'll be here at home time to speak with me about what has happened. Kingsley nodded his head. Now, go and get cleaned up. Kingsley walked off down the corridor towards the classroom and walked into the toilets on his way. I can't get hold of your mum, Sophie. Is her implant on? It must be Dad's turn with it and he's at work. We only have one now, Sophie replied, maintaining the role of model pupil was still her most natural guise. Keep trying. I'm sure Mum will have it back soon. Mrs Jones looked very concerned by what Sophie had just told her. 
Why have you only got one? she asked. We can only afford one now, Sophie replied. Mrs Jones put her hand on Sophie's shoulder. If you need to talk about anything, you know where I am, she said, sounding as understanding as possible. Mrs Jones was well known for this. Sophie didn't take her kindness for granted, but noticed that she'd set the fire alarm off, must have gotten Mrs Phoenix in some sort of trouble by saying she left the room, dealt with a dragon and some changelings on the school field, lied about it, punched a boy in the face and lied about that too, but was getting sympathy and understanding as a result. This continued to niggle away at Sophie. Her reputation was allowing her to get away with all sorts. Thank you, miss, she said assuredly, but I'm OK, honest. Mrs Jones was in no rush to let this go, though, and pressed on with the concern for Sophie's home life that she now had. That's as may be. However, I will still need to speak to your mum at home time as well to try and solve this. I can't do it now because I have to teach my class. I need you to stay in at break and lunchtime to avoid any complaints from Kingsley's mum just in case you have done something wrong. Mrs Jones was so gentle and calm and Sophie thought that she may as well serve a punishment as she had done the thing she was being accused of and that is what well-behaved role model pupils would do. They wouldn't argue back or get cross. They would take the punishment as adults were there to be respected and listened to. Sophie realised that if she wanted to keep getting away with the odd white lie, she would have to maintain her good girl reputation for the majority of the time. OK, miss, I will. And Sophie strutted off back to the classroom, confident in her mind that this thing with Kingsley would blow over just like the white lie she had told her mum and Miss Sissons. To keep them separate, Mrs Phoenix had moved Kingsley to what should have been Sophie's seat originally, behind Clara and Yasmin. Sophie, meanwhile, was left with Ryan, who hadn't forgot about another lie Sophie had told that morning, or that his explanation about the fire alarm hadn't resulted in the revenge he wanted and was stewing and biding his time. The rest of the morning went off without drama, and it was left to Mrs Tabard to act as a standing caretaker to clean the glass up before dinner time, which would now have to be on the playground, not the field, to avoid anyone having to walk through the shards. Sophie did her English quietly, but couldn't help but feel like she was being watched by both Ryan and Kingsley. It was quite disconcerting. Before Clara and Yasmin went out for dinner, Sophie sneakily checked with them that they had contacted Miss Sissons about what had happened. They had done, but because of the damage done to the field, they would have to wait until home time to zone out to scope, as the playground contained no secluded spots like the field did, and therefore they'd be unable to zone out and remain undetected, especially with Ryan and Kingsley both keeping a very watchful eye out. As dinner time started... Sophie shuffled her way down to the detention table at the school entrance. It was where children were sent if they had to miss any break or dinner, somewhere Sophie had never had to go before. Sophie slumped in the chair and just sat there. She would have zoned out to help pass the time, but Mrs Tabard would be in and out of the entrance hall checking that she hadn't run off or done anything else un-Sophie-like, and it wasn't worth the risk of being caught by her. A few moments later, Kingsley joined her, and the pair sat in silence. After a few minutes of awkwardness, Sophie decided to break the silence. Why did you do it? she asked. Kingsley didn't reply. He just sat there with his hands over his ears as he had done in the classroom. Sophie wasn't going to take silence for an answer this time. She had just stared at the face of a dragon, so Kingsley didn't scare her one bit. As a result, she forcefully pulled one of his hands away from his ear. I asked you a question. Why did you do it? She asked a lot more firmly. 
the fury that had made her punch Kingsley was starting to emerge again. Kingsley didn't take his eyes off the table in front of him and didn't move his other hand. He just replied, I was protecting me and my mum. What do you mean? Sophie asked, slightly softer. She could see he wasn't lying. Those women are always looking for us. They follow us everywhere and try to take us away, Kingsley replied. Unsure of what to make of what she was hearing, Sophie asked another question. Why are changelings looking for you? Kingsley still didn't move. He just shrugged and muttered something about hybrids and keeping his mum safe. It was nothing that Sophie hadn't heard first-hand on the field. Kingsley wasn't sure himself, never mind being able to explain it to somebody else. Are you frightened? Sophie asked, thinking that she already knew the answer to the question. Kingsley finally turned to look at her and nodded with a tear in his eye. They've been after us since my mum came back. When I lived with all my foster parents, I'd never seen them before, but ever since mum came for me, they've been trying to take us. Sophie realised she was getting an insight into Kingsley's life that he didn't normally show, so she pressed on, choosing her words carefully. Kingsley, on the other hand, was quite grateful that somebody was taking an interest in him and not just signing him off as naughty and not the sort of child others didn't want to be friends with. When did your mum come back? she asked. Not long ago, about six weeks, he replied. Sophie did the maths and made a rough assumption about the event that had happened to her six weeks ago, that the changelings and or Kingsley's mum had escaped Satfor and gone looking for Kingsley. So changelings started coming for you six weeks ago, but before that you'd never seen any. Again, she thought she knew what was coming. Kingsley nodded and Sophie sat back in her chair and realised that this was all her doing. This meant that she also felt compelled to strike up a friendship with Kingsley to help him deal with it in a way that she wished she could do with Katie. If Kingsley was being hunted by mythicals that she had unleashed, then it was only fair to help Kingsley in any way she could. What is this blue stuff that flows around your body? Sophie asked, gaining confidence that she was earning Kingsley's trust. Something that my mum showed me. Kingsley was talking a bit more easily now. She can do it too, but I'm better than she is. He said with a smile that implied that what he had said wasn't entirely true. You've used it before, Sophie probed. Every time those things come after us, Kingsley replied, I have to use it to get rid of them. Have you always had it? No, it just started when Mum came back. She said she first used it accidentally. She said she didn't know or can't remember what she was doing and got rid of my foster parents, Kingsley continued to explain. You're a really good shot, Sophie added really going for the friendship building. Kingsley smiled for the first time. Thanks, but I'd never seen it go through someone the way it went through you. Sophie smiled as well. She knew exactly why it had gone through her and not hit her, but she wasn't about to reveal to Kingsley that it was because she'd been a projection of herself and not been there, not fully anyway. It might be too much for him to take. You aren't the only one with special powers, you know, she said flippantly. Kingsley smiled again. He had never met anyone that he could talk to like this before or that wanted to talk to him. This was what he'd been waiting for, someone to talk to. They hadn't gotten off to the best start, granted. Now, though, Sophie seemed like she had the potential to be someone he could share things with in his quest to make friends and help others. Seeing that the mood was a lot more relaxed, Sophie chimed in with, We can protect you and your mum if you want us to. Kingsley nodded and Sophie could see that he had waited a long time to hear someone say something like that to him. The rest of the school day passed pretty much without incident. 
Clara and Yasmin were still waiting for Miss Sissons to get back to them. Other than that, the afternoon just consisted of Mrs Phoenix talking about the habitats of creatures and how they adapted. Sophie thought it would be much more exciting to learn about the habitats of mythicals from years ago and how there seemed to be so many different sorts of species all needing completely different environments to live in. But given what had happened this morning, but Mrs Phoenix didn't agree. At home time, Kingsley and Sophie were kept back by Mrs Phoenix and walked down to Class 3 where they were met by Mrs Jones, who was just showing her class out. Amelia and Tom were there, although Amelia looked exhausted or ill and what Sophie deduced must have been Kingsley's mum was there as well. She had long, dark hair in dreadlocks and kind eyes. This wasn't the face of someone who would harm anyone or anything, Sophie thought. She then realised that she had made this assumption before, but then it turned out that they were not the person she thought they were. As a result, she kept her guard up. What's this about, Soph? Tom asked. Sophie just kept quiet and stood sheepishly next to him. What happened, Kingsley? Desmerelda asked. Kingsley studied her carefully before he answered like he was trying to work out what kind of mood she was in. Seeing she was relaxed, but a bit distressed about having to be called into school on her son's first day, he hugged her and just said, Nothing, Mum. A few seconds later, Mrs Jones came to the classroom door and beckoned everybody in. Mrs Phoenix joined them, having finished seeing her class out. They all sat round on the really small chairs and Mrs Jones started the conversation. Kingsley, would you like to tell everyone what you told the whole school earlier today? She asked gently. Kingsley sat there, huddled up to his mum. He just shook his head. Mrs Jones turned to Sophie's parents. Tom, Amelia, earlier on today, Kingsley claimed that Sophie punched him. Tom laughed, but Amelia looked horrified, making her ill complexion even more exaggerated. Sophie? Tom asked, still laughing. This Sophie, he said, pointing at his daughter. Yes, Mrs Jones replied, not seeing the funny side. Tom realised that she was serious and stopped laughing immediately. He was covered in blood and staggered into the hall claiming that Sophie had hit him, Mrs Jones continued. Is this true, Sophie? her mum asked. Before Sophie could get a word out, Kingsley interrupted her. No, he said, letting go of his mum. Pardon? Mrs Phoenix snorted. Kingsley shifted uncomfortably in his chair before explaining what he and Sophie both knew to be a lie. I fell over on the way out of the classroom when the fire alarm went off and I banged my face. Sophie looked at him, wondering what on earth he was doing, but also wondered if another lie was about to play into her hands. Well, that certainly makes more sense than Sophie punching a boy she'd only just met, Tom exclaimed. Is that what happened, Kingsley? Mrs Jones asked, very suspiciously. Yes, I'm sorry I lied earlier. I just wasn't sure. I was nervous on my first day and didn't want to seem stupid in front of everyone. Kingsley said, and Sophie discreetly smiled at him. Mrs Jones looked at him and sensed that he might be a child for the teachers across the school to watch. She knew what she had just heard didn't make sense, but she couldn't do anything else about it. OK, it seems there may have been a bit of a misunderstanding then, Mrs Jones said, slightly embarrassed. I'm sorry for calling you all in. All this time, Sophie had been studying Kingsley and his mum. They were extremely close, but she hadn't said a word to anyone else other than Kingsley the whole time she'd been there. She had never seen that kind of behaviour in an adult. Adults always spoke to each other in Sophie's experience. Everyone stood up to leave and they began to walk towards the door. Then, 
Mrs Jones remembered something. Tom, Amelia, can you stay for a minute? There's something else I'd like to ask you about. Mrs Jones asked, and Sophie quickly guessed what this was going to be about. Of course, Tom replied, and he clutched Amelia's arm, pulling her back to the chair as it seemed Sophie's mum was so tired that she hadn't even heard the request. She hasn't kicked a dinner lady as well, has she? Tom laughed. He smiled and winked at Sophie. Sophie smiled back but held in what would have been a forced laugh. Kingsley and Desmerelda left the room and everyone else went to sit down but Mrs Jones stopped Sophie where she was. It's OK, Sophie. You can wait outside if that's OK. Panic hit. She knew exactly why Mrs Jones wanted to talk to her parents without her. She couldn't well come out and straight up ask so she had no other choice but to say, No, that's fine. Tom reached into his pocket and pulled out the car keys. Here you are. Go and wait in the car if you want. I came straight from work. Where's Lizzie? Sophie asked, concerned that her baby sister was nowhere to be seen. Nans, replied Amelia, with quite a slur. Amelia's eyes were red. She had seemingly had a very busy day with Lizzie and wasn't in the mood to be talking about her in the brief moment of respite that she had. Sophie left the room and headed towards the car park a few paces behind Kingsley and his mum. Meanwhile, the other adults all sat down in the room to talk about what Sophie guessed was what she had said earlier. Chapter 9. This changes everything. When Sophie reached the main entrance, Kingsley and Desmerelda were there, politely holding the door open for her. Being in a transfixed state about what her parents, Mrs Jones and Mrs Phoenix, were talking about, Sophie didn't realise they were there and just walked through without acknowledging them. Kingsley's mum tutted loud enough for Sophie to come out of the state and turn back round to see them. Sorry, did I just walk past you? she asked innocently. Desmerelda closed the main entrance behind her and the three began to make their way across the car park. Yes, Desmerelda said. It's OK. Sounds like you've had a busy enough day. It has been quite eventful, yes, Sophie replied. Before Sophie could continue, she caught sight of the woman she had seen yesterday standing at the bottom of the school drive. She was there again, looking at her. Sophie squinted to get a better look. The changelings were gathering again. The lady turned to the side and walked away when she saw Desmerelda. Sophie was about to shout after the woman, but Desmerelda started talking. It's Sophie, isn't it? she asked. Sophie turned around to talk to her. Yes, she said, maintaining the good girl persona. Kingsley tells me that Mrs Phoenix isn't your regular teacher. What happened to the normal one? Desmerelda asked. Sophie knew straight away she was being quizzed. Mrs Phoenix had inadvertently told the class earlier that Kingsley's mum had wanted to talk to Miss Sissons and so she very quickly decided that some things were best kept secret from her. She had told Kingsley that they could protect him and his mum but she needed to tell Miss Sissons and the others before she could build up Desmerelda's hopes. Yes, we used to have Miss Sissons but she left right at the start of the year, she said, not lying as much, just not revealing the whole truth. Do you know where she went? Desmerelda asked. Nobody knows. She just sort of disappeared. I don't think any of the teachers have heard from her since. Again, this was not strictly speaking a lie. Desmerelda saw straight through it. And what about you? Have you heard from her? Sophie stepped back. She was shocked at how easily Desmerelda had seen through her. So Sophie changed the topic of conversation to try and escape how uncomfortable she was. Sorry, what was your name? I can't keep calling you Kingsley's mum. Sophie said, smiling very apprehensively. Desmerelda, Desmerelda replied, but clearly 
That was just to get the question out of the way so she could continue with her questions. That's a great name, Sophie said, with as much fake enthusiasm as she could muster. Thank you. Now answer my question. Desmerelda said with a bit more menace in her voice. There was a blue tint in her eye as well. No, I haven't heard from her. Why would I? Sophie was hoping her mum and dad would appear to help her out. You're lying, Desmerelda said, very threateningly. I can always tell when children are lying. I have to find her to see if she can explain what is happening to my son and me and whether she can help us. Sophie desperately wanted to tell her that they could help and that she knew exactly where the teacher was, but that would be taking too much of a risk. Right now, Desmerelda was a problem, but she needed Sophie more than Sophie needed her, so Sophie quickly decided that no harm could be coming her way. The blue glow in Desmerelda's eye had started to spread to her face. Her veins were lit up like Kingsley's had earlier. Sophie looked at Kingsley. He had now covered his ears and was trying not to listen. Desmerelda began to transform. Her nose grew longer, spots and scars appeared on her face and her lips started to shrivel into a wrinkly, pursed shape. Sophie began to wonder whether she was actually in danger. Tell me where she is. I need to find her, please. Desmerelda was almost begging, but very angrily. Sophie had seen what Kingsley had done to the dragon and he had admitted to her that he didn't know what he was or whether he could fully control his powers. Now, Sophie was on her own, faced with someone a lot bigger than she was and, Sophie assumed, in better control of her powers. Not only that, but Sophie was Sophie and not in her avatar. Any powers Desmerelda chose to use here would work whatever they were. The face started to terrify Sophie as warts and scars began to grow across the green skin. Please don't lie to me. That woman is responsible for everything. I have to talk to her and find out why. Desmerelda reached forward and took Sophie's arm. Tell me, she begged. Sophie tried to get out of the grip, but Desmerelda tightened it. You're hurting me, Sophie said, trying to wriggle out. Kingsley just stood there with a blue glow and his hands over his ears. Tell me and I will let you go. Desmerelda raised her voice, so much so that a pair of old ladies had stopped at the school gates to see what the shouting was about. Are you OK, little girl? One of them shouted up to Sophie. She's fine, Desmerelda shouted back, not taking her eyes off Sophie. She just needs to tell me where her teacher is. The old ladies didn't believe a word of it and so started to walk up the drive. She doesn't seem fine to me, one of them said. Desmerelda took her stare off Sophie and the electric blue eyes fixed themselves on the pensioners. Seeing exactly what Desmerelda looked like up close, the ladies started to back off. I said, she's fine. Desmerelda shot a bolt of blue from the hand that wasn't holding Sophie, which struck the ladies. They just vanished. Sophie saw it, clear as day. It was like with the dragon, but there was no encasing in blue sphere. They were just gone. Sophie was really worried now. She wriggled even harder to get out of the vice-like grip, but she couldn't get away. I don't want to hurt you or anyone, but I will talk to Jane, Desmerelda said through the fury and desperation in her eyes. Her arm started to hurt. Sophie let out a scream of pain. Just as she did so, her mum and dad ran out of the main entrance, closely followed by Mrs Phoenix and Mrs Jones. Get your hands off my daughter! yelled Amelia, who pulled Desmerelda off her. As her grip fell away, Desmerelda's face returned to normal. Sophie ran straight to the sanctuary of Tom's arms. 
all the blue had faded from Desmerelda and Kingsley took his hands off his ears. Get in the car, Amelia said calmly to Sophie. You be careful, she then said, aiming it at Desmerelda, as well as a strong finger-wagging, but also a slurred tone that Sophie might have thought more of if she hadn't been so panicked. Desmerelda stood with her head down, looking embarrassed and slightly confused. Then Sophie saw Mrs Jones and Mrs Phoenix take her back to school as Tom unlocked the car. Still very shaken, Sophie logged into her implant and sent a message to Clara and Yasmin. Scope, seven o'clock. Very important. She clicked send, then wondered what she was going to say to Miss Sissons. Chapter 10. A Brief History As soon as the clock struck seven, Sophie had prepared tea, put Lizzie to bed again and hid away in her room. Once again, she had lied to Amelia about the homework they had, but Tom had said that they needed to talk to each other about something, so they secretly welcomed the fact that Sophie was out of the way. Lying on her bed and zoning out, Sophie projected her avatar into the control room where she found Yasmin sitting around waiting for her. "'Where's Clara?' Sophie asked impatiently. "'Don't know,' Yasmin shrugged. "'Where's Miss Sissons?' Sophie continued asking. "'Not here yet.' As Yasmin spoke, Miss Sissons zoned into the room. She didn't say anything and had a look of exhaustion on her face. "'Clara?' Sophie asked her. "'She's not coming,' Miss Sisson said abruptly. "'What? Why not? This is getting silly,' Sophie said, bewildered. "'She's never here. What's more important than this?' Miss Sissons just shook her head, almost like she wasn't listening to Sophie, but was just acknowledging the noise. She was distracted, but because Sophie was so wound up, she didn't notice. "'Well, I need to tell you what happened after school,' Sophie was still buzzing with urgency. Go on then. What? Yasmin asked. No, you don't, Miss Sisson said timidly. Yasmin and Sophie both turned to look at her. She was standing with her back to them, with her fists clenched, propping herself up on the desk. Pardon? Sophie asked. I was nearly in massive trouble. Miss Sissons turned and looked at the pair of them whilst leaning back on the desk. I know you were. That was Desmerelda. Sophie and Yasmin both looked baffled for completely different reasons. Sophie because she didn't know how Miss Sissons could have known whom she was talking about, and Yasmin because she just had no idea whom anyone was talking about. How do you... Sophie began to ask. Sit down, Soph. I'll tell you everything, Miss Sissons said. Sophie took a seat and got comfortable. She'd loved hearing Miss Sissons' stories when she'd been their teacher. Her assemblies were loved by everyone, but she had a feeling that she wasn't going to like this one. For hundreds of years, changelings stole children and sent them to the underworld, Miss Sissons began. Sorry, what's a changeling? Yasmin asked. Sophie fielded that question. They're all female creatures from an unreachable land who become fixated on children and have been known to swap human children for changeling ones without the children's parents noticing. Like kidnappers? Yasmin asked. Sort of, Sophie replied. They spirit away the human child to the underworld while swapping in the changeling so their species can continue. In very olden times, it was thought that they swapped babies who were disabled or ill as they saw their lives as being wasted. The further forward in time we came, the better medicine became and they had to start taking more able children. Changeling powers also changed dramatically as they learnt new skills to adapt. Yasmin sat there gobsmacked. They aren't very nice... Miss Sisson said, stating the obvious. Anyway, these changelings have been subdued on Earth for the last ten years because of the departure, or they have been locked up in Zatvor. Their powers have been reduced, and as a result, have been unable to spirit anyone away. 
Yasmin and Sophie sat there very attentively. Now though, their powers are returning and they just want to go home, back to the underworld. The only way they can do that though is with a hybrid, half changeling, half human, and there is only one of those left. Kingsley, Yasmin asked. No, Miss Sissons replied. Desmerelda is the half-human hybrid. I'm confused, Yasmin interrupted. Let me speak and you will understand. Just concentrate, Miss Sisson said, getting rather flustered. Ten years ago, on the day of the departure, Desmerelda was in Zatvor. She had no idea she was half-changeling. She just thought she was human. We'd put her there for her protection temporarily. Her changeling powers had just come through when she put Kingsley to bed on her first night of being a mum. What? Yasmin asked, completely lost. Desmerelda is half-changeling. She didn't know she was half-changeling. Her changeling powers started to come through when she looked upon a baby Kingsley, Miss Sisson said, much more succinctly. Got it, replied a relieved Yasmin. Why do they need her? The changelings now need her to rebuild the bridge between Earth and the underworld to allow them all to go home and potentially start spiriting away children again. Only hybrids can reopen the portal and Desmerelda is the only one left as she was kept at Zatvor. There are many more, but they are all in the underworld, unable to open a portal one way. They need someone on this end who can do it too. The last time that happened was the banishment of the child snatchers hundreds of years ago. Why do they want to go home? Sophie asked. Well, they can portal around Earth as much as they like, but they all now want to go back to the underworld, probably worried that the departure will happen again, Miss Sissons replied, or because they want to rise again and start taking children. Still with it, said Yasmin. Why did you lock her up? She was a hybrid. She was dangerous. The powers of a hybrid changeling are much stronger than the standard changeling. Had she shown any signs of being dangerous? Yasmin asked. No, replied Miss Sissons, but we couldn't take the chance, and when I went to apprehend her, she'd just begun to take on the changeling form. But you said she had no idea she was half-changeling. Did she know why you locked her up? Yasmin asked, not quite believing what she was asking. No, she thought a changeling was trying to spirit away Kingsley. She had no idea she was doing it herself, Miss Sisson said, sounding like she was trying to reassure herself that she'd done the right thing. So Desmerelda was an innocent woman, locked up in a prison for mythical creatures, and she had no idea why she was there, Sophie asked, just trying to comprehend the logic behind the whole situation. She might well have been innocent when we took her, but two seconds later and Kingsley would have been gone. We saved him, Miss Sissons argued back, but both Sophie and Yasmin were still struggling with the way things had played out. But when you took her, she hadn't done anything wrong, Sophie asked. Not as such, but she was about to. Miss Sissons wasn't convincing anyone. Why is she still human, Yasmin asked. Her changeling form has been subdued again for ten years after its first appearance in her house. It comes in fits and starts, like when she grabbed your arm, Sophie. It will come through completely eventually, but the ten years in Zatvor have brought her a bit longer. Moments of high emotional stress will help it come through. As human Desmerelda loses control, changeling Desmerelda comes through. Her memories will be all over the place. Her human form won't fully remember anything other than snippets that aren't complete and vice versa. Sophie recalled what Desmerelda had told her. She wants to talk to you, she said to Miss Sissons. I'm sure she does, but her changeling form will spirit me away to the underworld as soon as look at me. You did well not to be spirited away by her after school. I think she deserves the chance to be spoken to, 
Yasmin concluded. In her eyes, you've done something horrible. You have to explain yourself before she turns completely. I agree, Miss Sissons added. We have to get to her before the changelings do as well. They will tease out the full changeling in her and Desmerilda will be lost forever to the underworld as these changelings seem to be in a rush to get home. Wouldn't that solve everything? Sophie asked, thinking out loud. Yes, if you can live with handing over a human life to a bunch of mythicals that will use her as a means to get what they want. That and the changelings will no doubt want to take millions of human children with them to make up for the last goodness knows how many years, Miss Sisson said bluntly. Not a million miles away from what you did, Sophie said flippantly. Miss Sissons could do nothing but nod. She didn't entirely disagree with Sophie. How do we get her to talk to you without simply spiriting you away or going full changeling? We can't talk to her, can we? Yasmin asked, rescuing the awkward situation. To Sophie, the answer was obvious. Avatar, she suggested. Yes, but where? I can't just zone into school. If Desmerelda goes full changeling on me, children could be caught in the crossfire and then I'm fine, but they're in the underworld. Miss Sissons had a point, and Sophie knew it. I may have something else which wouldn't put the lives of children at school at risk. Give me until tomorrow, Miss Sissons explained. So what do you want us to do? Yasmin asked. Go to school as normal. I'll let you know when I have a time and a place. Miss Sissons seemed a bit surer of herself. What about Clara? Yasmin pondered. She's not here. She misses out, Sophie mumbled to herself. Sophie Hardy, Miss Sisson snapped at her. Sophie knew she was in trouble, as Miss Sissons never snapped, and she certainly never full-named her. I told you, she needs some time. Leave her alone, Miss Sisson said, still making the same case she was doing earlier. But I'm her cousin. I can help, Sophie argued back. She will ask for you when she needs you. You have to respect her wishes. Miss Sissons replied in a lot calmer tone. Sophie understood that Clara was going through something that meant she needed space, but this was huge here at Scope. Why wasn't she as enthralled by this as Sophie? Surely whatever she was doing at home could wait until after this was over. How can we just go to school? Desmerelda knows who Sophie is, and all she would need to do is spirit her away, or if Kingsley flips out in class again, he could do it, Yasmin explained. Think about it, Yaz. That's an easy one to solve. It won't save everyone, but it will protect you if that did happen, Miss Sisson said, looking bewildered at the fact that Yasmin hadn't solved that problem herself. Sophie furrowed her brow for a second and then realised what Miss Sissons meant. They would have to zone into school and not physically be there, something Miss Sissons had strictly prohibited unless there was an emergency, and here was said emergency. The three agreed that the girls would take precautions, allowing them to go to school tomorrow, while Miss Sissons thought of a way to meet with Desmerelda that didn't involve her going to school. She had told the girls that Mrs Tabard would lynch her for disappearing as she'd done. Also, lots of children at school would want to talk to her, and that would potentially put them in Desmerelda's harmful way. So it was too risky for her to just turn up at school and she couldn't just change her face like Dale Nathan had done for all those years because Desmerelda wouldn't recognise her. Before zoning back into her bedroom, Sophie decided she wanted to know more about what Clara was up to. Her curiosity had turned into concern, so she zoned into Clara's bedroom. Lying on her bed, much like she had done when Sophie had found her six weeks ago, Clara appeared to be asleep but was zoned out. Where are you? Sophie asked, not expecting a response. Clara twitched like people do when they're asleep, which made Sophie jump. 
She wished there was a way to tell where she had zoned out to, but there either wasn't one or Miss Sissons hadn't told them about it yet, as it had been Miss Sissons who had searched for Katie back when she'd gone missing. Sophie scanned Clara's room for any clue as to where she might have gone. Her room was immaculate as normal, her desk was tidy and there were no clothes on the floor. It wasn't a normal bedroom for a ten-year-old. Determined that she was missing something, Sophie sighed in resignation. There was nothing here for her. Her cousin wasn't leaving a trail of what she was up to. Sophie guessed that she was just going to have to wait to be told and so zoned back into her bedroom where she could hear shouting from the other room. Her mum and dad argued occasionally what kind of married couple didn't but she hadn't heard them shouting at each other before. She could make out the odd word or sentence. We can't afford it, Tom shouted. I can't get a job, Amelia slurred back. Something strange was happening around Sophie and she didn't like it. Her mum and dad were arguing worse than normal. Clara wasn't talking to her and Miss Sissons hadn't been telling the whole truth. What was going on with the people in her life? For a brief second, Sophie wondered if it was her. She quickly put this thought to one side, though, when it dawned on her that Clara wasn't talking to Yasmin either, and Miss Sissons hadn't been completely straight with her or Yasmin. Right now, it was Yasmin keeping her sane. That didn't explain her mum and dad, though. To reach out to her cousin, Sophie sent her a message detailing her and Yasmin's plan for tomorrow. Sophie got a reply about an hour later. It simply read, Not in tomorrow. Been sick all evening. Now knowing that Clara wasn't just not telling her things, she was now flat out lying to her, Sophie got even more upset. I'll show them, she thought to herself, and with that, she lay on the bed and did her best to listen in on what her parents were arguing about, but eventually nodded off to sleep. At least until the middle of the night, when Lizzie woke up needing another bottle, with shouts of, Sophie! Chapter 11. What's going on with Yasmin? It had been agreed by Sophie and Yasmin that they would use Yasmin's house to zone into school. Sophie again felt like she would be lying to her mum, as she knew she was extremely lucky to have an implant, and her mum hadn't imposed many rules on her using it, but this would most definitely be one of them, and she was about to break it. However, with Yasmin's dad away on business, again, and her mum going to work just before Yasmin went to school, this was the most obvious solution. Sophie would call for Yasmin and go up to Yasmin's room to look at something. Both would then zone out into Yasmin's room and go back downstairs. It would be quite odd as the two girls would be able to see their zoned out bodies, but they were sure they could handle it. After all, it was less than 24 hours ago that they were taking on a dragon on the school field. Sophie kissed Lizzie on the head, having got her breakfast ready and fed her, even though, as usual, Lizzie had demanded feeding in the middle of the night. Lizzie again shouted, Soapy, at her older sister, but in much more of a sad, why are you leaving me tone? Sophie didn't pay her much attention and darted down the 12 flights of stairs. She then careered over to Yasmin's house as fast as her legs could carry her. Yasmin's house was further away from school, so Sophie felt a bit odd running one way when everyone else was walking the other to school. Some parents of younger children were confused slightly by the girl, who was once the most famous ten-year-old in the world, running away from school. Arriving at Yasmin's house, Sophie rang the bell and waited. There was a strange tingling sensation inside her. It had been there more and more over the last 24 hours. 
Her dream of helping Earth and living in the olden days was becoming a reality and zoning into school against her parents' wishes, providing some sort of similar exhilaration, but in a completely different way. Doing the opposite of what you were told to wasn't something that Sophie normally did, but she could see why some children loved it. A few seconds after Sophie rang the doorbell, Yasmin's mum, Zoe, answered. Hi, Sophie. Come on in. She's upstairs. Yasmin, she shouted. Sophie's here. Yasmin's voice bellowed downstairs. Send her up. Don't be long, the pair of you. You're nearly late as it is, Zoe said to Sophie. Sophie offered to take her shoes off, but Zoe just shook her head and told her not to worry about it as the cleaner would be round after school. Darting upstairs, Sophie flung open Yasmin's door. There were two of her. One Yasmin, who was standing in front of Sophie, smiling the broadest smile Sophie had ever seen her wear, and the other one was lying on the bed, zoned out. Whoa, Sophie said, as she realised what was happening. How does it feel? I'm beside myself with excitement, Yasmin said, having worked on that joke for a while, but it also sounded strangely familiar to Sophie. Where should I lie? Sophie asked. Yasmin surveyed the room, and as she did so, Sophie noticed some of the things that were on the floor. There were new expensive clothes, loads of pairs of shoes, jewellery and makeup on Yasmin's dressing table. What's all this stuff? Sophie asked, pointing at everything, cutting Yasmin off before she could tell Sophie to lie on the floor. Yasmin smiled an eager smile. Dad was so proud of me for getting my implant and being so well behaved with it that he's treated me to loads of new things. He also says he feels bad because he's away so much, so I think he's trying to make up for that as well. Sophie was shocked. There were clothes that Sophie had seen in shops and dreamt of, but never in a million years could she have afforded them. It also occurred to her that because the girls now spent all their time online outside of school, that she hadn't actually seen Yasmin at home in weeks, and so had no idea any of this was going on. Your dad buys all this stuff for you, but he's never here, she asked, clearly seeing a different side to what was happening than Yasmin was. He checks the statements that come through, but he hasn't had a problem yet. He's talking to a new company about going to work for them, and his current company wants to keep him, so they keep giving him bonuses, which he then spends on me. Which job is he hoping for? Sophie asked. Don't know. They're giving him a few weeks to decide, Yasmin replied. For a brief second, Sophie got angry at her own mum and dad, they didn't even have enough money to run two implants at the minute, never mind buying of the lavish things that Yasmin was able to buy. Sophie had always known that Yasmin was well off, but this was a whole new level. The anger quickly subsided when Sophie realised what a horrible thing to think it was. Her parents loved her and did their best. It was just very different to Yasmin. Lie here, on the floor, Yasmin said, kicking some of the new shoes out of Sophie's way. Sophie bent down on the floor and got herself comfy. She zoned out and instantly found herself standing next to Yasmin, both of them looking at their bodies. Where's Clara? Yasmin asked. Not coming in today, apparently, Sophie replied. Yasmin shrugged as if asking about Clara was becoming something of a chore at the moment. Before Sophie could launch into a critique of Clara, a voice came from downstairs. Come on, shouted Zoe. Time to get going, you two. Sophie and Yasmin giggled to themselves, picked up their bags and ran downstairs. They would be the first two children to ever go to school and not be at school. The tingling feeling came back to Sophie. This was the life. This was exciting. 
After they had gotten out of the car, the two almost skipped the entire way to the playground, forgetting that they were supposed to be on the lookout for Desmeralda. There was, fortunately, no sign of her or Kingsley yet, though. Still bubbling, Sophie and Yasmin lined up with the rest of Year 6, minus Clara. Chapter 12. Living Things in Their Habitats The morning passed off without incident. Sophie was moved back to her original seat at the back of Yasmin and the absent Clara. Kingsley appeared at school just before break time and told Mrs Phoenix that he'd gotten up late. She went easy on him with it being his second day and Ryan Myers had taken yet another day off, much to the annoyance of Mrs Tabard and her dinner money debt collecting. Sophie briefly worried about Desmeralda getting to the classroom to confront her again, but then soon realised that there was no way any creature, mythical or not, that would get past the scariest thing in Pinkleton Primary, Mrs Tabard. The feeling of excitement that started the day had all but faded from Sophie and Yasmin as they realised that zoning into school was pretty similar to just being at school normally. It had been a fun, necessary experiment, but actually it was a bit of an anticlimax. Dinner time then came and went as uneventfully as the morning. Sophie and Yasmin saw no point in eating and so sat on the playground hypothesising about how they might get Miss Sissons to sit down with Desmerelda without her spiriting her away as soon as look at her. They came up with nothing. The afternoon began as it always did, with registration and a maths arithmetic challenge. Sophie flew through it and Yasmin was close behind her. They both scored full marks and the spelling test mishap from the day before yesterday was forgotten. After that, Mrs Phoenix explained that they would be going out onto the now tidy field to finish their topic on living things and their habitats. Sophie remembered telling her dad the topic that they were doing and he said he remembered doing that when he was at school, but when he had done it, it had been all about the mythical creatures that that generation shared the planet with. He had studied centaurs and kraken while Sophie was left with just the average things that could now be found on the school grounds. Although, she had again asked Mrs Phoenix if she could recap some of the creatures from years ago. Mrs Phoenix had once more refused and told Sophie she was being silly for even asking. Mrs Phoenix outlined the task, which, as it was the last week before half-term, was merely to finish off what they had started earlier on in the week. Sophie and Yasmin pointed out to Mrs Phoenix that they had finished what they needed to do and so she assigned them the job of helping Kingsley out as he would have no idea what to do. I trust I can get you to work together without fighting and arguing breaking out, she asked Sophie and Kingsley rather patronisingly. Of course, miss, Sophie chirped back. Kingsley? Mrs Phoenix asked. Kingsley didn't answer. He just nodded, picked up his book and made his way onto the field with Sophie and Yasmin. The girls made their way towards their favourite spot, the willow tree. They sat down underneath it, and Kingsley parked himself next to them. There was an awkward silence for a few seconds before Yasmin, very unsubtly, asked, So what's the deal with these powers of yours? What powers? Kingsley replied, sarcastically, but the sarcasm went miles over Yasmin's head. Yasmin looked at him like he was being ridiculous. Oh, come on! We're two of the three that have seen you use them. Don't try and deny them. Sophie hit Yasmin on the arm to try and get her to stop quizzing him. But, after a moment's contemplation, Kingsley assured her it was OK. As far as he was now concerned, his secret was out with these two. 
and it felt quite liberating being able to share the powers with people and the bond that he'd built with Sophie yesterday lunchtime put him at ease even more. He had looked for possible friends like these all his life and he wasn't going to mess it up now. The blue electricity, or gas, or whatever it is, started when my mum came back, Kingsley said. Sophie and Yasmin sat forward in interest. They had battled a dragon yesterday and were now talking with a changeling who was almost completely new to his powers. Sophie was living every second of it. When she came back, the feeling started to travel through my body. While she was away, I just heard her voice and I couldn't understand what she was saying. Then, when she came to me, it all clicked, Kingsley elaborated. What did? Yasmin asked. Everything became clear, he replied. I could concentrate on things, see things and sense them. I can channel my energy into living things and do things to them. Like making the dragon disappear, Sophie asked. That was the biggest thing I've ever done, Kingsley said proudly. I'd only ever done insects or people trying to hurt me before. Why were people trying to hurt you? Yasmin asked, knowing what the answer already was, but wondering if Kingsley knew. Kingsley thought for a moment and took a deep breath. Like the woman with the dragon, they try to take my mum and me away and I have to stop them. They've come for you before, Yasmin asked. Sophie sat back slightly at this point as she and Kingsley had had this conversation yesterday, but Sophie decided Yasmin needed to hear it from him, not her. Yeah, Mum doesn't seem to know who they are, but they keep shouting hybrid at her and something about needing her to get home, but I don't let them take her. Yasmin thought for a minute. Has your mum ever used her powers? She asked, deliberately not telling Kingsley that she knew about the pensioners from yesterday. Yeah, but she isn't in control of them like I am. They seem to control her rather than the other way around. I can pick and choose except for the voices. She turns angry and afterwards the powers come out then she can't remember much of what's happened. Sophie surmised that this was because the changeling side of Desmerelda was fighting its way to the fore, gradually taking over her. On the other hand, Kingsley might be exaggerating how good he was and how bad his mum was to impress his new friends. The changelings must have been taking advantage of situations where Desmerelda was emotional to take over her, like when she first looked upon Kingsley or when she'd gotten upset at Sophie yesterday. Although Sophie did wonder why the changelings had left when they saw Desmerelda and not tried to capture her then. I have to look after her, Kingsley concluded. You said you could look after us. Sophie nodded. But we need to learn more about your powers first, because we know a woman that can help. But if your mum's powers take over her, then she will just lose control and spirit her away to the underworld as you did the dragon. Can you show us anything else? Sophie asked, quickly changing the subject. The blue glow inside Kingsley appeared again, but this time just at his fingertips. He looked at the grass under the willow tree. An ant was scurrying across one of the blades. Aiming his index finger towards it, a short blast of the energy came out and trapped the ant in a much tinier blue sphere than the one that entombed the dragon. Kingsley raised his hand and the ant lifted slowly off the ground. Sophie and Yasmin watched in fascination. Kingsley looked back at the ant and it suddenly grew to the size of his arm. Yasmin started to scream before getting her hand over her mouth to stop it from coming out and alerting someone. As soon as the noise came out, though, Kingsley shrunk the ant back down. Mrs Phoenix looked towards them as she looked at everyone out on the grass studying various creepy crawlies they were finding, but didn't take much notice. Whoa, Yasmin said when she'd calmed down. The ant was still floating in the air, but at its normal size again. 
What else? Sophie asked, more intrigued than ever. Loads, Kingsley replied. I can change the age of things, make them younger or older, shrink them, change their colours, the sending away power. We're calling it spiriting away. That sounds better, Yasmin interjected, and Kingsley continued. It's the one I can do best, though. The others I'm still practising. Sophie thought very carefully about what she was going to say next, as she didn't want to offend Kingsley, but she just had to ask. You said the voices disappeared from inside your head, but yet yesterday, when you got me into trouble, you had your hands over your ears like you were trying to block something out. Why were you doing that? Sophie was quite proud of how tactfully she'd managed to put it. That was the powers taking over Mum when I'm not with her. She talks to me and tries to make me do things. He'd gone right back into his shell again like he looked when he first came to the classroom. She still talks to me sometimes when I'm at school and tries to get me to do things. She wanted me to ask you where your old teacher was, but I wouldn't do it, Kingsley continued. Why not? Sophie asked. Because I don't know what she does or where she is when I'm not there. It's as if she's turned into a different person. I hate it. It wasn't very nice for me, Sophie replied, only half joking. Is there anything else you can tell us about her? For the first time since they'd sat under the tree, Kingsley looked at Sophie with an air of suspicion. All his life he'd had people trying to look after him, and none had succeeded. He had assumed these girls were different, but if they kept questioning him like this, he might just think they were out for their benefit and not his. Perhaps they were trying to use him for something they wanted. He had no idea what to think. Why? he asked. Sophie realised what was going on and was honest with him, which Kingsley appreciated greatly. Because we want to help with the voices, and we seem to be immune to your power, try and use the blue energy on me or Yasmin. Kingsley looked at her more baffled than anything this time. Go on, Sophie said. Are you sure? he asked. I must have just missed you last time. Kingsley, though, quickly surmised that if the girls really could help him, then he wouldn't hurt them by using his powers on them now, or if there was a mistake and he did end up spiriting them away, as they called it, he would be no worse off than he was before. Meanwhile, Sophie wondered for a split second whether Kingsley may have missed or whether her memory was playing tricks. If he had missed, this could be a very bad idea. Try it, she said, one last time, assuring herself that it would all be fine. Kingsley straight away called up the energy and aimed it at Sophie. The blue blast flew out of his hand, but, thankfully for Sophie, went straight through her. Kingsley looked extremely confused. I've never had that happen before. What are you? he asked. We're both special like you, Yasmin replied. So is Clara. We can help, Sophie added. Just give us the chance to. Tell your mum we would love to help her, but we have to be careful. Make her angry or emotional and we can't do anything for her. Kingsley looked so pleased. All his life he had been an outcast, a loner, the weird kid who always got into trouble. Now he had two people who were practically begging to help him and for the first time he could hear their voices. They weren't being drowned out by his mum's efforts to talk to him. What do you want me to say to her? he asked. Nothing yet, Sophie replied. We need a plan to keep everybody safe first. One thing you could find out is why exactly does she need to talk to Miss Sissons and what does she plan on doing to her once she meets her? Kingsley nodded in agreement and the three went back to playing about with his power. Sophie had finally found something new and exciting to do after six weeks of absolutely nothing. Chapter 13. Origins of a Hybrid The rest of the afternoon passed by very uneventfully. 
When it was time to go home, Yasmin and Sophie ran down the school driveway as usual and as soon as they were out of sight, they zoned back into Yasmin's bedroom. From one point of view, their trying out zoning into school was nothing more than a fun experiment that didn't prove anything other than school wouldn't be much different. On the other hand, it had given huge assurance to Kingsley that he wasn't the only child out there who was different and that, to Sophie, was priceless. She was finally getting to do what she always wanted to, help. When the two got up and out of Yasmin's bedroom, Sophie made her way downstairs and ran back home. The pair agreed to meet up at Scope at the usual time, seven o'clock, to give Miss Sissons the lowdown on what they had learnt. Arriving back home, Sophie saw Tom sprawled out on the living room settee watching television. Almost unheard of for a grown-up nowadays, while Lizzie was sat in her playpen, not looking very happy. Forgetting about her mum and dad having to now share an implant, Sophie asked, What are you doing? Where's mum? Gone out with her friends. She needed the implant access in case they wanted to share videos or photos, so I'm stuck here doing not a lot. How are you anyway, love? Tom sat up and dusted the crisp crumbs off himself. He must have been there for quite a while as he had made quite a mess on the floor. Seeing her dad wasn't quite himself, Sophie sat down and hugged him. Is everything okay, Dad? she asked. It's all fine, Soph. Things are just a bit tough at the minute. Work things. Her dad was a bit dishevelled like he was trying to hold something back from her in that annoying way that adults do when they think they're helping but aren't. Sophie didn't want to hear Tom talk about something that was going to upset him and he wasn't ready to talk about it, so she changed the subject. Dad, what do you remember about changelings? she asked him. The smile that Dad always made when Sophie would ask him something like that crept across his face. This was what made Sophie and him so close, their love of all things mythical. There was no stopping the pair of them when they were locked in a discussion like this. Dangerous creatures, was his short response, but Sophie knew there was more coming. They would swap people's children for their own kind and spirit away the other child. Never saw anything of them. They knew they were hated and so lived their lives in secret. Sophie nodded, but she already knew this. She was hoping her dad might tell her something new. Are there any incidents you can remember with them from years ago? She probed. Not really. Let me go and get my books, Tom said, before running off to get the famous book of clippings her dad had kept. Whilst waiting, Sophie bent down to look at her sister. Lizzie smiled as soon as Sophie's face got close. Sophie! she shouted. It still made Sophie smile that hers was the only name Lizzie had learnt so far. She hadn't said mummy or daddy yet, but had almost mastered her sister's name already. No one is spiriting us away, Sophie whispered to her, but Lizzie just kept on laughing at her sister. Tom returned to the room with one of his books and started scrolling through it. Eventually, he stopped at one page in particular. Here we are, a child that changed appearance overnight. This was believed to be the work of changelings, he said excitedly. Sure enough, the article stated that a young boy had been put to bed by his parents and when the parents had gone in the morning after, the boy looked completely different. Sophie was left intrigued by the story but unconvinced that it had anything to do with what was going on with Desmerelda. Is that the best you've got? she asked, not wanting to sound too ungrateful. Tom started flipping pages again. He stopped a few seconds later. What about this then? This girl disappeared from her home and was found ten years later, but she hadn't aged a day. This also intrigued Sophie. How was that possible? Tom replied, time travel, she said. 
said that she was taken by a ship and dropped off in the future. Only two minutes passed for her, but ten years for everyone else. Sophie snorted and scoffed. Time travel isn't possible, she said without thinking. Tom looked at her and studied her. How do you know? he asked. Thinking on her feet, Sophie went with, Don't know, just sounds a bit far-fetched. Hmm, Tom replied, not at all convinced by what his daughter just said. After looking at a few more articles that her dad had, Sophie finally found one that might have been of some use. What's this one? she asked, pointing at one right at the end of the book. This, I believe, is the last piece of changeling activity that anyone knows of, Tom explained, clearly confident in his knowledge. Sophie leant over to take a closer look. On the front of the paper was a photo of a woman holding a baby and the headline across the top read, Save My Baby. Sophie started to read. Last night, 32-year-old Persephone Roan was subject to a vicious ordeal when a group of changelings attempted to snatch her newborn daughter, Desmerelda. Taking place outside of Miss Roan's home in the heart of the Midlands, witnesses said that they saw three changelings, all dressed in green, attempt to snatch Desmerelda out of the hands of her loving mother while shouting, hand over the hybrid. Miss Roan has refused to comment on whether or not she is of changeling origin herself, but speculation has been rife amongst her neighbours for a while that she may well be, as they have been quoted as saying that they have seen strange groups of green-clothed women gathered around outside her house since November of last year. If Miss Roan is of changeling descent, then the birth of an actual changeling child would have a huge effect on the changeling community as a whole. Known for spiriting away children to the underworld, the government have taken great precautions in limiting their activities over recent years and cases of children going missing have plummeted as a result. However, the potential birth of a half-human, half-changeling hybrid has sparked rumours that the changelings now have the prospective power to overcome any limitations or safeguards put in place against them with some historical documents outlining that a hybrid of these sorts would be able to amplify their changeling powers exponentially, the government and police should aim to look into this matter further. At that point, Sophie stopped reading and turned to Tom. Why would a hybrid amplify the changeling powers? she asked, hoping he would know the answer. Tom smiled a knowing smile. A changeling can only access the mind of other changelings, meaning it could only harm a human child that it was next to. If there was a hybrid, then the changelings would have a link to every human child and potentially adult on Earth and could do whatever they wanted to whichever one they wanted, whenever they wanted, from wherever they wanted. Tom studied what he had said carefully before concluding that he had indeed been accurate. Sophie thought for a moment and asked Tom a question that she thought she already knew the answer to, more than her dad did anyway. What happened to this woman and her daughter? Nothing, her dad replied. As I said, this was the last news on changelings ever. She was never in the news again, so everyone must have assumed she was just a regular woman and was just drawing attention to herself. Sophie struggled with that. If her dad knew what she knew, then he would see that that wasn't what happened. That was an answer only Miss Sissons could give. Or the changelings left her and everyone else alone for another reason, Sophie suggested. Possibly, Tom replied, but it's been 35 years and there has been nothing mythical for the last 10. That you know of, Sophie muttered under her breath. What if, Sophie started, trying not to give away Miss Sissons' whole story, the changeling couldn't use the baby. 
What if this Desmerelda was useless to them until she got older and could recognise that she was part changeling or had started to show evidence that she was indeed what they thought she was? Tom looked at Sophie bemused. But that woman would be 35 now. Surely she would have known she was changeling by now and they would have done something. What if she'd been locked away with changelings unable to get at her? Sophie continued to bounce ideas off her dad, drawing her own conclusions with the knowledge that she had and her dad hadn't. Then you have one heck of a story, Tom concluded. Sophie wasn't finished. If the changelings could now get to her, then they could still channel her power and do huge damage to everyone. Sophie stared right through Tom for a few seconds. He just looked at her with his eyes wide and his nose turned up. He had seen her listen to his stories before and she had lapped them up, but this was different. He had never seen Sophie act like this before. Sophie, meanwhile, had put the pieces together. The changelings originally tried to take Desmerelda when she was a baby, but had realised they had no use for her until the changeling powers in her became apparent. Desmerelda's mum, Persephone, then went to the then Shadow and asked for protection for Desmerelda, which put Desmerelda on Shadow's radar for the future and may well have been granted, hence Desmerelda was never taken. Persephone then either died or disappeared through other means. Then, on the night Kingsley was brought home from the hospital, the powers had appeared in Desmerelda and the changelings were moving against her. However, Miss Sissons had gotten in first and taken Desmerelda to Zapfor, saving her from the threat of the changelings. Kingsley had lived his life with foster families and Desmerelda was trapped in Zapfor after the departure. Now free, Desmerelda was being hunted by changelings who were beginning to regain their powers after the return. Through a combination of Kingsley's skill and Desmerelda's new understanding of her abilities, they had kept them at bay so far, but... As the changelings grew in number, there would only be so long that Kingsley could fight them off with his mum and eventually Desmerelda would be captured and every child on earth would be under threat from the horde of changelings that would want revenge on humanity. As Sophie phased back into reality, it dawned on her that she couldn't tell Tom any of this and that she had to get to Scope as soon as possible to tell Miss Sissons, Yasmin and Clara, if she was there, the missing pieces of her jigsaw. In the meantime, though, she would have to play the role Tom was used to and not alert any more suspicions. So, she yawned and her dad put his arm around her. How are you anyway, Soph? Been ages since we flicked through my old clippings like this, Tom asked, presumably making sure his daughter was OK after she appeared to just stare blankly for about 30 seconds. I'm OK. You're OK, aren't you? Sophie quickly thought back to the arguing that her mum and dad were doing the other day and hoped Tom would clarify what it was all about. I'm fine, he replied, not very convincingly. You can tell me if anything isn't, Sophie said, taking on the role of the adult in the conversation. Tom just smiled a very unsure smile at her and hugged her extremely tightly. Things were not right with her mum and dad and Sophie knew it, but there was no way her dad was going to let his daughter in on his problems. That just wasn't his way. If Sophie didn't know better, she could have sworn that she heard her dad sob slightly as they hugged, but he quickly disguised it when the hug ended. Still going to the football on Saturday? he asked. Wouldn't miss it, Sophie replied. Are you on a shift at work tomorrow at all? No, Tom replied. They don't need me tomorrow, so your mum is going out again while I stay here and look after Lizzie. At that, Tom went and sat back down on the settee while Sophie went back to his scrapbook and took a photo with her implant, which she immediately sent to the other three. 
She then walked off to her bedroom via another play with Lizzie. Chapter 14. Half a plan. So where is she? Sophie asked, incredulous. It was the third or fourth time that week that Clara hadn't been involved in a scope discussion and Sophie was continuing to question her commitment to the cause. The other two regulars, Yasmin and Miss Sissons, had been sitting around with Sophie for a few minutes, discussing the possibility of getting Desmerelda to wear an implant and meet with Miss Sissons that way for about 20 minutes, when Sophie had, once again, drawn attention to the fact that the most experienced girl in the group wasn't there. She's coming, Soph. Give her time, Miss Sisson said calmly, but with a tone implying that Sophie shouldn't pry any more. Sophie ignored this warning. Who does she think she is? She never comes to training or joins in with these discussions. What right does she have to be here? She says she isn't well enough to go to school, but then I find her logged into her implant all night. How do you know? Miss Sissons asked, knowing she caught Sophie out. Er, uh, I'm guessing that's what she does, Sophie replied very sheepishly and clearly lying. No, you said that you'd found her like that. How do you know? Miss Sissons continued to probe. Sophie admitted defeat and decided there was no lying her way out of this one. Now was a time for the good girl to take a hit and hopefully get credit for being honest. I zoned into her bedroom when she didn't come here and I found her like that. So you spied on her? Yasmin asked. No, I wanted to know what she was up to. Sophie quickly replied, trying to convince the pair of them that they were two completely different things. That is spying, Yasmin said without batting an eye. Miss Sisson stood next to Yasmin and looked to agree with her. I just wanted to make sure she was okay, Sophie pleaded, not getting the credit for being honest she had hoped for. I was worried about her. What did I tell you to do? Miss Sissons quizzed her in a way that Sophie had seen her quiz children, mostly Ryan, that had done something wrong at school and she wasn't falling for the good girl act that Sophie had relied upon with others. You said to leave her alone and let her come to us in time, Sophie replied, with her tail firmly between her legs. Miss Sissons just nodded and couldn't muster up any words and so changed the topic slightly. I know you're fed up, Soph. You thought you would be battling this creature and that, but it isn't like that. You have to wait for something worth dealing with. The major things only happen very rarely. Miss Sissons walked away from Yasmin's chair and over to the round table in the centre of the third floor of the control room. She beckoned the girls over and tapped a few buttons on the side of it. On top, a huge, dark blue map of the world appeared with an incredible number of white dots scattered across what Sophie knew to be the major cities. Do you know what this is? She asked Sophie and Yasmin. Looks like every living person on earth, Sophie said. It's every living person on... How do you know? Miss Sissons asked. She had briefly returned to being the teacher the two girls remembered. Miss Sissons tapped another button on the side of the table and the light showing the people changed to a greener colour and a constantly changing number appeared at the foot of the map. It read something around the 12 billion mark, but it kept changing. Do you know what this is? Miss Sissons asked. Before Sophie could steal her thunder again, she leapt in with the answer. It's how many intelligent creatures live on Earth right now, those we could potentially be of interest in anyway. Yasmin and Sophie looked slightly impressed, but wondered where she was going with this. Press that button, Miss Sissons instructed Sophie. She was pointing at a green button that said filter on it. Sophie duly pressed it. The colours of some of the dots changed to red. The number at the bottom dropped dramatically to more like two billion. These are all the ones that aren't human, Miss Sissons then said. 
Sophie and Yasmin were more impressed by this. So there are potentially two billion creatures on Earth at the minute that we could need to do something about? Sophie asked. No, Miss Sisson said, catching Sophie off guard. This was before the breakout at Zatvor. This was when the world was quiet and the pulse was still on. The number now is much more like this. Miss Sissons pressed the green button again and the red dots increased in number and the number went up dramatically. A quarter of a billion creatures escaped from Zatvor, Yasmin asked, astonished, impressed with herself that she could read the numbers. All the place value lessons had paid off. No, only two million, Miss Sisson said. So why has the number gone up so much? Sophie asked. I don't know. I don't know where they're all coming from, Miss Sissons replied. Another planet? Yasmin asked. It isn't out of the question, Miss Sissons replied, but I can't find any evidence of any arrivals. Sophie was stumped by this. The population of Earth's human and mythical creatures had increased by an almost uncountable number in six weeks and nobody knew why. Where are they all? Sophie asked. They are all over the world. No pattern to it, Miss Sissons replied. Sophie and Yasmin looked beyond confused. Why are you only just telling us this now? Yasmin then asked. Miss Sissons thought for a moment and smiled. Up until now, you have been enjoying yourselves. You didn't need any motivation to come here, but now the novelty of doing not a lot is wearing off. I need to convince you that all this hard work isn't for nothing. Sophie and Yasmin understood. If Miss Sissons hadn't shown them this, then they would stop coming over to Scope as regularly as they were doing. This had piqued Sophie's curiosity. You aren't doing anything, Sophie, she began again. If the changelings get the amount of power they could potentially get, there are two and a half billion children who would be susceptible to them. Two and a half billion children under ten could be sent to the underworld to be replaced by two and a half billion new changelings. The world is at stake here, Sophie. Don't lose track of that. These changelings are highly dangerous and cannot be underestimated. Sophie changed her tact almost immediately. If Miss Sissons had shown her these six weeks ago, she never would have lost the drive to succeed like she was starting to. There was a clear and present danger to Earth, the children in it and their parents, and Sophie, Yasmin and Clara were all that could stop them. We have to get Desmerelda in before the changelings find her, Miss Sissons said determinedly. The only thing we can do is zone her in here. You have nothing on the shop floor that could help, Yasmin asked. This is new, Yaz. This is a potential level of power in Mythical I haven't seen before. Every simulation I have run has told me that nothing we have would be good enough. So, I've been testing some new modified things that I think could help. Sophie was becoming quite scared by what Miss Sissons was telling her, but she figured that that had been her intention all along. She realised again that she had a duty here, and that moaning about lack of things to do or where Clara was should not be at the forefront of her mind. Thinking more concisely, Sophie finally remembered the creepy woman that had been spying on her, Yasmin and Clara, while they were around the school. She pulled up the picture and sent it to Miss Sissons. Any idea who this is? she asked. Miss Sissons picked up the message and sent the photo to the control room computer, which ran a scan of the face. I'll be able to tell you in a minute, she said. Before the results could come through, though, there was an almighty crash from one of the lower floors of the control room. Sophie, Yasmin and Miss Sissons ran to the top of the stairs to see what it was. Two floors down, Clara was rolling about on the floor, covered in mud and dripping wet. She was wrestling with a creature that seemed to be getting the better of her. What on earth are you doing? Yasmin shouted. Bit of help, 
Clara shouted back as she was thrown off the creature that looked strangely familiar to Sophie now that she could sort of see it from a distance. Sophie and Yasmin zoned out and zoned back in again at the level Clara was at to avoid having to run down the stairs. Miss Sissons followed, having grabbed something from the table. Getting to the creature first, Sophie picked it up and threw it at a table which seemed to knock it out. Yasmin went to Clara and picked her up off the floor. Finally reaching the bottom of the stairs, Miss Sissons raced across to the creature and examined it. All right, she asked Clara without looking up from the creature. Oh, I'm just fine, Clara replied, extremely sarcastically. I've been roaming the Amazon rainforest all afternoon. I'm wet through and covered in mud. You're in your avatar, Yasmin pointed out. Just log out and back in again. Clara looked at her with a look of, do you honestly think I wouldn't have done that if I could? And Yasmin stopped talking. She then briefly vanished and reappeared again, all clean and looking more refreshed. Shut up, Yaz, she said, unable to hide the smile on her face. Yasmin just burst out laughing. Sophie wasn't listening to the goings-on behind her. She was much more distracted by the creature on the floor. She tentatively walked over to it and rolled it over so it was face up. In front of her was a human-sized creature with pink skin, a dolphin face and black lines all around its eyes. Sophie recognised it immediately as the Encantado that had stopped the group in Zapfor six weeks ago. What's that doing here? Yasmin asked anyone willing to listen. Determinedly, Clara said, it's going to help me find my mum and dad. Sophie turned away from the creature and immediately understood why Clara had been so distant. All of a sudden, everything was forgiven. The lies, the lack of friendship over the last few weeks, her not being as excited about everything as Sophie was. It was all gone. Sophie felt awful for some of the things she had said about Clara and felt sick with herself when she thought about the fact that she had been spying on her. She ran over to her cousin and hugged her. She whispered an apology so quietly that she wasn't sure Clara even heard it, but it made Sophie feel better. What's that on its head? Yasmin asked tentatively, not wanting to get too close to it. That's the modified implant that we are going to try in Desmerelda. It will prevent her changeling form from coming through, hopefully. Clara was trying it out for us first, and this seemed like the best test subject, Miss Sissons replied. How did you find it? Sophie asked directing her question at Clara. I've been tracking it for weeks in the Amazon. Tonight was the first time I could get close enough to stick that on its head. Sophie looked baffled. A modified implant, she asked. Miss Sissons looked around at the creature and helped to explain. In Brazil, Clara stuck the implant on the side of the creature's head. That knocked it out instantly, and the next thing it knew, it was here. But it's still in Brazil, Yasmin asked. Yes, hidden in a deep hole that it can't get out of. Clara replied. Come with me and see. Clara typed out a link for Sophie and Yasmin to click on and the girls obliged. Miss Sissons didn't bother. She had seen the Amazon a million times before. As Sophie clicked on the link, she was transported into a brand new surrounding that Sophie had read about and studied at school but never dreamt she would be able to visit. It was unlike any place that Sophie had ever been to. When she looked up, all she could see were different shades of green. What should have been the blue skyline was being shielded by the leaves of the trees as they reached out towards the clouds. On her left, the most enormous insect that Sophie had ever seen crawled along a huge leaf that protruded out from one of the monstrous trees. Soph, Clara said, in an attempt to snap Sophie back to reality. What? Sophie said, without stopping staring at her surroundings. 
Down here, Clara replied, pointing a few metres ahead of where they were. Yasmin was pushing giant leaves out of the way and the girls made their way through the forest. After a few steps, Clara stopped them and pointed down towards the floor. Bending down, she moved a few sticks and leaves out of the way to reveal a huge hole. Down there, Clara pointed. Sophie and Yasmin both peered into the hole and, sure enough, there was the Encantado that the girls had left in scope. It was lying at the bottom of the hole, completely unable to get out. Clara shouted down, Tell me everything you can about my mum and dad and I will let you go. She was in control of the situation and both she and the Encantado knew it. Determined and not in the slightest bit looking like it was ready to give in, the Encantado sarcastically replied, Which one would you like to know about first? Clara knew it wasn't ready to talk and just covered the hole up again and the three girls zoned back into scope where they found Miss Sissons attending to the same Encantado still lying on the floor. So there are two of them, Yasmin again tried to clarify. Yes, Yas, Miss Sissons replied. One in Brazil and one here. Yes, Yas. Both conscious. Yes, Yas. And the one in Brazil thinks it's the only one and the one here is a copy but thinks it's the real one. You got it, Miss Sissons finished. This is getting more and more complicated, Yasmin concluded. Yes, Yaz, honestly, keep up, Miss Sissons snapped in her harmless tone of fake annoyance. It seems to work, Sophie added. Will it stay in Brazil for long without realising? As far as we know, it will last forever, Miss Sissons confirmed. It's completely under our control and that's why it's so perfect for Desmerelda. We can put one on her and project her here where I can talk to her and tell her everything without the risk of her changeling half coming through. Like the Encantado, we can keep her conscious so that she can evade any changelings that come looking for her. Basically, she will be in two places at once, but the one that comes to me will have no powers. Her memories will then marry back up when she turns off the implant. How do we get it on her? Yasmin asked. Will it be extremely dangerous and require some sort of over-the-top action? Yasmin asked, getting slightly more excited. No, we just tell her that if she does it, she will get to meet with me and I will answer all her questions. Then I can get her protected from the hordes of changelings that we now know are after her, Miss Sissons answered, putting a bit of a dampener on Sophie and Yasmin's excitement. If this is more like being in two places at once than we have at the moment, Sophie began, why aren't we wearing them? It would have made this whole school thing a lot easier. Yasmin and Clara both looked at Miss Sissons as Sophie had just pointed out something that to them was blindingly obvious and waited for her justification. Miss Sissons just looked at them like they were being daft. Because one, for now, it will only project the copy of you into somewhere under scope control, be it here or Zapfel or... Miss Sissons paused. Other such places. Two, I only built them the other night. And three, you spend enough time logged in here without me giving you any excuse to spend even more. You can't be here all day every day. That wouldn't be good for you. The girls wanted to appeal this idea, but the three of them soon realised that Miss Sisson was right and that they would just abuse the ability. A beep emanated from the screen that Miss Sissons had abandoned on the floor above before the girls' whistle-stop trip to Brazil. The four of them ran up the stairs to see what it was. On the monitor was a photo of the lady that Sophie had taken a picture of, although she looked slightly younger. Underneath it read, Agnes West. What's that? Clara asked. Miss Sissons looked rather alarmed. It's the woman that Sophie took a photo of that she thought was following her. She's a changeling. 
What about this one? Clara asked, blinking to send a message to Miss Sissons. She uploaded it into the system. Who's this? She asked. Another woman who was lurking outside school the other day, Clara replied. Sophie didn't know she had taken the picture, but was very grateful that she had. The four waited for a few seconds for the system to match it with its records. It didn't take long. Underneath the picture, this time, it read, Jadis Medusa. Another changeling? You say that this woman was outside school as well? The three girls nodded. They're gathering girls, and they're getting closer, Miss Sisson said, looking extremely worried. They've worked out where Desmerelda is, and will soon be able to snatch her and use her. We have to act soon, because she and Kingsley can't hold them off forever as their numbers grew. Can't we get her tonight? Yasmin asked, seeing it as a fair question. We don't know where she is, Miss Sissons replied. She has no implant, so I can't track her, and she doesn't have a home address. The three girls looked baffled, but all four of them agreed that they would have to get Desmerelda as soon as possible the day after. Otherwise, it was just a matter of time before the changelings got to her first and used her ability to do goodness knows what to the children of Earth. A half-plan was agreed on. Before they all left for the night, how Sophie was supposed to go to sleep after this was beyond her, Clara led the girls back down the stairs to where the Encantado was still unconscious. The three of them stood around it. We would have helped, you know, Sophie said respectfully. I know, Clara replied, but this is something I have to do. That thing told me my dad was looking for me, so I have to find out where he and my mum are. My dads have given me their blessing, but they have no idea how I'm looking for them. Sophie put her arm round Clara, and Clara reciprocated. As she did so, Clara's avatar appeared to change her persona again. A girl with reddish hair hugged Sophie back, but it immediately changed back to Clara when they stopped embracing. Isn't that annoying you? Sophie asked. Yes, Clara replied, but what can I do about it? Miss Sisson says she has no clue what's causing it and can't find anything wrong. Sophie shrugged and could see that if it wasn't bothering Clara, then she shouldn't let it bother her. Clara had a functioning implant, but for whatever reason it kept on changing the way it thought she should look. What do we do with it then? Sophie asked, changing the subject. Lock it up in Zapfall for now. I can't look for my parents if the changelings alter the world in such a way that I can't find them, so it will have to wait. Clara wasn't upset by this. She had a glint in her eye. She knew the Encantado would keep and that her mission thus far had been accomplished. Now she was fully behind the stopping of the changelings. Miss Sissons came down the stairs and told the girls that she would deal with the creature and make sure it got to where it needed to go, and the three girls prepared to zone back to their regular lives. Tomorrow was going to be a big day. Chapter 15. A Brief Encounter Bang! 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 Desmerelda was woken from her snooze by a loud thudding noise emanating from the front door. It was nine in the evening and Kingsley had gone to bed about an hour ago. Since then, she had slumped into the chair in the living room and had dozed off. The thumping noise was a far cry from the incessant screaming and crying that had surrounded her at Zatvor for all those years, but it had been enough to startle her back into action. She crept to the front door, hoping that her footsteps wouldn't wake Kingsley, although if he hadn't been woken by the banging of the front door, then nothing was going to disturb him. 
Cautiously, she slid the chain off and peered around the door. What greeted her was the sight of two of the small groups she had mingled with at Zapfor. There was the Astomy, Eberon, and the Monticello, Gangene. The pair of them looked awful, and Desmeralda felt a sudden rush of power through her body. A memory began to appear again, but she ignored it as she was too taken aback by the state of her friends. Help us, Eberon asked, seemingly getting straight to the point. Gangine nodded, and Desmeralda stepped outside in a panic. She didn't want anything of her past life in the house near Kingsley. Help with what? What are you doing here? she asked, hurriedly trying to get rid of them. You are in pain, the Eberon replied. It made you easy to find. But what are you doing here? Desmeralda repeated, clearly flustered that the creatures were still there and weren't explaining themselves. Our homes have been destroyed, replied Eberon. We can't stay here. So what have you come to me for? Go and find a new home. You have your freedom. Use it. Desmeralda was now desperate to get rid of them. But why? Eberon continued. Don't you remember what you were told? There is no point in us staying. We would rather take our chances in the underworld with your kind than stay here and so would millions of others who had managed to find sanctuary over the last ten years. Even they're scared. Mythicals are even leaving the sanctuary of Meliora in an effort to escape. Desmeralda was only half listening to the content of the explanation and was picking and choosing the words she heard, searching for key ones that weren't vague and irrelevant. What? No, I don't have powers. I can't do anything. Go and live your life. Desmeralda knew she was bending the truth, but it was for her former friend's good. But it was you that issued the warning. You were given the message. You were going to save us all, Eberon explained. What are you talking about? Desmeralda was almost screaming at them, but thought if she did so, then she would wake the street and that would cause a scene. Gangine had simply stood behind Eberron up until this point, holding a flower that Desmeralda knew she needed to keep her life force flowing. Now, though, she held the flower out for Desmeralda to take. What do I want this for? Desmeralda asked. That is all that's left of Link's home, Eberron replied. He vanished last night without warning. Humans were seen near, but he was not to be found. He just wanted to go back to living his life. What? Desmeralda felt like she'd used that word a lot. The humans will come for us next, Eberon continued, and if they don't come, then you know what is coming after. At hearing this warning and thinking about her friend Link, who had helped keep her sane at the start of her stint in Zatvor, Desmeralda thought a bit harder with a newfound focus, the energy bubbling inside her and fizzing around her fingertips. From deep inside her, something flashed into her memory again. Something important. Something she knew she couldn't forget. Something the inexplicable force inside of her wanted her to now remember. Thinking with a new sense of clarity, Desmeralda beckoned the two of them in under strict instruction to stay quiet and not to wake her son. Throughout the long conversation, the energy flowed through Desmeralda. If she had had the button to press to alert Jane, she would have been pressing it more than ever. Two sides of her seemed to be working together in a way they never appeared to before. After a long evening, she bid farewell to her friends and for some reason, that she only half understood, explained that she would help if she could and the two creatures prepared to flee away into the night to find others who needed help and arranged to tell them when and where this help would come. Desmeralda calmed down and inexplicably the memory of the whole evening started to fade along with the energy. 
she then dozed off again onto the settee and the energy subsided and so did the memory of the entire encounter. When she woke up late the following morning, Kingsley was shaking her, telling her that he didn't want to be late for school as he'd made friends now. Her energies completely gone, Desmerelda jumped up with a start and began to help get Kingsley ready. The meeting last night was now a distant memory and Desmerelda fell back into being a mum. Chapter 16. Trying and failing. Step one of the plan was agreed upon before the girls retired back home for what would be a very sleepless night. They all concurred that with the number of changelings that were starting to gather around Pinkleton Primary School, it would be a good idea if Sophie, Clara and Yasmin went to school as their avatars again. It had proven uneventful yesterday, but with this new knowledge that the changelings were gathering, it seemed like common sense to all of them. That night, having returned to her bedroom, Sophie went into the kitchen before trying to go to sleep. As she walked through the living room, she saw her dad had fallen asleep on the settee with the television still on. She decided not to wake him and so found a blanket and placed it over him. He gave a little snore as she did so and Sophie kissed his forehead. Having gotten some water out of the fridge, Sophie then went through Lizzie's room and kissed her goodnight as well, but prepared for her feed later. As Sophie lay in bed, she briefly wondered exactly where her mum was and why her dad had fallen asleep on the living room furniture. She then realised that she could think about that another time and so concentrated again on the plan for tomorrow and trying to get some sleep. The four of them had agreed that they would try and talk to Desmerelda discreetly on the playground before school when all the children were playing before the whistle blew. They would explain to her that Miss Sissons, Jane to Desmerelda would like to talk to her and that putting the modified implant on the side of her head would be the best way to do it. They would then tell her to go home and do as they instructed. The three of them would then keep an eye on Kingsley throughout the day and help ensure that he stayed calm and relaxed about everything going on at home. Sophie thought for hours that night about things that could be changed to improve the plan but she couldn't think of anything. Not knowing where Kingsley and Desmerelda lived, she found it difficult to wait for the following morning, but what choice did she have? Eventually, Sophie fell asleep and dreamt of the half-term that was coming after the final day of school tomorrow, one whole week of just her, her family and her implant. Previously, Sophie had hated half-terms because she loved school so much, but now, with Mrs Phoenix in charge, it was a lot more of a chore than it used to be. Sophie couldn't wait. Mum had said a few days ago that they could spend some time with Nan and Sophie started to like that idea. She slept happily at the thought of her family. The morning after, whilst tucking into breakfast and talking to Tom about the virtual trip to the football tomorrow to kickstart the holiday, the buzzer rang meaning someone was at the door on the bottom floor. Sophie darted over and answered it. Clara's excited tones rang through the speaker. Why are you using the bell? You could zone in at the top of the stairs, Sophie said through gritted teeth. Just trying to keep it as normal as possible, Clara replied. We don't want your mum and dad getting suspicious. Sophie put her pots in the sink and caught sight of some wine bottles that had accumulated in the recycling overnight. She didn't think much of them, but did ask Tom on the way out. Where's mum? She's still in bed. She got in late last night, he replied, trying to feed Lizzie a slice of toast without her throwing it on the floor. Sophie kissed him and Lizzie goodbye and scurried over to the lift. The plan yesterday had worked so well that Sophie and Yasmin thought it would be silly to change it and so Sophie and Clara made their way over to Yasmin's house to zone out there for the day. 
Nicholas was away as usual and Zoe would go to work, leaving the girls in peace. Arriving at Yasmin's house in a flurry of excitement, Clara and Sophie crept up to Yasmin's room to zone out. Whilst the three of them sat there in anticipation, Clara noticed what Sophie had spotted the previous day. Yasmin's room was full of some really expensive clothes and equipment. Where did you get all this from? Clara asked. Yasmin looked bemused at her. All the stuff? Some of it's expensive, Clara added. Yasmin recapped the story from yesterday for Clara's benefit and explained how her dad was so incredibly proud of her for what she had done and how hard she had been working. Why exactly is he proud of you? Sophie asked, not wanting to sound rude, but inevitably coming across as it. Because I was picked. Out of all the girls in the world, I was picked, Yasmin said in a rather condescending way, forgetting that Clara had actually been chosen before her by Miss Sissons and Mr King and that Sophie had been the main target on the day that Yasmin got hers and she was only really chosen as she was Sophie's friend. Right, Clara replied, not quite believing what she was hearing. Have you worn any of these clothes? Sophie asked. Yasmin was oblivious to her friend's disbelief. Only once or twice, Yasmin replied. They get old so quickly. Do you want any of them? Sophie and Clara looked at each other and for a split second actually considered saying yes, but something inside them both told them that they shouldn't and that their best friend was being spoilt by her dad, who was feeling guilty about always being away. Before Sophie and Clara could decline politely, Zoe's voice echoed up the stairs. Do you want a lift? she asked. I'm driving past school today. The girls thought for a second. As long as she doesn't realise that we are in her avatars, there's no harm, Yasmin surmised. Sophie and Clara both shrugged and lay down on the floor of Yasmin's overcrowded bedroom while Yasmin lay on the bed. A few seconds later and the girls' avatars stood looking over their zoned out bodies. The three ran downstairs and jumped into Zoe's car. As Sophie climbed in, she saw a woman on the other side of the road staring at her and her friends again. This one, though, had company. To the woman's left looked to be some sort of leprechaun. It still wore the green hood, but Sophie noticed it was decidedly shorter and seemed to have a beard growing out from under its hood. On the other side of the changeling was a creature also wearing the green hood, a creature that seemed to have wings like a pixie underneath her robe. There weren't just changelings that were gathering now. Different types of creatures were joining them. Sophie's blood ran cold, or it would have done had she not been in her avatar, and she quickly took a photo and sent it to Miss Sissons once they were all on their way to school. As the journey continued, Sophie was suddenly very relieved that they were in the car because as she looked out the window, she noticed more and more women and green-hooded figures from all sorts of species that had simply stopped what they were doing to turn and look at the car. This both worried Sophie and confused her. She now understood that the women who had been staring at them were changelings who were being awoken, but why were they staring at her, Clara and Yasmin? Why did they now seem to be being joined by other mythical creatures? Surely they should have been looking for Kingsley and Desmeralda, and if changelings were that dangerous, wouldn't the other beings want to stay away from them? Each time she saw one, she took a photo of them and sent it to Miss Sissons so she could see exactly which were in the area. Sophie also found herself getting more and more cross with the humans. All of them were simply walking or driving past all of these unusual creatures that were out there to cause their children harm. However, they didn't notice them because they were too transfixed by their implants. Eventually, the car pulled up outside the school and the three girls jumped out and instantly started scanning for Kingsley or Desmeralda. 
Sophie had remembered to take the modified implant out of her real pocket and put it in the avatar's pocket, and so all they had to do was find Desmeralda and explain that Miss Sissons shared her desire and wanted to talk to her. The girls split up to search every inch of the playground, but there was no sign. They ran in and out of all the parents and other children, but neither Kingsley nor Desmeralda were there yet. What are we going to do? Yasmin asked. Nothing we can do, Clara quickly replied. He's been late every day he's been here so far, Sophie added. He's probably going to do the same again. For 15 minutes, the girls sat at the front gate, hoping that Kingsley would arrive before school started. They twiddled their thumbs and messaged Miss Sissons to let her know what was happening, but there was no sign. She also put in her reply that she had no clue why the other creatures were joining with the changelings, but that it was probably even more dangerous than they had originally thought. What evidence she was basing this opinion on, Sophie didn't know, but Miss Sissons had dealt with this kind of thing before and so knew what she was talking about. Even as the whistle blew to mark the start of the school day, the girls, as slowly as possible, made their way to the class line, hoping against hope that they could get this sorted before they got to the classroom. There was no such luck. Hurry up, you three! Mrs Phoenix screeched from the front of the line of year six. The girls meandered over, looking at Mrs Phoenix like they would rather be anywhere but there. They reluctantly attached themselves to the back of the line and followed the snake of children into the classroom. Taking their seats at their desks, the three girls realised they were going to have to go with Plan B. One of them would cause a distraction in the classroom when Kingsley arrived so that one of the others could zone out into the main reception or school driveway to catch Desmeralda and tell her what to do. Ironically, it would prove even more difficult to do with the three girls all sitting back to back. Had they been on the other side of the room from each other, one could have disappeared out of the room whilst Mrs Phoenix was looking at whatever distraction had been caused. Could we arrange for another dragon? Clara asked, half joking. She left the room pretty quickly that day. Tensely, the girls got their books out and started to write the date. It was feeling like quite a long, nerve-wracking wait. Chapter 17. It's a go. Seconds felt like hours to the girls as they sat during maths, waiting for Kingsley to walk in the door. They had children arriving late at school quite a lot, but never had the world potentially depended on a child turning up to school on time. Sophie sat uneasily in her seat. She chewed her pencil and leant back on her chair. Before she knew it, she was rocking backwards to get a better view of the classroom door to see if she could see Kingsley. Sophie, don't rock, please, Mrs Phoenix requested politely. Without realising what she was doing, Sophie was so far away in her world that she didn't hear the demand and, as a result, didn't acknowledge Mrs Phoenix or stop rocking on her chair. Sophie, I've asked you once. Mrs Phoenix asked again. Fortunately, Yasmin heard her and pushed Sophie's chair back on the ground, catching Sophie off guard. What are you doing? She chunted as quietly as she could at Yasmin. She's stopping you from getting into trouble again, young lady, Mrs Phoenix interrupted. Sophie stared at her, completely oblivious to the two requests Mrs Phoenix had made of her. Why? Sophie asked. I beg your pardon. I have asked you twice to stop rocking on your chair and you've ignored me both times, Mrs Phoenix retorted, understandably put out by Sophie's ignorance. Sorry, Sophie said half-heartedly. Before Mrs Phoenix could launch into any more of a telling off, the classroom door opened and Kingsley walked in. Plan B was a go. Putting it into motion, Sophie asked a still put out Mrs Phoenix, Can I go to the toilet? 
Mrs Phoenix looked completely bewildered at this girl who had ignored her request twice and was now asking a question that she full well knew the answer to. No, came the response. Can I? Yasmin asked, seeing an opportunity to step in. No, replied Mrs Phoenix, getting even more worked up. Can I go then? Clara asked. The lesson was fast descending into a farce. Look, no one is going to the toilet. You should have gone before school started. Those are the rules. You know that. Mrs Phoenix said in an aggressive tone that the children had now gotten used to, so it had lost all effect. Sophie was infuriated by the ridiculousness of the situation. The world, or the very existence of millions of children on it, could be at stake, and she wasn't going to be stopped by some trumped-up coward of a teacher who had no idea what was going on. As a result, Sophie stood up from her seat and started to make her way towards the door into the corridor that led to the toilet in Mrs Phoenix's eyes, but the reception area to Sophie, where she knew she would find Esmeralda. She confidently strode through the room and the chairs of her classmates parted for her as she began what the children saw as a mini-revolt against the supply teacher. "'Where are you going?' Mrs Phoenix demanded to know. "'I am going to the toilet.' Sophie replied, without breaking stride or making eye contact with her teacher. You are not, young lady. You walk out that door and it won't matter what's going on at home. You will be in huge trouble, Mrs Phoenix shouted. Sophie ignored her, walked straight past Kingsley, who was baffled as it was normally him getting told off by a teacher, and opened the classroom door. Without a second thought, Sophie walked straight through it and down the corridor. Mrs Phoenix and the rest of the class including Clara and Yasmin, sat there in complete disbelief. As she turned the corner, which would put her on a straight path to the reception area, she noticed from the 15 metres or so she was away from it that there was only Mrs Tabard there and she wasn't talking to anyone. Desmerelda must have left already. Sophie had to think on her feet and so hid in one of the other toilets she was supposedly going to, out of sight. Almost straight away, she realised she would have to zone into the school car park to catch her as she walked down the drive. There was no time to lose, and she zoned out again and found herself surrounded by the teacher's cars. She quickly scanned everywhere around her. There was no sign of the changeling. Sophie then zoned onto the pavement at the bottom of the school driveway to see if she was walking down the road. Again, there was no sign. A message flashed up in front of her eyes. It was from Clara. Kingsley says his mum left pretty quickly. He doesn't know his new address, but knows he always turns right out of school and walks for about five minutes. You don't want to come back here. Mrs Phoenix is calling in Mrs Jones about you walking out of class. They're searching the school for you. Sophie knew she would have to deal with that later and so went to zone to the bottom of the road. Before she did, a group of four women, with what appeared to be their small pets, hurried past her down the road as well. Sophie didn't have time to study them carefully, but assumed the smaller animals were dogs, although they could have passed for imps. The changelings could sense that Desmerelda was close, and so Sophie had to move fast to get her to Miss Sissons. Zoning to the bottom of the road, Sophie spun a full 360 to see if there was any sign of her. Finally, seeing Desmerelda coming towards her, Sophie zoned so that she was right in front of her. Shocked at having a ten-year-old girl appear out of nowhere immediately in her path, Desmerelda took a step back. Where did you come from? she asked. That doesn't matter. Take this, Sophie replied, giving Desmerelda the modified implant that she had kept in her pocket. Still confused, Desmerelda took it, but then asked, What is it? What do I want this for? Sophie knew exactly what she had to say to cut the conversation short. Run home, put it on, and it will take you to Jane. 
The look of confusion on Desmerelda's face changed to one of realisation. So you do know her and you know where she is? Sophie cut her off. There's no time for that. Get home. Desmerelda realised straight away that Sophie was serious and hugged her before saying a very heartfelt and forgiving thank you. Sophie watched her run down the road and turn the corner. There were no changelings in sight and Sophie breathed a huge sigh of relief, although it wasn't actually breathing as Sophie was still in her avatar. Now though, she was going to have to face the music at school. Walking out of class was a serious thing and not the sort of behaviour that people had come to expect of children at Pinkleton Primary, never mind one of the school's best role models and most recognised pupils. Before Sophie did zone back into school, she took a deep breath, which again meant nothing with her being in her avatar, and looked up at the sky. Flying very high overhead were three of the largest, weirdest-shaped birds she had ever seen. Activating the zoom function on her avatar, she identified them straight away. They weren't birds at all. They were pegasuses, horses with wings. She had read about them with her dad when she was younger, but had obviously never seen one in the wild before. But here they were three of them flying in constellation. Sophie remembered what Miss Sissons had said. The mythical creatures were very gradually growing in number and so were logically becoming more common and they seemingly weren't shying away anymore. Sophie was experiencing this firsthand now and it was a glorious sight. Their smooth white fur was only beaten in beauty by their glorious manes which swished down their backs like lightning stroking a cloud. At that moment, Sophie wasn't watching them fly overhead. She pictured herself sitting upon one with the wind racing through her hair and no cares in the world bothered her. Having taken their beauty and majesty in, as well as the fact that they were there in the first place, Sophie was quickly brought back to reality by realising she was going to have to go back to school. Worried, she zoned off the street. She couldn't face going back to school just yet, so... She zoned back into her body in Yasmin's bedroom first, but knew that there would be some sort of deadline. It wouldn't be that long until the teachers checked the toilet she was in. She was sweating and felt sick to her stomach, even though she hadn't moved. Having never done anything naughty in her whole life, up until the start of this week anyway, she really had overstepped the mark today, and there would surely be no lying her way out of this one. Punching Kingsley, Kingsley had helped her get away with it, Lying about Ryan getting her into trouble, she had been saved by the dragon on the field. Lying to her mum about homework was something that every child had done at some point in their lives. This time, looking at it from Mrs Phoenix's point of view and the point of view of the rest of the class, she was guilty as charged. She had just vehemently disregarded the teacher's request and left the room without permission. As she staggered to her feet, still in a state of shock at what she had done, Sophie tried to think of her options and the consequences. Mum and Dad would surely be called in again and with whatever it was that was going on at home it would upset them both even more than it would have done. Continuing to hobble around Yasmin's room walking over Clara's zoned out body Sophie started to feel even worse. The idea of disappointing her mum and Dad, even Lizzie was the worst feeling she had ever felt. It was all for a good reason, Sophie thought to herself. Nobody will ever believe me though was instantaneously her next thought. Can Clara and Yasmin help me out? Sophie had no idea how they could. They would be defending the indefensible and would surely go down with Sophie. Eventually, Sophie sat herself down at the desk in Yasmin's bedroom and, having calmed herself down as much as she could and done some soul-searching, came to the only conclusion that she could. She was simply going to have to face whatever punishment was thrown at her. As she had done previously, she would have to hope her reputation as a good girl would help her out. 
although Mrs Phoenix had very little experience of that, so Sophie would be banking on Mrs Jones, who knew Sophie and saw her as the good girl she needed to be right now. Also, hopefully, as it was the final day before half-term, most of it would be forgotten about by the time they all came back. This was the only silver lining Sophie could think of. After a few more seconds to compose herself, Sophie lay back down in Yasmin's bedroom and zoned back into school. The only thought that relaxed Sophie even slightly was that the mission she had been given had now been completed and that, by now, Desmerelda would be face to face with Miss Sissons. Chapter 18. A Blur It's true, there are worst crimes that a ten-year-old could commit at school, but to Sophie, this was huge. She zoned into the girls' toilets and looked at her avatar in the mirror. Even that looked tired, and that was programmed to not change its physical appearance. She tried to splash water on her face, but felt nothing. In a complete daze, she exited the bathroom and made her way down the corridor towards the classroom. Fortunately, she didn't see anyone, but heard some commotion coming from the reception area. Thinking nothing of it, she carried on. Eventually, she reached the classroom. Without hesitating at all, she opened the door and simply walked back towards her seat like nothing had happened. The class were deathly silent and just stared at her, but Sophie was so transfixed that she couldn't feel the heat of their eyes. She just carried on heading towards the chair she had abandoned just ten minutes ago. When she reached it, she picked up her pencil again and simply carried on with the work that she had barely started when Kingsley had walked in. Nobody else moved. The children of Pinkleton Primary were not used to children defying adults and ignoring instructions. This was uncharted territory for everyone, children and adults. It was while she was working that Mrs Phoenix, who had sat amongst the children during Sophie's return as aghast as any of them, made her way towards Sophie. Sophie, however, didn't notice her at all, nor did she feel Yasmin kick her chair to alert her to Mrs Phoenix coming, nor Clara asking Mrs Phoenix a question to distract her from her cousin's arrival back in the room. Sophie didn't look up from the work she was doing. She was completely engrossed in it, as it provided the perfect distraction and return to reality that she needed. A few seconds later, she felt a hand on her shoulder and heard a voice whisper in her ear, I've spoken to Mrs Jones, we will all talk at break time. Sophie heard the sounds and they registered in her ear, but she wasn't listening. Part of her wanted to scream at the top of her voice that she hadn't wanted to defy Mrs Phoenix, but she had to help someone who could be in a huge danger, whereas the other part of her just wanted to work and forget it ever happened. Completely baffled by yet another new feeling, Sophie continued to work in silence until break time, despite the repeated attempts to distract her by Yasmin and Clara, who just wanted to make sure she was OK. After a few minutes of stone-cold silence, the classroom returned to its normal murmur of slight noise. Children returned to work and pencils returned to paper. Sophie, however, just continued to work by herself, free from any potential distraction that the slightest raised noise level would provide. When the lesson finished and everyone was told to put stuff away, Sophie did exactly as she'd been asked and done the most work out of anyone in the class. Books and pencils away, Sophie returned to her seat and Mrs Phoenix dismissed everyone else for break time. Sophie didn't move. She heard a voice that sounded remarkably like Clara's say in her ear, Good luck, we're outside when you want us. But Sophie just shrugged at the sound of it and caught a glimpse of Clara and Yasmin dragging Kingsley out onto the playground. 
when the classroom was emptied and the room had returned to the eerie silence that newly empty classrooms have, Sophie heard the door open and before she knew it, two people sat opposite her at the table. How are you, Sophie? Mrs Jones's voice asked softly. Sophie just stared forwards and didn't reply. We aren't cross. We just want to know why you walked out, the voice came again. Sophie just shrugged. I needed the toilet, she replied, barely above a whisper. You know you can't just walk out. Mrs Phoenix would have to give you permission. Sophie nodded. I know. I'm sorry, she replied, still barely above the quietest whisper. Is there anything you'd like to tell us about things at home? Mrs Jones asked. Sophie's long-distance stare was suddenly refocused on the two adults in front of her. Yes, asked Mrs Jones, knowing that she had found a way into the lost child. I don't think so, Sophie replied in the closest to her normal voice so far. OK, nodded Mrs Jones. Mrs Phoenix was still sitting there with a pencil and paper noting something down. Is everything OK with your mum and dad? Sophie nodded. Dad is at home a lot and mum goes out a lot, she replied. They only have one implant between them now. And how does that make you feel? Mrs Jones asked. Sophie thought for a moment. Scared, she replied, finally meeting Mrs Jones's eye and finally getting the distraction at home to register with herself. Why? Mrs Jones asked. Because we haven't got much money and I don't know where mum is or why she always seems to be poorly, Sophie answered. Mrs Phoenix was still scribbling away. Do you talk to mum and dad about it? was Mrs Jones's next question. Mum isn't in much. She goes out in the evenings and Dad falls asleep in front of the television, Sophie said. Mrs Jones looked at Mrs Phoenix as she continued to write. Who looks after Lizzie? Mrs Jones then asked. Sophie thought for a minute. I put her to bed and give her breakfast, tea and her midnight bottle. Is that what happened this morning? Mrs Jones asked. Yes, Sophie replied. Where was your mum and dad? I think mum was in bed and Dad was getting his own breakfast. He did try and feed Lizzie some toast, but she wouldn't eat it, Sophie replied. How do you feel about that, Sophie? Mrs Jones asked. Tired, Sophie replied, but I love talking to Lizzie and playing with her. Do you put her to bed every night? Mrs Jones continued to question, but smiled at the knowledge that Sophie loved her sister. Yes, almost every night. I cook her tea as well, but I enjoy it. It means I get to talk to someone. You can talk to me, Sophie, if you want. You can tell us anything, but we might not be able to keep it secret. But we will try to always believe you. Mrs Jones smiled the kindest smile Sophie had ever seen her give. The smile prompted Sophie to snap back into reality. There was no way any adult would believe her. She had tried to get people to talk about the old days, but nobody ever would. Years of reading it as stories and old newspapers with her dad were the closest she had ever gotten. Why would anyone be interested now? You wouldn't believe me, Sophie replied with a more aggressive tone. You have no idea. Mrs Jones signalled to Mrs Phoenix to stop writing, implying that the conversation was over. She looked over at Sophie again and changed her tone to one that was slightly firmer as she now knew she had Sophie's full attention again. For what you did, you need to miss the rest of break and all of dinner. Sophie nodded and faked a smile of acknowledgement while Mrs Jones and Mrs Phoenix walked to the corner of the room and had one of those silent chats that teachers have. She then returned to her staring, back into the middle distance, as the problem she was facing returned to the forefront. She remained like it until the children came back in. Sophie was still flitting between daydreaming and reality. 
the red light indicating a new message then started blinking, but Sophie was too transfixed to notice or care. As the rest of the morning went on, Sophie started to spend more time in reality, but still a large proportion daydreaming of Mum, Dad, Lizzie and Changelings. She sailed through English after break, working silently and ignoring those around her, namely Yasmin and Clara, who were still desperate to get her attention. By the time dinner arrived and Sophie was forced to sit in the reception area and eat, she was almost out of the state of shock she had put herself in and was beginning to focus on things a bit better. Once again, she had been naughty and done something she shouldn't have done, but she hadn't, strictly speaking, been told off. I should have been screamed at, she thought to herself. What exactly do I have to do to get told off? It was thoughts like this that dominated her lunchtime. Finally, seeing rather than simply noticing the flashing red light, which had messages from Clara and Yasmin telling her about Desmeralda, Sophie was about to log in and read the new messages when she heard voices behind her. You okay? Clara asked. I think so, replied Sophie, and Clara noticed she was slightly less out of it than she had been. Have you been in loads of trouble? asked Yasmin. No, they were both nice and just wanted to chat, replied Sophie again. Well, Miss Sisson said that Desmeralda made it to scope and that they were sitting around talking, said Clara. That's all because of you. Can't tell Mrs Jones or Mrs Phoenix that though, can we? said Sophie jokingly. Clara and Yasmin both smiled and shook their heads. Then Sophie remembered what she had seen when she reached the school gates in her pursuit of Desmeralda, the group of changelings and other creatures that were roaming the village. I think she's in danger, Sophie said, looking at them with emotion in her eyes that hadn't been seen since the first thing that morning. Why? Clara asked. Before Sophie could reply, a voice echoed from the other end of reception. Girls, can you please go outside? It was Mrs Phoenix. She has to stay in by herself. Changelings were chasing after her in the village, but she didn't know, Sophie said unbelievably quickly. Clara and Yasmin both pulled faces that resembled, are you serious, before being chaperoned out of the door onto the playground by a dinner-eating Mrs Phoenix. Sophie quickly logged into her messages while no one was looking and typed out, they were searching the village while I was looking for her. If they find her at home while she's zoned out and talking to Miss Sissons, I don't know where she might end up. Once again, the drama of what Sophie had done at school was cancelled out by the danger of what was happening in the real world. Chapter 19. Isolated. As dinner time drew to a close, Sophie was still sitting in reception staring blankly into space. She was beginning to come to terms with what she had done and was at least now speaking in sentences that made sense. However, now she found herself completely and utterly alone. Yasmin and Clara were outside on the playground and no teachers were passing her. Longing to zone into scope to see how Miss Sissons and Desmeralda were getting on, she scanned around her to see what she could see. As she craned her body round to see what was behind her, a shrill voice echoed up from behind the reception desk. Don't turn around, Hardy. You aren't supposed to be moving. Sophie knew who it was without needing to finish her turn. It was Mrs Tabard. Friday was the one day of the week now when she didn't have to supervise the dinner ladies or make sure none of the smaller children had dropped food all over the dining room floor. Sorry, Mrs Tabard, Sophie said timidly. Is it right that you walked out of class? The voice asked again. Sophie nodded and felt awful again. Not like you, is it? Sophie continued to feel worse. A red light appeared in the corner of her eye to tell her that she again had a new message. 
Who or what could it have been this time? All the others had been Clara, Yasmin and Miss Sissons saying that Desmeralda had arrived. Sophie rested her head on her hand and planned to read the message undetected. Mrs Tabard had other ideas though. Sit up straight, she screeched. The office door opened and Mrs Tabard walked round and sat opposite Sophie, completely blowing any chance Sophie had of reading the message. What possessed you, Sophie? Mrs Tabard asked. You don't do things like that. There it was again. That unwanted assumption that because Sophie was seen as a good girl, she wasn't capable of doing something spontaneous and perceived by some as naughty. Sophie just shrugged her shoulders. She couldn't exactly tell the truth that she was helping the world's most powerful changeling, who didn't realise they were a changeling, get to see the woman who had locked her up in a prison full of villains for ten years to protect her from the rest of the changeling kind. Oh, and the woman in question just happened to be the old year six teacher and the parent of the new boy that Sophie had punched in the face earlier that week. Oh, okay, Mrs Tabard said in reply to the shrug completely unaware of what exactly was at stake. It felt like Mrs Tabard was sitting in front of Sophie deliberately to stall her and Sophie started getting more and more frustrated by her presence the longer she stayed there. With a mere five minutes of lunchtime left, Mrs Jones emerged out of the staff room and sat down next to Mrs Tabard, opposite Sophie. How are you feeling, Sophie? She asked her with a soft and gentle tone. Sophie just shrugged again, still annoyed by the unwanted appearance of Mrs Tabard and thus appearing to show no remorse for what she had done, whereas, actually, she was feeling quite apologetic a few seconds before. OK, Mrs Jones began. I think you need to spend the afternoon in my class then. Sophie looked horrified. No, she said in an extremely harsh-sounding tone. I beg your pardon? Mrs Tabard couldn't quite believe what she had heard. Mrs Jones ushered Mrs Tabard away so that she could talk to Sophie a bit more privately. I know it's tough, Sophie, but I can't send you back into class when you haven't even apologised properly for what you have done. I would like to keep an eye on you. But, Sophie began, she wanted to say that she had a really important message that simply couldn't wait and that the fate of millions of children might be at risk if she didn't open it. But what would be the point? Mrs Jones would think she was even more out of it than she already did. No but, Sophie, you're spending the afternoon with me, Mrs Jones concluded. Sophie had to think on her feet now. Someone was desperate to talk to her and she had to think of a way to work out how. There was only one way she could think of instantly. Can I go to the toilet before I come to your class then, please? She asked in the tone of a voice that Mrs Jones recognised as Sophie's mature, well-behaved tone, the good girl as it was. Of course she can. I will go and fetch my class and I will see you in the classroom. Mrs Jones replied. Sophie wanted to sprint down the corridor to the toilet but thought better of it. She rounded the corner and locked the door behind her but before she could lock it she instantly realised that she could just in fact zone onto the playground and talk to Yasmin and Clara and subsequently zone back into the toilet as long as none of the adults saw her. Thinking that her situation couldn't get much worse, she thought, what the heck, and zoned into the corner of the playground where she scoured through all the children for Clara and Yasmin. Knowing where Clara and Yasmin normally hung out at dinner time, Sophie was dismayed to see that there was no sign of them. Panicked, she opened up the message that was still blinking in her eye. It was from Clara. Get to scope, now. Without a second thought, Sophie zoned out and back in again to the control room at scope. What faced her was carnage. There were chairs everywhere, computer screens were smashed, 
tables broken, and in the far corner, three figures were standing looking at the damage that had been done. What happened? Sophie asked Miss Sissons, Clara and Yasmin, flabbergasted. Chapter 20. Two hours earlier. Desmeralda took the small white ball off Sophie and began to run home as fast as she could. For the first time in ten long years, she was about to get answers. As she flung open the front door and dashed inside, a tingle of nervous excitement came over her. As it did so, a blast of power ran through her body and again something flashed through her memory. She shook herself to try and calm down, but she was all over the place. Again, memories that she didn't need right now arrived in her head. She shut them off immediately. Looking down at her hands, she saw the blue electricity pulsating through her veins. Breathing deeply, she sat down on the chair in the living room and placed what appeared to be the object that she had heard so much about over the last few weeks on the side of her head. Having read and seen so much about this revolutionary internet implant over the past few weeks, she was expecting something a bit more dramatic to happen when she put it on. Nothing did, so she removed the implant from the side of her head. As she did so, another memory, different to the others, flashed through her mind. The woman she knew as Jane standing in a long room filled with computer screens and tall stairs. What was that? she thought to herself. She stared down at the implant in her hand and put it to the side of her head again. To the Desmerelda in the chair, nothing happened. But to the copy of Desmerelda that was now facing Jane again in the long room, emotions were running extremely high. From Jane's point of view, Desmerelda stayed slightly longer this time. She seemed to scan her surroundings a little more, still clearly unsure of what was happening. Then she disappeared again in the blink of an eye. Miss Sissons realised that Desmerelda must have no idea what was going on as Sophie couldn't have explained very well due to her haste, so she tracked the location of the implant and zoned in on it. Desmerelda was still sitting in the chair at home, completely unsure of what was happening. As she sat there, Jane appeared in the corner of her tiny living room. Alarmed at having a strange woman appear in her house, Desmerelda hunched her legs up on the chair and curled herself up to alleviate the shock. Jane just looked at her, smiled and knelt next to her. She was clearly still distressed. Hi, Jane said. Desmerelda didn't reply, but the blue in her veins started to shine through again as the emotion of the moment started to get away from her. Flashes of something happening in Zapvor from years ago, something important, ran through her mind. She put her hand to her eyes to shut it out. Stick it on the side of your head and we can talk in a safe place, Jane said. Calming slightly, Desmerelda nodded and managed to get out the statement. But I just stay here. I know, Jane nodded. You're being split into two. There is a real you here and the projection of you in my, let's call it my safe place. Then there's the real you that stays here. Your memories then marry up when you sign out. It's a bit disorientating, but you'll get used to it. Gradually finding her confidence, Desmerelda began to ask more questions. Why do I need to be in two places? Because they're coming for you, Jane replied, and we need to sort this situation as soon as possible and this is the best way I can think of to do it. Who are coming? Desmerelda asked. The changelings, and we think they want to use you as a weapon against all the children on Earth. Me? But why? Desmerelda asked, getting more despondent. Just put the implant on and project yourself. 
The you in the house will need to run if you hear anything unusual and the you that comes with me will learn what it needs to. Jane was beginning to rush. Why do they want to use me as a weapon? What for? There was so much for Desmerelda to take in that she was just throwing questions at Jane. Just come with me and run if you need to, Jane concluded and zoned out of the house. Thinking she had nothing to lose and lots of answers to gain, Desmerelda did so and found herself once again in the large room. The Desmerelda that stayed stood up from the chair and looked out of the window. There was nothing, but that didn't stop her from pacing, all the while trying to stay calm. Face to face with the woman from ten long years ago, Desmerelda had practised what she was going to say and ask a million times, but she found herself speechless. Jane walked forwards and offered her a chair, which she took. You told me ten years ago that I might start to show some changeling traits, didn't you? she asked. Jane nodded. Yes. That wasn't the whole truth, was it? Jane shook her head. No, it wasn't. What am I? Desmerelda asked, feeling like she was about to well up. You're a hybrid, a half-changeling, Jane began to explain. Your mum was a full changeling, and your dad, well, we have no clue who he is or was. He must have been human. Who is we? Desmerelda asked. Experts from a long time ago who have long since gone, Jane replied in a very sombre tone which to Desmerelda told her that Jane missed them and so she didn't pry any further. I remember changelings from when I was little, Desmerelda then said. They were evil creatures who stole children. Yes, and you're the key to stopping them from coming again and taking even more. Since you got out six weeks ago, they've been tracking you and trying to take you to do something. We don't know what, but it must be to do with the children here on Earth. Jane realised she needed to slow down as Desmerelda was having to take an awful lot in. But why me? You're unique. You give them a link to every human on the planet. Before, they would only be able to pick on children they have been in direct contact with. You being half-human means they have a link to the entire human race. You're the key to the ultimate door for them. They could potentially send children or adults to the underworld through a doorway that only you can create without being anywhere near them using your telepathic capabilities. What capabilities? Desmerelda asked. I haven't got anything like that. Jane looked at her, which prompted her to do some soul-searching. The energy and the memories within me... They're changeling, aren't they? All these things that flash through my head when I'm emotional and then I forget when I try to think about them later. They're what happened to my changeling side, she asked. Jane just nodded. But there was never anything there all the time I was growing up, Desmerelda appealed. It was always there. It just needed awakening, Jane replied. But they tried to take Kingsley from me when he was just a baby. Desmerelda was panicking now, making leaps in judgment that she'd never realised before. There was nobody there that night, Jane replied. What? Desmerelda asked, not quite believing what she was hearing. I saw her. She was hideous and deformed and tried to take him away. Jane looked at her and shook her head once more. That was you. That was the changeling in you waking up. I would never hurt Kingsley. He was and is everything to me. I know, but that high emotion and love that you felt for him that night were what woke up the changeling inside you. I had to get you out of there before you could hurt him, Jane explained. Tears made their way into Desmerelda's eyes. All her life was starting to make sense. 
seeing and communicating with Kingsley whilst in the prison, it was all the changeling part of her leaping for him and her love for him was so strong that it transcended the pulse that had been dampening every other mythical creature's powers. Why did you put me in that horrible place? Desmerelda asked. It was the safest place for you in Kingsley, Jane replied. Desmerelda looked at her doubtfully. For ten years? You couldn't let me out or explain this to me for ten years? The look of upset that was on her face suddenly transferred onto Jane's and Desmerelda didn't like what she saw one bit. You weren't meant to stay there, Jane said, very apprehensively. What do you mean? Desmerelda asked, almost knowing that she wasn't going to like the answer. You were only supposed to be there for a few days, a week at the most, Jane said, looking down at the floor. So why was I there for ten years? Desmerelda was getting cross at the vagueness Jane was presenting. Something happened. Everyone just vanished. The people who were supposed to be looking after you just vanished and never came back. Desmerelda tilted her head and quite angrily replied, But you're still here. You could have got me out. Why didn't you? Jane just shook her head. I'm so sorry. Desmerelda didn't need anything else and launched into a tirade. You made me miss out on my son growing up. He was passed from family to family with nobody able to look after him. He was an outcast who had no friends and nothing good in his life because I was stuck in there. Jane nodded and just kept trying to say how sorry she was. Desmerelda's emotions, however, were burning up, but the implant was making her powers redundant. No implant on earth should be able to channel a changeling's powers in an avatar. As a result, she carried on. All those years, I was stuck in there with the freaks and the evils of the world. I could have learnt to control this and looked after him, couldn't I? A livid Desmerelda was now screaming at the mortified Jane. Jane just nodded. She couldn't bear to hide the truth from her any more. Desmerelda stood up and pushed her dreadlocks off her face, whereas Jane stayed seated and tried to calm herself. The guilt was destroying her. We have to take care of you, Jane said, trying desperately to keep Desmerelda on side. Desmerelda punched the table, which made Jane jump. She hit it again and again and again, all the time shrieking with uncontrollable pain. You! You can't take care of me! She screamed at her. You tried that once, and look what happened. I lost my boy! Jane stood up and turned away from Desmerelda, knocking over her chair in the process. She looked at the time and saw that it was 11.58. They had been talking for ages. She quickly decided that this meeting was not going to get any better and sent a message to Clara, Yasmin and Sophie that they should get to Desmerelda's house, now that they knew where it was, at dinner time, as they were the only children on earth that couldn't be harmed by her because of their avatars. Turning back to Desmerelda, Jane found her punching tables, smashing screens and throwing things about the room. She looked at the blue in her skin. Even though she was just an avatar, the changeling power was beginning to fester, even though it shouldn't have been possible for a mythical to use powers through an avatar. And this time, it didn't look like anything could calm her down. Desmerelda, please, Jane pleaded, getting seriously concerned that for some reason, the changeling powers were somehow manifesting in an avatar. Desmerelda stopped what she was doing and just glared at her. You can't take care of me or my son, she said in an eerily confident tone. It's up to me to look after us both. Dangers are coming for this world that you can't begin to imagine. Jane saw the change in her. The tears had dried 
and the anger was manifesting itself in a much calmer, assured tone. Something had changed her. In the panic, Jane tried to understand the final part of that sentence. But before she could utter another word, Desmerelda took the implant off the side of her head and disappeared. Jane quickly zoned into her house and found herself again in her living room, looking at the chair where she had been a little while earlier. In front of her, the chair was now empty. She ran through the house and towards the front door. As she did, she heard a scream. She picked up the pace, forgetting she could just zone to the front door if she wanted to. Arriving there, she found Clara and Yasmin both rolling on the pavement outside, having been thrown to the floor. In between them stood a creature, which vaguely resembled a woman. Her veins with ice blue and her hair had turned to a snake-like green, even darker than the green her skin had turned. The changeling turned her head and half looked at the woman she had known as Jane for ten long years. Clara and Yasmin did their best to sit up. Ten years and a chance to raise my son you cost me. Now all humans on earth will miss out on a chance to raise theirs. She's coming. Desmerelda said, embracing her changeling form as the transformation was complete. Miss Sissons looked up the road and saw an army of green hooded hags heading towards the four of them. Clara and Yasmin suddenly realised what was happening and zoned in behind Miss Sissons. As the women arrived at Desmerelda, they knelt on the floor as if greeting a god. One by one, Desmerelda walked through them and touched their heads. As she did so, a portal appeared around them and they disappeared. Touching the head of the last woman, Desmerelda herself disappeared with them and all the quiet and calm of the short road in Pinkleton returned to how it should have been. Clara, Yasmin and Miss Sissons had no choice. They zoned back into scope and Clara sent a message to Sophie. Chapter 21. Now. Get back to school, Miss Sissons said to the three of them. We can't do anything yet. What? Yasmin asked, incredulous. We can't go back to school, Clara added. Every child on the planet is about to be wiped out into the underworld. Miss Sissons thought about this for a moment, but didn't voice the fact that she wasn't sure that was entirely accurate, having heard that more threats were coming. What did Desmerelda mean by that? Taking in the retelling of events that Sophie had just been given, she studied the options carefully and came to the only logical conclusion she could think of. OK, we go back to school, Sophie replied. Yasmin and Clara both turned on the spot and stared at her. Are you serious? they both asked. Sophie nodded and the two became even more bemused. We have a job to do, Clara started to rant. And going back to school is the best way to do it, Sophie interrupted. What makes you say that? Yasmin asked, suspecting that Sophie had more up her sleeve than just running away. We have no way of tracking or finding Desmerelda, do we, Miss Sissons? Sophie asked, knowing already what the answer was going to be. Miss Sissons tilted her head to the side briefly, but then smiled as she realised Sophie was on her wavelength. There is only one possible place we know she will try and go to, Sophie then added. School, Clara started to say, to see Kingsley. Sophie smiled as the penny dropped with her two best friends. We have to stay with Kingsley and eventually, somehow, she will show up. Then what? Yasmin asked. Sophie looked at Miss Sissons. How did you stop changelings in the past? Most agents just shot them, Miss Sissons replied flippantly. The three girls looked at her like she was the child in the room and they were the more mature ones, which, based on her last comment, wasn't far from the truth. Not anymore we don't. What else have we got? 
Sophie replied hastily, with Clara and Yasmin agreeing with her. Miss Sissons thought for a moment. Either she goes back to the underworld, leaving this planet in peace, meaning she cannot come back, or you have to convince the changeling side of her to allow her human half to control her body, for want of a better phrase, I'm guessing. How do you know that? Yasmin asked. This is the first hybrid you've dealt with. Makes sense, doesn't it? Desmeralda has two sides to her. Most changelings only have one that completely takes over. Desmeralda should still be in there. You just have to get her out, and you have the perfect thing to do that with. Kingsley, Miss Sissons elaborated. Sophie, Clara and Yasmin shrugged at each other. They were all three unsure that what Miss Sissons was saying was accurate, but they had nothing else to go with. They were in uncharted territory here. No agent had dealt with this before, so nothing they could read or find out about could help. Without a second further thought, the three of them zoned out of scope and ended up on the school playground ready for the end of dinner time, determined to stick to Kingsley like glue. Sophie had completely forgotten that she wasn't supposed to be out there and was just on a toilet break before going into Mrs Jones's class for the afternoon, but right now that didn't matter. If Mrs Jones was to ask Sophie why she was outside, Sophie would simply say she was going to line up with Year 3 on the playground and explain that she had misheard Mrs Jones's instructions. This lie was tiny compared to the others she'd been telling recently, and with all the practice she'd been getting, it would be really easy to pull off. Scanning the playground, it didn't take the three of them long to realise where Kingsley was. Every child had gathered in a huddle in the far corner and was all surrounding something. Sophie, Clara and Yasmin all hurtled over to see what it was. They tried to fight their way to the front to get a better view, but, understandably, no child wanted to give up their vantage point. Screams echoed from the epicentre of the herd and bolts of blue kept shooting up into the sky. Straight away, the three girls knew must have been in the middle. Sophie and Clara quickly gave Yasmin a leg up to see over the top of everyone else. Yasmin could see straight away that the trio were correct in their presumptions and, as she was lowered down again, she described what she could see. He's rolling around in agony. Something is hurting him, she said hurriedly. Clara got on to Miss Sissons. What could it be? she asked. Sophie thought she knew already. Whenever Kingsley's mum started to turn into the changeling or tried to talk telepathically to him, it hurt his head and he couldn't focus on anything. Now that she'd gone full-blown changeling, it must be blowing his mind, she suggested. Exactly what I was going to say, Miss Sissons replied, the girls not knowing if that was true or not. How can we help him? He's frightening some of the younger children, Yasmin added, looking at some of the foundation children who were now in tears. As she said this, though, all the teachers emerged from the school building and charged down onto the playground. As they hurried towards Kingsley, children scattered to one side or the other, out of the way of the adults. More of Kingsley's blue bolts of electricity shot out of his body into the sky, and it occurred to the three girls that if anyone was caught in the crossfire, goodness knows what would happen to them. Where are the dinner ladies? Mrs Jones, who was first on the scene, asked some of the other year sixes. It had not occurred to Sophie where the dinner time adults were. They got hit by the bolts, Kieran Miller replied. They just vanished. We need to stop him before he hurts anyone else, Clara decided. How? Yasmin asked. Won't putting an implant on him zone him out and make him unconscious? Sophie asked anyone that would listen. If I program the login details correctly, Miss Sisson said, it's never been tried on a mythical creature before, but who knows? Come and get one, Miss Sisson's instructed. Sophie instantly zoned back into scope, 
snatched an implant from Miss Sisson's hand and zoned back onto the playground. In the time she was gone, though, Mrs Phoenix had formed a sort of one-woman perimeter around Kingsley with her back to the children and didn't look like she was about to let anyone through. By now, all the rest of the teachers had lined up the other children and were leading them inside. Miss Chorley was taking Mrs Jones's class and Mrs Tabard, who had been cleaning up the dining room following the disappearance of the dinner ladies, was taking year six. Sophie, Clara and Yasmin, meanwhile, hadn't moved a muscle. They were still watching Kingsley roll around, waiting for the right moment to offer their help. Kingsley let out a scream after scream. More and more bolts of blue power shot out of him and Sophie, Clara and Yasmin heard more screams from the younger children as they couldn't help but look as they left the playground. As the last child made their way up the stairs, Sophie stepped forward and stood next to Mrs Phoenix. "'What are you still doing here?' Mrs Phoenix snapped. Kneeling next to Kingsley, Mrs Jones looked up. "'Sophie, you need to get inside. It isn't safe here.' Sophie took a deep breath. What she was about to do was going to change everything. It was going to bring about more questions than she could think of, but helping Kingsley and the two teachers was far more important than that. This wasn't going to be a lie. This was the good, helpful girl who the teachers knew and respected. It's just she was doing something unorthodox that the good might not be seen straight away. I can help, she said, quite matter-of-factly, and opened up her hand to reveal the implant. Where did you get that? Mrs Jones asked, briefly looking at what Sophie was offering. It doesn't matter. Miss, it can help, Sophie replied. Mrs Phoenix looked at Mrs Jones and they both shrugged their shoulders. They had nothing better. An ambulance had been called, but neither of them had seen anything like this for about ten years, so doubted whether the paramedics could do much. Sophie stepped forward and knelt on the opposite side of Kingsley to Mrs Jones, while Mrs Phoenix stood in front of Clara and Yasmin, arms out to ironically try and protect them. Sophie turned Kingsley's head so that he was looking at her. His eyes and skin had gone completely electric blue and bolts were still flying sporadically out of his hands. Looking at him carefully, Sophie seemed to think, as she looked him in the eye, that Kingsley knew who she was. He tried to roll his body over and as he did so, his hands reached out to touch Sophie's. Sophie leant over to him and behind his ear placed the temporary implant. A final blast of electric blue shot out from Kingsley's hand as it grazed against Sophie's. The bolt, though, travelled straight through Sophie as she was still in her avatar and off behind her. Sophie breathed a huge sigh of relief. Yasmin screamed in what Sophie assumed was relief and Kingsley's skin colour returned to normal. Nobody moved. Sophie continued to look at Kingsley as he continued to be zoned out. She initially wondered where his avatar was but wasn't too worried as she knew Miss Sissons could track him. Then she noticed the eerie silence. Nobody was smiling or relieved. Sophie looked across at Mrs Jones, who was no longer looking at her or Kingsley. She was looking past Sophie towards Clara and Yasmin, where the final energy blast, which had gone through Sophie, had flown off to. Sophie turned around instantly. Standing there were Clara, Yasmin and Kingsley's new avatar. They all looked shocked and frightened. Mrs Phoenix, though, was nowhere to be seen. Chapter 22. We have to go. Everyone just stood there in silence. Sophie stared at her friends, and they stared back. Sophie could also feel the eyes of Mrs Jones burning a hole in the back of her as Kingsley, real Kingsley, lay on the floor unconscious while Avatar Kingsley stood there in front of her. Girls, what's happened? A voice said in Sophie's ear. 
None of them spoke. Kingsley was looking himself up and down, checking to see what exactly it was that had happened, but Sophie took that as he was feeling all right. An implant has just been taken out, or disappeared in your area. Whose was it? Miss Sissons asked, desperately trying to get an answer out of someone. Yasmin covered her mouth to keep in yet another scream, and Clara had her hands on her head, like people do when they're in shock at something. Gradually realising what had happened, Sophie turned back to face Mrs Jones. She wasn't at all perplexed by there being two Kingsleys or focusing on the fact that one of the other teachers had just basically evaporated in front of her. Being the caring leader she was, her focus shifted to the Kingsley that was lying on the floor in need of her help. She was checking him all over for any other sign of injury, but she was doing it in quite a frantic way that got Sophie a bit worried. As a result, Sophie walked round to the other side of Kingsley and knelt next to her whilst Clara, who was in a better state than Yasmin, spoke to Miss Sissons and filled her in. He's OK. He's fine. Mrs Jones was saying to herself over and over as she kept checking Kingsley over and over again. He's breathing and he's not blue. Sophie took on the responsibility of playing adult, put her hand on her shoulder and softly spoke her name. Mrs Jones? At first, Mrs Jones didn't respond. She just kept checking Kingsley, but Sophie tried again. Mrs Jones? She said slightly louder. Mrs Jones looked up at her this time and Sophie could see she was clearly in a state of shock. What happened? She asked, unable to look Sophie in the eye. A changeling got her, like the ones they used to be. Sophie replied, again, altering the truth ever so slightly to protect her and Kingsley. But she couldn't tell if any of this was making any sense to her, as Mrs Jones was still being quite frantic. Well, wh why are there two of him? She blurted out, very abruptly, but with no intention of rudeness or comprehending what it was she was saying. Let us worry about that, Sophie tried to reassure her. She could see that Yasmin had now mellowed slightly and was explaining things to a quite excited Kingsley. Changeling? Mrs Jones was all over the place. The shock was throwing her ability to converse properly. Her mind was all in a muddled order. Yes, a changeling, like you used to get, Sophie said, seeing no point in lying. Mrs Jones nodded. Where, where is it? I, I can't see one. What will we tell the parents? Sophie was about to say that she may as well tell the truth to them, but then Clara interjected. She's sending a car to pick up Kingsley, she said. Scope is the best place for him right now. As long as she doesn't lock him up, Sophie chimed in before Miss Sissons could say anything. Who's getting locked up? Mrs Jones asked, still unaware of the enormity of what just happened. What scope? Sophie helped Mrs Jones to her feet and ushered her towards the stairs back up off the playground and into school before she could comprehend that there was an unconscious Kingsley and an awake Kingsley. Just tell everyone that Kingsley was taken away in an ambulance and that his mum has gone with him, Sophie told her. Mrs Jones was becoming slightly more with it as they made their way towards school. She looked at Sophie properly, but her speech was still slurred. I always said these implants would be trouble, Mrs Jones mumbled, and she took hers off the side of her head. What about you, Sophie? she asked. Making the connection with the implant she'd put on Kingsley, Sophie replied... They haven't exactly been a laugh a minute for me. Let us just do what we need to do. Something bad is coming, and there is only us that can stop it. Sophie was still talking to Mrs Jones like she was a child. It was the only way to get through to her. There had been a few programmes in the playground at Scope that had taught her how to handle someone in shock, and she was channelling every bit of that learning into Mrs Jones.
Mrs Jones nodded, but before Sophie could turn and go, she said to her, We need to talk properly about this, soon. Sophie nodded in agreement and simply mouthed, Thank you, still understanding that Mrs Jones didn't know where she was or had even started to comprehend what had happened. Sophie knew that she needed to offload about what was happening at home and that she'd found the person that would be willing to listen, but that could wait. As a result, Sophie ran back down the steps onto the playground where the three others were now bundling the original Kingsley into a car which had been sent by Miss Sissons. Had Mrs Jones been more with it than she was, she obviously would have stopped them, but to her, the girls were in control and handled everything and to try and stop them now was so far out of her mind that it didn't register. There was a creepy silence about the three girls as they reassured Kingsley that watching himself being bundled into a car was going to seem relatively normal compared to what might be to come. They had just witnessed something horrific. Even a teacher they didn't much care for being spirited away to the underworld would surely be enough to cause them some distress. But they weren't being given time to process it all, yet. They would each need to talk about it soon to help them deal with what had happened. The time for dwelling on it could wait, Sophie thought. They all simply had to move on to the next issue, which was finding Desmeralda before she could inflict untold damage on the children of Earth. Having finished loading real Kingsley into the car and watching it drive off, Sophie turned to the three others and urgently said, Right, we have to go. Where exactly? Kingsley replied. You'll see, Sophie answered, forcing a smile, knowing that Kingsley would be impressed. Now? Yasmin asked. Shouldn't we talk about this first? Later, Sophie and Clara both said they were holding it together better than Yasmin was. Sophie typed out a link and sent it to Kingsley. The four disappeared whilst Mrs Jones stood in the main doorway to school and watched as four more people vanished from her playground. She stumbled up through the door to school and closed it behind her. What was it she had planned for her class to be doing this afternoon? Perhaps she needed to do another assembly to explain and reassure the children about the phenomenon that had taken place on the school grounds for the second time in a few days. Chapter 23. How to track a changeling. In the blink of an eye, Kingsley found himself in a room full of monitors and keyboards and office-style chairs. Next to him were his three new friends and in front of him was a woman with short spiky hair, dark skin, thick glasses and a very striped shirt. Where am I? he blurted out. In a car, about to arrive here, Miss Sissons replied. Sophie took over the explanation as she could see Miss Sissons' misunderstanding. You are in what you would know as Shadow Technologies, the company that produces the internet implant. Kingsley looked briefly impressed, but his next question soon cancelled out the importance of the first. How? I was on the playground then. My head was killing me. We put a temporary implant on you, like they use in hospitals to calm patients down, Sophie added. So your actual self is on its way here for us to protect, Miss Sissons jumped in again. How do those cars even work? Yasmin asked, suddenly realising that it arrived at school within minutes and was about to arrive here once again, barely minutes after leaving school. I programmed them and I have lots all over the area, Miss Sissons began. It's like a taxi firm with an autopilot. There's no time for that explanation now. Clara interrupted. Kingsley, your mum has gone full changeling, which caused your headache, and we need to know where she might go as, to put it bluntly, she's potentially threatening every child on earth. Where do you think she could go? Wow, don't beat about the bush, Yasmin added, aiming it squarely at Clara. 
Kingsley thought for a moment and did his best to take everything in. It was no surprise to him that his mum had turned into a changeling. After all, they had been after them for weeks, but it was with great sadness that he realised that he had no clue where his mum might be. All those weeks of travelling around together meant there was no real special place that the two of them shared. Sophie watched in anticipation of a response, but all she could see in Kingsley was him getting more emotional with a mix of anger and sadness. I don't know, Kingsley said. Sophie could see he was getting frustrated at something. Come on, Kingsley, there must be somewhere, Miss Sisson said, without thinking clearly about what she was saying or how she was saying it. Kingsley couldn't make eye contact with her, but uttered a reply through grimaced teeth. There's nowhere. Sophie stepped in before anyone else could do any more damage. She had seen Kingsley get cross like that close up in the classroom on his first day, and she wasn't about to let that happen again. As a result, she escorted him to the other side of the control room and offered him some alone time to calm down and focus on the problem in hand. Meanwhile, Sophie made her way back to the other three. Clara and Yasmin were already quizzing Miss Sissons on what could be done next. We haven't tracked one particular creature for ten years. We couldn't track Desmerelda this time because she had no implant. Now she's taken off the one Sophie gave her. I don't know what to do, she said flustered. But the last one you tracked is the one we need to track now, Clara said. How did you find her last time? Yasmin asked. Sophie realised where the two were going with this and so added her question as well. How did you and Shadow know to go exactly where you went last time to take Desmerelda before any changelings could? Her mum kept us updated on her whereabouts, she replied, but she would be no help now. Why? asked Sophie. She died three years ago. That's the plan finished before it started then, Clara concluded. Sophie thought hard for a second or two. If all changelings were about to be woken, then would they surely not make the news in some way? Keep your eyes on the news, she said. People are about to start disappearing and we need to know where they are. Then we can find where she's gone and stop her. We don't need to watch the news, Miss Sissons realised. We can keep track using this. We won't track the changelings, we will track the humans disappearing. She ran down the stairs to the table where the girls had stood earlier and looked at the map. Tapping a few buttons, Miss Sissons pulled up the same map that she had shown them earlier, blue with green dots on. Here is, she began, every living person on earth, Yasmin interrupted. Miss Sissons scowled at her for taking her thunder again, but carried on eventually. She pressed a few more buttons at the side of the table and some dots disappeared, but most were still there. So, asked Yasmin, not getting where she was going with it. If anyone disappears, then we will know about it because their light will go out, Miss Sissons finished. Brilliant! Sophie almost jumped up and down with enthusiasm. What do we do now? Yasmin asked. Get back to school, Clara answered. No point getting our parents worried, is there? What about Kingsley? Sophie asked. He can zone into school and nobody will be any the wiser, Clara replied. You will need to zone into Mrs Jones's class though, Soph. Fine, Sophie replied, short-tempered. You'll let us know as soon as you notice anything unusual happening. Clara checked with Miss Sissons, who simply nodded. So every child on earth is potentially about to be wiped out and we're going back to school, Yasmin asked. We always seem to end up at school when something dramatic is about to happen. Clara and Sophie just smiled because Yasmin was inaccurate in her summation. As soon as anything happens, we just zone back to here. Agreed? Clara asked. Agreed, Sophie and Yasmin said almost in unison. What about Kingsley? Might it not be a bit much for him? 
going back to school. He is dealing with a lot right now, and you told Mrs Jones to tell everyone he'd gone off in an ambulance, Clara asked. Kingsley heard this and made his way back over to the group. If this is what I need to do to help my mum, then fine, whatever it takes. I also want to help you. You've been good to me these last few days, and I never asked you to. Thank you. The teacher can just say she made a mistake. Sophie studied him carefully. While she had noticed over the week that Kingsley never really made eye contact with people, she noted at this point that he was actively going out of his way to not look at any of them. So, are we going back to school? Yasmin asked, trying to bring about the end to the rather awkward exchange. Yes, I'll go to Mrs Jones's class. You go to Year 6 and see what happens, Sophie replied. Message us straight away, Clara ordered Miss Sissons, who just nodded again in agreement. The four children smiled at each other and zoned into their destinations. Chapter 24. Split. Sophie zoned into the toilets just outside the Year 3 classroom and went to walk into the room that was hers three years ago. Before even stepping into it, she noticed that every room was empty. A panic started to take over her. Had the changelings already taken everybody? She got on the radio to Miss Sissons but got no answer. Racing round to the Year 6 classroom, where she knew the other three would be, Sophie saw through the window that Clara, Yasmin and Kingsley were also standing in an empty room with panicked expressions all over their faces. Sophie threw open the door to the classroom and went to speak. Before she could do, though, someone walked into the back door of the classroom and stopped her. "'What are you lot doing in here?' Mrs Tabard asked, apparently completely surprised at seeing children in a classroom. "'Why? Where should we be?' Yasmin asked cautiously, trying desperately to not come off as rude or to get them all into trouble because they weren't around when the instructions were given. In the hall with everyone else, Mrs Tabard snapped back. I thought Mrs J was joking when she said to make sure no children have suddenly appeared somewhere else in the school when they should all be in the hall. Sophie noted the careful wording that Mrs Jones had used when instructing Mrs Tabard. Then she breathed a strained sigh of relief and turned to head to the hall. The three others did the same, and with no other rooms left to check, Mrs Tabard followed them. When they had walked through the school and found themselves at the entrance to the hall, Mrs Tabard overtook the four of them and flung the door open, then proceeded to prop the door open with her back and announced to the whole school that she had successfully rounded up a group of stray year sixes who were found conspiring in the classroom. Mrs Jones, who was standing at the front of the hall, leading the second impromptu assembly of the week, said nothing to the four of them, but gave Sophie a look that implied she was more than a little suspicious of her and couldn't wait to question her later. She then looked at Mrs Tabard and gave her a slight scorn for interrupting the assembly mid-flow. Teachers apparently had a strong dislike for that. Sophie, Clara and Yasmin sat down on the benches at the back, but Kingsley was forced to stand at the end as there was no room left on the benches and Mrs Jones kindly recapped what she had said so far. The girls did their best to hunch up, but no room could be made for Kingsley. He didn't mind though. He was just glad he had some people looking out for him and so eventually he perched himself on the floor to avoid standing out too much. So, as I was saying, Mrs Jones wasn't taking her eyes off Sophie. Mrs Phoenix has had to go home ill and as a result, Year 6 will be split for the afternoon. I can cover them for you if you like, Mrs Tabard shouted from her position as door holder opener that she hadn't realised was now redundant. It's OK, Mrs Tabard, Mrs Jones began, still not taking her glare off Sophie, who was now shuffling in her seat and feeling very uncomfortable. We can't ask you to cover again. 
I need to keep an eye on some of them. Sophie realised that last bit was aimed at her and her gang of three others, but the others hadn't seen or heard most of the conversations Sophie had had with Mrs Jones after Mrs Phoenix had been sent away. They might have been a bit more clued in had they had heard it. The whole school then proceeded to listen to which class each of the year sixes could be going into. It was no surprise to Sophie that she, Clara, Yasmin and Kingsley would all be making their way to Mrs Jones's class for the afternoon to be watched by Mrs Jones. Yasmin, however, saw this as a positive. At least we're all together, she whispered down the line to Sophie in the split second that Mrs Jones wasn't looking at them. Sophie just shrugged and wondered how they were supposed to zone out into scope to find the changelings if their absence would be noticed so easily. Mrs Jones then dismissed each class starting from the youngest and the accompanying year sixes. She missed out her class as she wanted to lead them down to the classroom herself. As a result, Sophie, Clara, Yasmin and Kingsley were the last ones to leave the hall. Almost as soon as they had stood up, all four of them got red lights in the corner of their eyes. Miss Sissons was the sender, so they didn't need to read the message as they knew what it was going to say. Sophie looked anyway. It started. Get here. Now. Already? Sophie asked, suddenly feeling rather worried. What do we do now? Yasmin asked, clearly getting nervous as well. We can't all go, Clara replied, slightly calmer. Yas and Kingsley stay, Sophie said, taking control of the situation. I'm in trouble anyway. You can say Clara has gone to another class by accident. If Mrs Jones wants to go and fetch her, let us know and she can come back. Why have I got to stay? Kingsley asked, who for years had been the one getting into trouble for scrapes and arguing with teachers. This girl Sophie was on another level to him though. We're trained to do this, Sophie replied. How many times have you done it? Kingsley asked, straight-faced. None, Yasmin replied, not thinking before she spoke. I'm coming then, Kingsley insisted. If I can't, then I'll just tell the teacher exactly what's going on. Fair enough, said Sophie, deciding it was probably for the best to not call Kingsley's bluff, and the three disappeared, leaving Yasmin all alone at the back of the year three line to face any questions from Mrs Jones when the inevitable happened. Chapter 25. Brace Yourself. Arriving back in the scope control room mere minutes after they had left, Sophie, Clara and Kingsley straight away saw that Miss Sissons was staring at her large map of the world which identified what species were on the planet. I can't tell you what's happening exactly. There just seems to be a large number of mythicals appearing in this area, almost from nowhere, she said, realising the quartet had arrived without even turning around to acknowledge them. My guess is that these are more changelings who had taken on life as human either since Desmerelda was born or since the departure, and they are now returning to their changeling forms. It doesn't explain why there are so many life signs, though. There surely can't be many changelings on the planet. Can you tell if they're all changelings? Clara asked. No, I can see that these are mythicals. See? Miss Sisson said, pointing to the red dots and green dots which showed the contrast between the humans and the mythicals. Are people being sent to the underworld? Sophie asked, confident that she already knew the answer. No, not that I can tell. There doesn't seem to be a vast number of people disappearing, replied Miss Sissons, surprising Sophie. Some changelings are disappearing from where they are, but are reappearing here, she added, pointing at the map. But, as I say, there seems to be an awful lot of them. Miss Sissons zoomed the map in on the UK and then pointed to an area at the Scotland and England border. This is where our kind of changeling originates from, so it makes sense that this is where they would head. 
How are they getting there so quickly? Clara asked. They can transport themselves anywhere they like now that they have their powers back, almost like they have their own teleport or portal, Sophie replied, remembering other conversations she'd had with her dad in years gone by. Like they send people to the underworld, they can portal themselves anywhere they need to on the planet. So they're just sensing a change in the changelings because of Desmerelda's transformation and are answering a call to go there, Clara asked. From what I can tell, but there seems to be more mythicals appearing out of thin air and they too are heading to where the changelings are going. It's most unusual, Miss Sissons replied. You have to get there and stop them. The number of creatures there is increasing rapidly. They must be planning something huge. Send us a link, Sophie ordered. All this time, Kingsley just stood there with Sophie and Clara, attempting to take in as much as he could, but it was getting harder for him the more that happened. You okay, Kingsley? Sophie asked, appreciating that this must be difficult for him, but at the same time needing him to focus on the job in hand, get to his mum. Kingsley just stared forwards as he did. He completely blanked Sophie's question and Sophie couldn't read his face at all. Kingsley? Clara said, slightly more firmly. Kingsley didn't turn to either of them. He just nodded without properly acknowledging. Sophie pulled him to one side. She understood that in the last few days, his life had been turned upside down. If she went back further to the last six weeks, then she could understand that he now must feel like a completely different person to the one who used to be told off in lessons and moved from one foster home to another because he couldn't control his temper. But she had to make sure he was ready and prepared to go up against the changelings, or the random mythicals, and potentially his mum. You sure you're okay? Sophie asked, doing her best to sound as empathetic as possible. I'm just not used to thinking clearly like this, Kingsley replied. All my life, my mum's voice has been there. For years, I didn't know what it was. Then for that short time, I knew. Now it's just gone completely since you put that implant on my head. Sophie nodded. It must be hard. It's difficult for us too. We've never gone up against anything like this in real life before. We've only ever trained for it, so it must be especially daunting for you. Kingsley looked at her and could see she was genuinely nervous like he was, but for not the same reason. What do we need to do? he asked. We've no idea, Sophie replied honestly. We've no clue what to expect when we zone into there, as we don't know what they're planning. Miss Sissons had heard what they were saying and had brought herself and Clara over to join the conversation. All we know is that the hybrid changeling, your mum, could give the changelings unbridled power. They have waited for decades for this, and we don't even know what this is. We have to stop them from doing something catastrophic that could harm all the children on Earth in some way, she said, summing up the situation quite well, but not particularly tactfully. Clara rolled her eyes, and so did Sophie. They could have been that blunt, but thought it wasn't advisable. Thank you, Kingsley replied. I've waited a long time to be accepted, and you've been honest with me every step of the way. Sophie and Clara looked at Miss Sissons, expecting her to acknowledge that Kingsley didn't know that it was her who had taken his mum away from him all those years ago, but Miss Sissons just didn't notice. If we're going to be fully honest, there is one other thing you need to know, Sophie began, fully intending to tell Kingsley the piece of the story he was missing. I know it was you, Kingsley jumped in, now looking at Miss Sissons. Sophie, Clara and Miss Sissons stopped and stared at him. How? Sophie asked. It isn't difficult to work out, Kingsley began. My mum reappears after ten years and one of the first things she wants to do is find some woman called Jane, who I've never heard of, to get answers from her. She then turns out to be some magic lady with an army of children out to save the world. 
Sophie had no clue what to say to this. Kingsley just continued to look at Miss Sissons dead in the eye. I understand why you did it, he said. I've had it incredibly tough, but unless I step it up now, a lot of people are going to have it a lot worse than I ever did. You were trying to prevent this from happening. I've seen the creature my mum can become, and it's scary. We have to stop her, and you were right to do what you did. Sophie and Clara stood there gobsmacked. All of the reactions both of them thought there might be. Kingsley, being this grown up, sensible and pragmatic about it, was not at the top of the list. If there is any chance I can get my mum back though, I have to take it, Kingsley concluded. Miss Sisson said nothing straight away. She simply stepped forward and went to shake Kingsley by the hand. Of course, you will always have a home with us. We would welcome you as the newest member of Scope. Kingsley didn't take the handshake. He just nodded and Miss Sisson stepped back, feeling slightly embarrassed. Suddenly, Sophie and Clara got the flashing red light in the corner of their eye, which could only mean one thing. Yasmin wanted to tell them about Mrs Jones. Clara, she believes you are in another class, but wants to see you after school with your dads. She lent Mrs Tabard her implant to ring them, and Mrs Tabard is now lying in the office enjoying her first internet implant experience, but she said she can't reach either of your dads. Why? Kingsley, she hasn't said anything about you. I think she's more interested in Sophie and Clara, so I think you can relax. Sophie, she thinks you've run off and has contacted your mum and dad as well to see them after school. I've managed to convince her that you are still on the school site, otherwise she'd be calling the police. Typical, Kingsley tutted. The world might be about to end, and nobody notices me. The one time I've done something wrong on purpose, and nobody wants to know. Everyone smiled, and Kingsley felt more like a part of a group than he ever had done in his life. My dad has the implant today, so he will get the message, Sophie explained. My dads will kill me, Clara said, but then thought about her situation. But they haven't got their implant in, so I might have a bit longer before they do. They might not need to kill you if we don't stop the changelings, Miss Sisson surmised. The three children laughed nervously. There was nothing else they could do, being in the amount of trouble they were already in. They would have to worry about how to explain it away later on. For now, the children of the world were at stake. Miss Sisson sent the three of them a link and they all clicked on it, vanishing out of the scope HQ. Chapter 26. Changeling Anonymous. Nanoseconds after clicking on their links, Sophie, Clara and Kingsley were dropped into a wide open field. Dominating the field was a huge, neon blue, oval-shaped beam of light, which Sophie immediately thought to be some kind of doorway or portal. It stood about the size of a house and hovered slightly above the floor. Pulsating beams shook all around it and the occasional flash of blue was emitted out of it. What is that? Clara asked, mouth as wide open as the portal. Sophie didn't, or rather couldn't, answer. Dancing across the sky were more blue blasts like the portal was controlling all around it. The sky shook and the ground trembled as the portal seemed to get angrier and angrier. It dawned on Sophie that it was about 2pm and because they were still in England, it should still be daytime. However, the sky was darker than it had ever been at night. No stars glistened and there was no moon to provide even the slightest hint of brightness. All the light was coming from the portal and that was more eerie to the three children. Sophie felt a tug on her sleeve. It was Clara again, pointing away from the portal at a humongous group of figures gathered in a large cluster, some way away from the dominant light source. In the centre of them was the unmistakable figure of Desmerelda, 
still in her freakish changeling form that Sophie had seen when she'd grabbed her arm on the first day they'd met. Before she could study more carefully, Sophie just managed to keep a shriek in as the loudest clap of thunder she had ever heard in her life reverberated violently all around them. I don't like this, Sophie finally admitted. Clara again pointed at the group of figures, reminding Sophie of what she'd been doing before she jumped out of her skin. Initially, Sophie thought that the group surrounding Desmerelda were all changelings, but on closer inspection, it became clear that there were many other species present. Straight away, it started to remind her of when they'd arrived in Zatvor and saw all of the creatures that she'd read about with her dad over the years. This time, it was different though. There wasn't a menacing air about the group. Sophie couldn't sense any danger or tension about them. The atmosphere was nervous, but almost friendly. No one was out to do anyone any harm, which caught Sophie off guard. It made her want to relax. Then, the enormous portal erupted again. It sent lightning more bolts into the sky and caused the ground to shake. All of a sudden, Sophie was reminded that she shouldn't get pulled into what appeared to be a welcoming atmosphere amongst the newly resurfaced mythicals just in case she misread the whole thing. Kingsley had gone back to not talking much. However, even in these very unfamiliar surroundings, he didn't seem at all phased, just focused. As the three watched on from what they deemed a safe distance, more and more figures began materialising all over the field and started making their way over to the group. There were different creatures of all shapes and sizes. A family of fawns galloped past, accompanied by a changeling who had clearly teleported them there. Two elves, who were holding hands and joking with each other, then walked slowly past the other side of the three children. Behind them was a changeling, who the elves turned and thanked for teleporting them there. "'What is this?' Clara asked. "'I was expecting hundreds of changelings preparing to do battle, not hundreds of everything else, looking nervous.' "'I have no idea,' Sophie replied, still not taking her eyes off the group. "'I don't think this is dangerous,' Kingsley finally spoke." Nor do I, Sophie replied. Until we know what's going on, you're not going to talk to any of them, came Miss Sisson's voice in their ears. But they're all families, Sophie argued, as a group of six hippogriffs, two adults, four children, galloped past towards Desmerelda, also thanking a changeling behind them. There are creatures with very dangerous powers in that group. You are not permitted to talk to them, as who knows what they will try and do to a group of human children, Miss Sissons added. You let us do it in Zatvor. Clara abruptly responded, pointing out the flaw in what Miss Sissons had just said. We were working against the clock then, Miss Sissons argued. If all these creatures are friendly like you say, then there's no rush here. Also, if you alert Desmerelda to your location, then we have no idea what she will do to the planet or all the children on it. For all we know, this is still an attack. Suddenly, an idea hit Sophie and she stopped dead in her tracks. Can't you change our appearance? she asked Miss Sissons remembering that time at Scope when she had turned into her mum and Dale Nathan. That way, we could just stand in and around them and they would have no idea who we were. Well, they won't pick you up anyway, because we've seen that they can't do anything to your avatars. Sophie and Clara tutted and rolled their eyes, as Miss Sissons had just pointed out the obvious. But I suppose it might help. Hold on, Miss Sissons said in their ears. You're going to disguise us as changelings, Clara asked. Brilliant. We're going to look like that, Kingsley asked, pointing at one of the green-hooded monstrosities his mum was talking to, looking decidedly unimpressed. A few seconds later, and Miss Sissons was back on the radio. 
Right, I can't change it fully for long because you need the actual equipment on your actual body and you're in your avatar forms, but I can tweak them a bit. Go for it, Sophie said. The three stood looking at each other and the transformations began. Clara's skin turned green and her nose stuck out. A wart appeared on the tip of her chin and scratches ran down her cheeks. Quite a lot of Kingsley's hair simply vanished and he was left with clumps in random places on his head, coupled with his skin also turning a slightly darker shade of blue than it normally did when he turned changeling and he was as good as unrecognisable. Sophie reached up and touched her own face and head. Her hair had almost completely gone and her face was no longer smooth. It was coated in bobbles and lumps that Sophie assumed were warts similar to Clara's. Annoyingly, they still had their school uniforms on, but they were now all ripped and torn and would certainly have gotten them a telling off from both teachers and parents if they were to set eyes on them. Almost in unison, the three began to giggle, but quickly remembered where they were as the portal let out another eruption and brought them back under control. I can change back afterwards, can't I? Kingsley asked. No idea, replied Clara, without even looking at him. She was still too busy assessing the state of her clothes. Sophie noticed that the number of changelings and other creatures that had been flowing past them had started to drop. She assumed they were all now transformed and were almost all present and correct, as it were. How many is there? she asked Miss Sissons. Knowing Miss Sissons would count up the dots on her scanner, Sophie gave her a second. In the meantime, a figure appeared right in front of them with its back to them. The figure was clearly a changeling as she had random strands of long green hair protruding out of an otherwise bald head. The head itself had cuts and trickles of blood running down it. Before Sophie could analyse any more, the figure span around to look at them and the three of them were greeted with the most revolting yet enthusiastic smile they had ever seen. Teeth were missing. A green tongue flapped around inside the mouth and eyebrows that almost covered the person's eyes. Even the most horrific face that stood in front of them couldn't very well disguise the owner of the smile, though. Yaz? Sophie and Clara both said in unison. Yeah? This is amazing, Yasmin replied, almost pirouetting to get a good look at herself. You're supposed to be at school keeping us out of trouble, Sophie said through what gritted teeth she had left. Mrs Jones has sent me to another class to make sure you're there. I managed to convince her that Sophie had just followed Clara and not that she'd run off somewhere as she thought. I decided it would sound better than the truth. Sophie then noticed that Yasmin could also get away with lying due to her good reputation as well. So what are we doing exactly? Yasmin asked. Trying to get closer to that, Clara replied, pointing at the huge group of creatures that had now gathered. And trying to avoid that. Sophie added, pointing at the portal. Any moment now, that could be filled with human children being spirited away to the underworld, Sophie said, deadly serious. Yasmin turned and let out a little shriek. Well, come on then, we can't stand here talking all day, can we? She said, hastily pulling herself together. Sophie rolled her eyes, but smiled all the same. It was good to have the three of them together in this, as it calmed her slightly and let her know that she wasn't on her own. About ten metres away from the back of the group, the four of them stopped and listened to what Desmerelda was saying. Chapter 27. Listening in. As Sophie got closer, her ears made out words like destruction and doom and disaster, but they became a lot clearer as the four of them stopped and were able to pay closer attention. 
She will bring judgment on those that live on this earth, Desmeralda continued mid-sentence, and Sophie began to feel a bit freaked out. There is no force on this earth that will stop her. Come with us. Desmeralda signalled towards what Sophie recognised as a monociello and anastomy on a makeshift stage. And seek sanctuary, Desmeralda continued. Where will we go? A voice shouted up. Sophie craned to see what it was, but couldn't see over the top of some of the creatures which now surrounded her. There weren't just changelings watching on, there were all sorts of mythical creatures, and in a way, Sophie was loving it. However, something that stood out to Sophie was that a lot of the mythicals didn't look like they'd been struggling for ten years. Most of them didn't look drained, or tired, or dishevelled like she would have expected of someone if they'd lived in pain or isolation for ten years. Quite a lot of them looked fit, healthy and well, all things considered, and that to Sophie didn't add up. Desmeralda looked towards the portal and pointed. Come with us. We will save you. What is she on about? Clara whispered to Sophie without moving her lips. Is she tricking them into going to the underworld? Sophie hypothesised. But all of these creatures know what she is. Why would they listen to her? She's clearly a changeling and they must know where she's going, Clara replied. Why is there a monk and a silent creature up there? Yasmin asked. Miss Sissons explained through their earpieces what they were, as Sophie was still thinking hard. I've no idea what their names are, or who they actually are, she concluded, and Yasmin still felt none the wiser, despite Miss Sissons' best efforts. We can't leave Earth defenceless, another voice shouted. I've lived here all my life. I can't just abandon it. Desmerelda stopped what she was about to say and turned to look at whoever had said it. She beckoned the voice forward. Come forward, she said calmly and welcomingly. Sophie was beyond confused now. The changelings appeared to be organising a rescue, not an attack. Towards the stage walked one of the fawns that had run past them earlier. It had goat legs and a body of a human. Sophie recognised it from some of the stories that her dad had told her. Friend, Desmeralda began, what kind of life have you had here in the last ten years? Sophie could see that the fawn looked a bit worried, but her sympathy was ruined when Clara said through gritted teeth, he looks a bit sheepish. It's a goat, not a sheep. Sophie whispered back, seeing the humour, but really not wanting to laugh, partly because of the situation, but more pressingly, because it wasn't funny. Desmeralda continued before the fawn could say anything. I personally have been locked up and kept away from my family for ten long years. I was kept prisoner in Zapfor for no reason other than I was different. Not entirely true, Clara added. Sophie didn't listen to her. She wanted to know exactly where Desmerelda was going with this. For ten years, I missed my son growing up and spent all my time locked away as what the humans considered to be a monster. Most of the people I got to know were good, innocent creatures, not the monsters that the humans make them out to be. Sophie couldn't decide if she was lying or not. She was obviously telling the truth about the ten years locked away, but the innocent creatures, that couldn't be true. She hoped Miss Sissons would say something in her ear to reassure her, but no such reassurance came. Surely there weren't more innocent creatures in there. The ones that Sophie, Clara and Yasmin had seen last time certainly were scary, but wouldn't anyone be after being forced to live like that for ten years? By now, the fawn looked like he'd forgotten the question, but Desmeralda prompted him. What has it been like for you, friend? Fortunately, my family and I were rescued by the residents of Meliora, he said through almost crying eyes. What or where is Meliora? Clara asked. Nobody knew the answer. 
but with the imminent danger the world is now in, we cannot risk staying there. We're happy to take our chances in the underworld rather than stay here, the fawn concluded, and various other mythicals who must also have come from Meliora cheered in support. Any ideas on this Meliora? Sophie asked, aiming her question at Miss Sissons. No idea, Miss Sissons replied. Desmerelda smiled a sympathetic smile. Come with us, friend. Come to the underworld. We will offer you the life that you deserve. This world as we know it does not have long left. Why not? Yasmin shouted, before cowering down behind the ogre in front of her. She is coming, Desmerelda said, aiming it roughly where the voice had come from. Who? replied another voice. Desmerelda took a second to compose herself. Condonar. Silence descended across the already quiet group. A few gasps were let out, and almost everyone looked on in horror at what they had just heard. The four youngsters all reacted in the same way, though. They all turned to look at each other and just mouthed the word, Who? Get back here, Miss Sisson's voice said in all their ears. Get back here, now. No, Sophie replied. Can you tell us that Shadow never locked up any innocent creatures? No, and now you demand we all come back at the mention of a name? Miss Sissons tried to speak again, but Sophie knew it would just be more begging for them to return, and so cut her off. You want us back, you get in your avatar and come and fetch us. Silence came from Miss Sissons' end for a second before, I, I can't, some of those mythicals will recognise me. You know I can't come. Do we? Sounds to me like you're scared of them. Why don't you disguise yourself as we've done, she retorted. You never leave that building. You're no better than King was. Of all the people Sophie thought she might snap at, all the lying and getting frustrated with, Miss Sissons wasn't at the top of that list, but she wasn't offering anything in the way of help now, and from what the four of them were hearing, she could potentially be lying about a lot of other things as well. There was a loud humming noise in the ears of all four children, which caused each of them to hold their heads briefly. Everything returned to normal just as quickly as it had changed. What was that? Clara asked, aiming it at Miss Sissons. No answer came. Well done, Soph, Yasmin said sarcastically, assuming that Miss Sissons had turned off the radio so that she didn't snap back at Sophie because of her rather rude remarks or because she didn't want to be seen to be snapping. Sophie composed herself and tried to calm down. She would think about apologising to Miss Sissons, but not yet. The whispering that they had spoken in at the start was rapidly getting louder, and if it carried on, the four children would wind up drawing attention to themselves. Do we dare ask who Condonar is? Clara asked, noticing the same thing as Sophie and keeping her voice to little more than a whisper. Sophie shrugged, as did Yasmin. Kingsley just kept on staring at the woman he knew to be his mum. No story Sophie's dad had ever told her contained the name Condonar. It would have stood out in her memory. There was something in the back of her mind, but right at that moment, she couldn't select it. All the creatures seemed to know it, though. As the silent state of shock began to disappear, nervous chattering took over. Desmerelda began to try to compose her crowd by repeatedly lowering her hands. "'We can't just abandon Earth,' came another voice. "'Not when she is coming. They'll be helpless.' "'Yes, they will,' Desmerelda replied, suddenly taking on a much more severe tone. What about their children? came another voice. We can't just leave their young to suffer as well. Desmerelda nodded. Those too young to remember us have no understanding of what the world was like before they were born. The adults don't talk about it. 
They don't know that for years, humans locked up creatures like us, almost treated us so badly that we were forced to live in the shadows. They only see the technology and the glamour that exists in the world now. There were a few seconds where the mythicals all seemed to turn to each other to see what each of them felt. After that, they all shrugged shoulders and couldn't see anything they could disagree with Desmerelda about. What shall we do? came another voice from the crowd. Desmerelda turned and faced the origin of the voice. You go on to the underworld. Seek safety with your family. We will take care of you. We will help to prepare the world for the battle that will lie ahead for the sake of the children. It was at this point that the Monticello and Astomy stepped forward to take a more active role. I lived in Zatvor with Desmerelda. She is true to her word and I would like to show you how strongly I believe in her and prove to you that the underworld is safe and not the terrible place the humans make it out to be, the Monticello said. The mythical seemed to like this idea and so the Monticello and the Astomy stepped forward towards the portal. Desmerelda said nothing but made a gesture implying that the two creatures continued to make their way towards the portal. Without a second's further thought, the two ran at the portal and jumped into it. The crowd gasped as the two creatures disappeared and they turned back to look at Desmerelda. Some even started clapping. You won't hurt the children, a new voice shouted up, clearly impressed by what they had just witnessed. Desmerelda smiled. Hurt them? Of course not. It is our duty to prepare them. We will save who we can and do our best for the others. My changeling sisters and I can use our powers for good, despite what the human adults think, and get the children ready for the battle to come than anything the humans can do. My son will definitely come with me. He has missed out on growing up already enough without even more. So, rest assured, I am saving you, not dooming you. I would not take my son with us if there were dangers ahead, would I? More shuffling and mutters of agreement came from the crowd. Sophie could sense there was a twist in Desmerelda's tail somewhere, but couldn't work out what. "'Where is your son now?' asked the fawn, who was still starstruck, standing next to Desmerelda. Desmerelda bowed her head. "'They have him, the people who locked me up. They took him from me.' She went to wipe a tear away from her eye. "'Well, that isn't true,' Yasmin said, slightly too loudly. Sophie looked at her across the row. "'Isn't it?' she asked. As Sophie thought about it, she could see where Desmerelda was coming from. Looking at it completely from her point of view, what was she actually doing that was wrong? She had been locked up for doing nothing. She had had her son taken away from her and missed out. She had been kept away for ten years, and from the stories Sophie was hearing from the likes of the fawn, there was no life ready and waiting for her out there. She just feared the humans and whoever this Condonal was and wanted to do right by others who had suffered as she had. Is this the changeling's plan? Clara asked. They aren't out to hurt any children or spirit them away. They want to save all the other mythicals from the damage this Condonal will do and help prepare the human race for war while in the underworld. Desmerelda's changeling knew this, but her human side didn't know. Sophie couldn't see how what Clara had just said was wrong. At no point in any of her interactions with Desmerelda had she ever issued any kind of threat to any child. When she'd grabbed her by the arm in the car park, it was all to get to Miss Sissons. At no other point had Desmerelda ever felt dangerous to her. She had just assumed she was dangerous from what the adults had told her because she looked a bit different from the average human. How do you know about Condonal and why haven't you said anything before? Sophie shouted, thinking that asking who exactly she was might just give the four of them away.
Desmeralda turned again to look for the voice. Upon my release from Zatvor, my changelings all over the world have gathered you all here after patrolling streets and rounding up all you mythicals. Even without me, they looked for a solution for all. They tell me of the great sanctuary of Meliora that has kept millions of you safe for ten years. The ones that have come from there tell me that even the world would not be enough to save you from the arrival of Condenar. In my human form, the mythicals would not come near me, but they knew from my brief flashes into Changeling that she was coming. My human form had no memory of any of the conversations I had in Zatvor about her arrival. I was weak and useless. To human me, it was just a story and rumours. What rumours? Yasmin asked, again showing the confidence of a school counsellor. My human form grew to be friends with the husband of Condenar in Zatvor. Esmeralda began. For years he explained how his wife would want revenge on those that entombed him away from her and to make them better and learn from it. As the years went by, he became more and more delirious. My human half stopped listening to him and wrote him off, as humans do. I remember everything, and on my orders, my changelings rallied everyone here that they could find, knowing that the inevitable doom awaits everyone that stays. Condenar will bring fatality and devastation to those who stole her partner and that comes from those who have fled her previously, not just from me. We need to leave before she arrives. This is not our battle and we will not be caught in the crossfire. So an angry lady is coming for the adults because they locked up her husband, Yasmin summarised. Sounds like it, Sophie replied. Turning her radio back on, Sophie asked Miss Sissons what her thoughts were now. Still, no reply came. What is she doing? Clara asked. No idea, but it isn't normal, Sophie replied. It was at that point that the portal to everyone's right let out the most enormous clap of thunder it had done yet. Chapter 28. Not got long. The ground shook, Mythical screamed, and even Desmeralda, who had maintained calm throughout the whole speech and the question she had faced, seemed to be caught off guard. All around the portal, a huge crack had appeared in the ground and the edges of the portal were now shaking violently. It looks like it's breaking, Clara surmised. Sophie couldn't disagree with her, but Clara had spoken loudly enough to make herself heard by the row of ogres in front of her who, upon hearing the opinion of what they considered to be a changeling, began to run straight towards the now quivering oval shape, desperate to escape earth before something terrible befell it. Their lumbering clomps were heard by all around them, and before Desmeralda knew it, nobody was waiting around to listen to what she had to say any more. They all wanted a way out. Seeing the trouble that this was undoubtedly going to cause, Desmeralda disappeared from the centre of the horde and reappeared in front of the disbanded crowd, hovering about six feet in the air in front of the portal. She waved her hands in a circular motion and immediately all the creatures stopped as their path was blocked by a blue beam of fire. The mythicals were not getting out before Desmeralda had said her piece. Nobody leaves until my son is here with me, Desmeralda demanded. Not a soul steps off this world until I know that he is safe. I will not leave here until he is by my side. The three girls all turned to look at Kingsley. By now, they were virtually on their own in the same place they had stood in the crowd. All the mythicals had dashed over to the portal. The four of them would have stood out a mile for their lack of movement had there not been such a panic in the crowd of mythicals. What do we do now? Yasmin asked. Sophie thought hard. 
If they gave Kingsley to Desmerelda, then they would never see him or her ever again, and Earth, according to Desmerelda, would be faced with an oncoming doom that they knew next to nothing about. Stay quiet, and Desmerelda would leave thousands of innocent humans and mythicals on Earth when they didn't want to be, as the chances of her finding Kingsley at scope were slim to none. The answer came to her. Kingsley, do you trust me? Sophie asked, devising something simple, but having nothing else to work with. Kingsley nodded. Stay here. I know it's your mum, and you'll be able to go with her, but not yet, she continued. I don't want to go with that, Kingsley snapped, pointing at the figure hovering in front of the portal, encased in a circle of blue flames, standing menacingly, not letting anyone through. It was kind of understandable why he didn't see Desmerelda as his mum right now. My mum was taken from me ten years ago. That is not my mother. My mother would help in any fight, not run away, and work in the background away from the fighting. She has the powers. Look at her. She would stay and help everyone and anyone that needed it. I just want my mum back. But she clearly cares for you and loves you. Look what she's doing to help you, Yasmin butted in. She's willing to risk all these others just to save you. Kingsley shook his head. What are you planning on doing? Clara asked. Sophie just smiled and shrugged as the basics of a very risky plan continued to form. It wasn't the sort of thing that one of the good girls would try. It was risky and relied on Sophie being believed in a lie she was going to have to tell. But, as she had found out in the last few days, she seemed to be believable even when she was lying. So she thought she would chance it as she had nothing better. The changeling disguises were starting to wear off all four of them and their avatars were returning to their normal selves. Clara messaged Miss Sissons to ask her to reinstall the fake appearance, but there was no response. Once Sophie had completely turned back, she zoned out and zoned her avatar back right in front of the near-desperate crowd, directly under Desmerelda's nose. I know where he is, Sophie said, looking up at Desmerelda from below in an eerily unnerving manner and trying to appear as confident and innocent as she could in the lie she was about to tell. Desmerelda wasn't looking directly beneath her, and so her gaze had to be drawn towards the voice that she heard. She lowered herself from her hover and looked down. Sophie now got a full face-to-face -face view of what Desmerelda had become. Drool hung from the corner of her mouth. Her right shoulder was hunched where the left one fell. Warts and pus dominated her face, and the veins in her forehead looked like they were trying to escape. All the books and talks she had had with her dad over the years couldn't have prepared her for the vile-looking creature that stood in front of her now. As Desmerelda continued to lower, her breath hung in the air and a hand reached out for Sophie, which gripped hold of her hard-like body. You, Desmerelda said. You lied. You haven't got long, have you? Sophie asked, coming across as cocky. Desmerelda seemed to get angry, but then quickly put a lid on the anger. No, if we are going to escape this world, then we have to go soon. We can only hold a portal this size open for so long, and once it closes, it will be impossible to open again without support from both sides. Then you need to listen to me, Sophie replied. I can give you Kingsley. Back in the huddle of three, Kingsley was tempted to shout, but something held him back. He trusted Sophie and wanted to see where she was going with this. Then give him to me, Desmerelda insisted. No, you need to do two things for me, Sophie demanded. Two things and he's yours. Quite taken aback by having such a demand issued to her by a ten-year-old, Desmerelda aimed one of her blue blasts at Sophie, but it just went straight through and hit an ogre that was at the front of the mob behind Sophie. 
Sophie simply shrugged. You can't hurt me, you know that, Sophie said softly. You have no time and no other choice. Let these people through if they want to leave. Let them. Desmerelda let out an angry scream. If she wanted to see Kingsley, then this girl was giving her no other choice. With the little time she had left, there was no decision to be made. Behind Sophie, murmurs of intrigue had broken out and a few mythicals were still in shock at seeing the ogre disappear. The portal hadn't shaken at all since the large cracks in the grounds had appeared a few minutes ago and people wanted to hear what the young human girl had to say. They had never had a human stand up for them before, but here was one, who they had never met, trying to help them. With a heavy heart, Desmerelda circled her arms again and the blue flame disappeared. A few creatures stepped forward and went around Sophie and Esmeralda to jump through the portal, but most stayed behind Sophie. Show me him, Desmeralda insisted. Sophie nodded and pointed back towards her group of friends. Yasmin was waving frantically so that everyone knew where to look. All the mythicals turned to see and then turned back to Desmeralda and Sophie. He's there. Sophie continued in her unbelievably calm manner, but I will make him disappear again if you don't grant my next wish. Desmerelda looked beyond the crowd and caught sight of three children, all in lilac uniforms, and could tell, even from where she was, that one of them was Kingsley, but something fell off about him. However, Desmerelda wrote that off as how desperate she was feeling. What else do you want? a beaten Desmerelda asked. Help us, Sophie replied. If there is some oncoming catastrophe heading for this world then help us. Desmerelda just smiled and shook her head. Little girl, she can't be stopped. She's coming for this planet and everything on it. Nothing will stand in her way of betterment. Just ask any of the aliens here right now. Desmerelda gestured and many aliens who had joined the ranks of mythicals trying to escape simply nodded in agreement with her. There must be something we can do, Sophie said, and for the first time sounded a bit desperate. Your children give you an advantage, Desmerelda said. The way you and your friends have handled yourselves has been something she would love, but won't be expecting. There just aren't enough of you your age to make a difference. Your adults have ruined it. Then help us do something, Sophie asked, almost pleading with Desmerelda. Anything I do to help will have great consequences, Desmerelda said, urging Sophie to see that it wasn't as simple as just helping. Will anyone get hurt? Sophie asked. By my actions, not physically, Desmerelda replied. In the battle to come, more than likely. Then do it, Sophie ordered. Do what you can to help Earth and your son can go with you. Desmerelda took her gaze off Kingsley and looked Sophie square in the eye. Are you sure? There will be some who do not like what I do, but once it is done, there is no going back and you will eventually understand how it will help you in your battle. Sophie appealed to Miss Sissons for advice, but still none came. Where could she have gone? Yasmin and Clara both sent Sophie a message saying to get Desmerelda to do whatever she could to help. Do it, Sophie asked. Desmerelda held out her hands and she was joined by other changelings who formed a huge circle around the portal and the mythicals. Some chanting began and before Sophie could even register what was happening, every single changeling had lifted their heads and blue energy was flying into the sky like it had done out of Kingsley's chests and hands when he was lying on the playground, but this time it seemed to be infinitely more powerful. Sophie watched aghast as the energy hit the sky and shot out in every direction. Blues, pinks and purples danced through the sky. Bolts of electricity shot across the blackness. All the mythicals standing behind Sophie couldn't quite believe what they were seeing. Sophie continued to look on, avid. 
The chanting got louder and the pulses of lightning got more violent. Every single changeling was now glowing blue and their heads were all arched up at the sky and the chanting continued to grow. What's happening? Clara asked anyone who was listening. Yaz, get back to Scope and see if you can use that map to find anything out, Sophie instructed. Immediately, Yasmin disappeared and got onto the radio to tell them what she'd found. Nothing is changing from what I can see, she shouted. Nobody is being spirited away, Sophie asked, very confused. Population is the same, Yasmin replied. What's she doing then? Clara asked. Don't know, but whatever that energy is in the air, it has gone all over the planet and must be doing something, Yasmin concluded. A few seconds later and the sky began to return to the normal, albeit not for that time of day, colour of black. The changelings each lowered their heads and every single one of them had returned to how they had been before Desmerelda had transformed. There were women of all sizes, shapes, ages and colours and each of them let go of the hand of the one next to them. Anything? Sophie asked, aiming her question primarily at Yasmin. Nothing is showing as any different on the implant scanner, she replied. Sophie looked at Desmerelda, who had now returned to her normal human self, clearly having exhausted all her changeling powers for now. What did you do? I helped, replied Desmerelda, who was looking not at Sophie, but over Sophie's shoulder for Kingsley. But, Sophie began, Desmerelda stopped looking for Kingsley and looked Sophie dead in the eye. I trusted you. Now give me my son so that we can leave. I have made a difference for you. I warned you that not many people will like it, but we have done as you instructed. Now, let us go in peace with my son before I do something that nobody will thank you for. Sophie wanted to ask, done what? As she still didn't understand what it was that Desmerelda and the changelings had done, but she decided quite quickly that Desmerelda wasn't going to be messed with again and quickly turned away from her and spoke to Yasmin. How quickly can you get him here? Sophie asked. Not quickly enough, came Yasmin's rather blunt response. I told you, I don't know how these cars work and that portal isn't going to last that long. So what are we going to do? Sophie asked. No idea. You made a promise that you can't keep. You lied to her, Yasmin replied, again, not being very helpful. Sophie beckoned forward Clara and Avatar Kingsley. Cautiously, they stepped forward and the crowd of mythicals parted to two sides to make an aisle for them to walk up. About halfway there, though, the portal became extremely volatile again and all the mythical creatures on either side made a run for it. Every changeling stood either one side or the other of it to make a funnel for the now hurtling mythicals to run up. A few at a time, the creatures leapt through the portal. Clara and Kingsley had no idea where they were ending up, but they began to stagger their way forward and Desmerelda and Sophie ran towards them against the flow of the mad dash. The last of the mythicals which had chosen to stampede overtook Clara and Kingsley, which gave Sophie and Desmerelda a clear run to them. The pair stopped just short of them, and as Desmerelda went to hug Kingsley, he put his hands up to stop her. I'm not coming, he said sharply. Desmerelda looked shocked. What? she asked, not believing what she was hearing. You don't know what you're saying. Come with me. Desmerelda leant forward to take Kingsley by the arm, but he stepped back to avoid her grip. No, he reaffirmed. I have to stay here and help. For the first time, I feel accepted. I love that we finally met, but without you, I can think clearly and be the person I want to be. What will we do once we step through there? We'd survive, Desmerelda replied, a tear already in her eye as she could see that her son's mind wasn't for changing. Will your voice still be in my head if I go through? Kingsley asked, 
thinking he already knew the answer. Desmerelda just nodded. She couldn't lie to the most important person in her life. I have to stay and help here. I have these powers and I have to use them in whatever way I can to help people, Kingsley explained to his heartbroken mother. Sophie went and stood next to Clara, behind Kingsley, to watch Desmerelda's reaction and hope that she bought it all and could see Kingsley's point of view. The last of the mythicals leapt through the portal and the three children, Desmerelda and two lines of changelings were left out in the open as the portal began to flicker into lifelessness. I have to stay, you have to go, Kingsley said, in one last effort to persuade her to leave him. These six weeks have been amazing, but also petrifying. We've been hunted, attacked and moved here, there and everywhere. I need to stay put for now. Can you come and get me when this is all over? Desmerelda shrugged. The reason we have to go now is that the changelings won't open the portal once Condonel has arrived. I can try and convince the occupants of the underworld to fight alongside you, but you will have to be incredible to get them on side. They will probably say that we can come and get you if you beat her, but until then... Desmerelda nodded and the changelings turned towards the portal and started to make their way through it. Before the first one jumped through, Desmerelda raised her hand to get them to stand still. To a woman, they did. What else can you tell us about Condonar? Sophie asked, not wanting to interrupt the emotional moment, but realising she didn't have a choice. Look to the stars and just push yourself to be the best version you can be, Desmerelda replied, not taking her eyes off Kingsley. Clara whispered, is she being deliberately vague? Desmerelda reached out to Kingsley and Kingsley stepped forward. She went to hug him to say goodbye and the girls smiled, knowing they had a great ally in Kingsley in the potential battle that they had coming their way. A tear ran down Kingsley's face and one ran down Desmerelda's, but as the two went to hug, Desmerelda's hand went straight through him. Chapter 29. Not my son. Desmerelda went to hug Kingsley again. Their bodies just passed straight through one another. Desmerelda shot a stare that looked straight into the soul of Sophie. If looks could kill, then Sophie would have been murdered a thousand times. As Sophie looked back at Desmerelda, it took a few split seconds for her to realise exactly what had happened. Kingsley is only in a soft light avatar, she asked Clara, or Yasmin, or anyone that was listening. Yasmin reappeared in the group as there was nothing she could do at Scope. Desmerelda's skin started to fall off, her eyes turned blood red, her nose grew an extra inch and her feet left the ground. As her skin finished falling off and her feet finished raising, Sophie could now see she was staring at the changeling form of Desmerelda from a few minutes ago and this one was truly, truly angry. It didn't speak, it just glided closer towards the three girls and Sophie in the middle of the three was the main focus of its fury. Out of its pocket, it took a small white ball that Sophie recognised as the modified implant from earlier and played about with it in its hand. I trusted you, and you tried to trick me. That is not my son, the changeling said, with such an unbelievable menace that made Sophie want to burst into tears. Before any of them could come up with a response, the changeling turned and headed back to the group of its kind. Every single one of them formed another circle with Desmerelda at the centre. Placing the implant on the side of her head, Desmerelda knelt in the centre and the other changelings walked forwards towards her. Within seconds, the changelings had engulfed her and nothing could be made out because of the huge mountain of bodies that encircled Kingsley's fury-riddled mum. What are they doing? Sophie asked, completely unsure of what to do now and still quivering from the shock of what had just faced her. 
Nothing came from Miss Sissons, nor did an answer come from any of her three friends. Sophie decided instantly to zone back into scope to talk directly to the teachers she had previously held in such high regard, but now had seemingly abandoned them all. Arriving in the control room, Sophie looked around. There was nobody there. Sophie was livid. Where would she go that was more important than this? She looked at the map that had all the dots on and pressed a few buttons so that it showed just the humans all over the world. Millions of them were disappearing. Sophie looked at one of the numbers, human population, six billion and falling. Get back to scope, now. Sophie typed in a message to Clara and Kingsley. Instantaneously, they both appeared. It didn't take long for Clara to study the map and notice what was happening. Where are they all disappearing from? Clara asked, panicking. Mostly poorer countries, Sophie answered, knowing her geography the way she did. But some here? asked Jasmine, filled with worry. Yes, they're spiriting away about a billion people, Sophie said, extremely quickly. She was trying desperately to find something that could stop them, but she had no clue. She was only ten and massively out of her depth. Anything to do with what she did to help earlier? asked Clara. No, nothing had changed in the population, but she definitely did something. Now, though, she's got angry and the numbers are dropping, Yasmin replied, panicking. Is she killing them? Kingsley asked. No, just wiping them from existence, sending them to the underworld, Sophie replied, sounding like she was being sarcastic to him, but not meaning to. She was just incredibly frightened. Where's Miss Sissons? Yasmin asked, now in a blind panic. The other three just stayed quiet as they had no clue where their supposed mentor had gone in their hour of need. Clara had stayed quiet and had studied patterns in who was disappearing until now. It's everyone without an implant, she surmised quite quickly. How? screeched Jasmine's voice as the enormity of the situation hit her. Everyone who hadn't been given an implant was now being wiped from the planet and sent to the underworld because of what the changelings were doing. She said she was going to look after the children. Kingsley stated. Weirdly, he was the calmest of the group now. There are billions of people all over the world that don't have an implant. Whole countries of poorer people, older people in this country, Yasmin waffled uncontrollably. And my... Sophie began, not listening to Yasmin. And both my... Clara interrupted. They might not be gone yet, Kingsley shouted. We might still be able to save some, Sophie yelled back. Almost on cue, the four of them zoned back to the field they had previously left. Sophie ran for the pile of changelings and started throwing them to the side to get to Desmeralda. Clara helped, and so did Yasmin. After much pulling, the three of them reached the centre. The changelings being in the zombie-like state helped immensely, and Sophie immediately pulled the implant off the side of Desmeralda's head. Desmeralda just looked up at her, still in her changeling form, and grinned. Without saying a word, she floated upwards and backwards before disappearing through the portal. All the other changelings came around from their trance-like state and leapt after her. The four children just stood there, again, helpless. Within seconds, the field was empty. The portal fizzled out to nothing and the sky had returned to the blue it should be on an October evening. None of them knew quite what to say and just stood there in a completely stunned silence until Sophie asked, What do we do? I've no idea, Clara replied, completely agog at the thought of what had just happened. Sophie had a sinking feeling in her gut that made her want to throw up, even as her avatar. She knew that either her mum or her dad would have had no implant, but which one? Or they could have been saved in time. Clara hoped against hope that her dads had decided to turn theirs back on in time to answer the call from Mrs Tabard. Yasmin and Kingsley had no such personal concerns, but felt unbelievably empathetic towards their friends. Chapter 30. The End of the Beginning
the four of them regrouped at scope and studied the map again, deciding to give Miss Sissons a few more minutes to reappear before they did anything else. She's done two things that we know of, Yasmin said. She sent countless people without an implant to the underworld, but what's the other? What was her thing to help? No idea, Clara added. I can't sit around waiting for Miss Sissons anymore. I need to find out about my dad's. We have to wait, Sophie insisted. Why? Clara asked, snapping. She's gone. Who knows where? We can't just stand around waiting. Sophie didn't have an answer and couldn't think of anything to change Clara's mind, so she just shrugged at her. Miss Sissons had let the four of them down massively and they didn't have the slightest clue where she had gone or why. According to the map... All the children are still here. She was true to her word on that, Kingsley said, having very quickly worked out how to read the map. So what has she done to help? Yasmin asked. Kingsley shrugged, but Sophie and Clara gave Yasmin nothing because their minds were elsewhere. Seeing the situation for what it was, Yasmin simply said, I'll wait here and see if I can see what she's done for us. You go and make sure your families are OK. I'll help you out, Yas, Kingsley added. It was the first time he called any of them by name, but that went unnoticed by everyone. Sophie and Clara hugged before wishing each other good luck in what they might find, and they both zoned out. Sophie arrived in the hallway of her flat. She could hear the television, so that meant that surely one of her parents had no implant behind the door, or not as it were. It must be Dad, Sophie thought to herself. He's always falling asleep in front of the TV now. She opened the door immediately and sat there was her mum zoned out. Sophie shook her to get her to realise she was standing there. Zoning back into the room, Amelia looked angrily at Sophie. Where have you been? she screamed. I've had to ring Yasmin's mum at work to see where you are. She said she gave you a lift to school this morning and that you were at school, but according to the school, you aren't there. And where's Dad? Sophie panicked, cutting Amelia off and ignoring what she'd just said. Gone to school to talk about you, Amelia snapped back. Your behaviour has been terrible again, apparently. So he's left the implant here with me while he goes and sorts you out. Have you spoken to him? Sophie asked, not wanting to realise that her dad had been sent to the underworld just yet. In the last 20 minutes, have you spoken to him? Tears were filling her eyes and the effort to maintain calm wasn't working. No, I haven't spoken to him. I just need to ring your uncles to tell them that you're safe. I'm guessing Clara is with you. Amelia kept arguing, not beginning to understand Sophie's haste and urgency. Sophie nodded and her bottom lip went completely. Amelia zoned out to ring Clara's dad's and Sophie heard a noise coming from her bedroom. She stepped forward excitedly, hoping her dad was about to emerge. No answer from either of them, Amelia said as she zoned back in. Sophie flung open her bedroom door. Stood there was an 11-year-old girl with blonde, curly hair who was slightly taller than Sophie but looked a lot like Amelia. She was wearing one of Sophie's T-shirts and a pair of Sophie's trousers. Amelia leapt to her feet upon seeing this stranger in her flat. Who are you? Realising that she hadn't seen Lizzie in her playpen in the corner of the living room, Sophie began to panic about her too and whether this stranger in her bedroom was a forgotten changeling who had been employed by Desmeralda to spirit her sister away. What have you done with my sister? Sophie began to say, but as she did so, it hit her how Desmeralda had helped all the children around the world. All those words about children being the strength the earth needed, Desmeralda said they would make a difference if only there were more of them and that she could help in a way that people wouldn't like but would help in the long run. 
Sophie then thought back to what Kingsley had said changelings were capable of, change colours and size of living things and make them older or younger. The girl looked at Sophie and rested her arm on the doorframe. Sophie went to speak as it dawned on her who the girl in front of her was. The girl put up her hand to stop Sophie from speaking, but for a moment looked like she was going to be sick. Well? Amelia screamed, still completely unaware why there was a girl in her house that she had never seen before. The girl recovered from almost being sick and continued to look at Sophie, whose whole world fell apart with the two words the girl finally said. Hi, Sophie. Epilogue 1. Condonar is coming. Suspended about two feet off the cold stone floor, Jane was trying her hardest to shout. Her hands were fastened tight behind her back, but, try as she might to make some noise, nothing came out. Days she had been there, but the only time she had interacted with anyone was when a dark hooded figure gave her some water. Her kidnapper hadn't revealed him or herself yet, but Jane had made out that there was another figure slumped in a chair next to her, not sure, though, if it was dead or alive. Jane had tried to contact him or her, but there was nothing. However, it was so dark that she thought she had done well to even make it out. There was no point in trying to zone out. Her avatar was busy helping the girls take down changelings. She couldn't interrupt them. Her situation was bad, but theirs was worse. She had spent the last six weeks out following a trail that could potentially have led her to the thing she wanted the most, the thing that had been taken from her but she had got herself captured by who knows what and had been unable to free herself. Without warning, the wooden door to the cell opened. In walked a silhouette, carrying something over its shoulder. Jane squinted hard, but was blinded by a temporary light which now filled the room. The mystery individual walked closer and dropped the object on the floor. It was a body, a sleeping body. Quiet, the man said. It was the first time anyone had spoken to her in days, so Jane was glad that at least her ears still worked. She gave herself up. I don't know why. Not seeing the point in arguing and being weirdly glad of the company, Jane tried to nod and a tingling sensation returned to her mouth. I have full control over your implant, the voice said. You can't move unless I allow it. Jane mumbled, What? She wanted to ask how, if she was the real person, this person had managed to do that, but the constraints over her voice prevented her. Bending down, the man lifted the body and pushed it against the same wall that Jane was pinned to. Her eyesight started to return as it adjusted to the new light. Jane looked to her right and could make out the familiar hair and shirt. It was her avatar. What? was again all she could muster, before the tingling became painful. Some alterations I have made, the voice replied. Jane was now sure she knew who the voice belonged to. Why have you got us both here? Jane summoned from deep within her. Her throat started to return to normal. You're trying to find the agents. I can't allow it. Before you start, let me wake her up to see what she's doing here. The unmistakable tone of Alton King replied. I just want to see my husband, Jane retorted. Seeing him would involve releasing all of them, and that cannot happen, King replied, as he played about on a tablet. Jane continued to try to move, but the only thing that would was still just her mouth. There was a stir next to them as the avatar started to wake up. It squirmed against the wall and rolled its head. Clearly, 
King hadn't quite got the full body control he wanted just yet, but had succeeded in bringing the avatar round. It made a murmur, but neither of the two could work out what it was saying. King moved closer. What did it say? Jane asked. Shh! King snapped back, leaning right forward to listen in. Condonar is coming, said the avatar, who five minutes ago was in Scope HQ on the radio, guiding the girls and Kingsley through their ordeal. But upon hearing the warning that had sent shockwaves through the mythical community, she had taken it upon herself to return to her human form to warn those she thought could do something. As soon as it had finished its sentence, it passed out. Both Jane and King stared at each other in horror. Now that her eyes had adjusted fully, Jane could now make out that the figure slumped in the chair was Dale Nathan. He must have been knocked out for the last six weeks since King snatched him, Jane surmised. Wake him up! Jane ordered. No, King snapped back, trying to gather his thoughts. He was rattled, he couldn't think straight, and he didn't take too kindly to his subordinate trying to tell him what to do. If Condonar is coming, then you have to free us both. Only agents can stop her, and even then, they might not be enough. Don't free us, and there won't be a world to keep your company safe from. Jane was getting control of the situation. Still playing with his tablet, King scanned the news and found out what exactly had just happened on Earth. There were all sorts of news stories coming through about strange happenings and disappearances. The girls he had left in charge had clearly failed like he had always worried they would do. His company's reputation was now in jeopardy because of their inability to get the job done. King turned his back on the three prisoners and headed towards the door. Condonar is coming, the mythicals have returned and the children have failed. I need to step back in and take control before everything gets ruined. I will not lose that company, he said. Then he closed the door and Jane, her avatar and Dale Nathan were plunged once again into darkness. Epilogue 2. Somewhere in the Amazon. The Encantado had completely lost track of how long he had been stuck in the ground. It could have been hours or it could have been days. There was no way to tell now. The girl he knew as the one whose parents were looking for her was the one who had tossed him in, having caught him completely unaware. Then, to rub it in that bit more, she had brought her friends, including the one with the dad who had just been offered a job, or was he about to be offered one that would endanger the world? The Encantado was starting to get his times mixed up again due to him being stuck in the pit. Either way, he didn't like that girl and the one who all the mythicals he had encountered knew as Sophie, the one who would save them all if she could find her way to Meliora. It started to rain, and the Encantado huddled down for another tropical storm, with only a few leaves and branches far above him to keep the rain off, and went to dream about those he had lost the last time the child snatchers had roamed the world. He had tried to climb out, but there was no escaping this prison without help. The girl with the lost parents clearly knew how to lay a trap and he had well and truly fallen into this one just like when the man, who also had dark hair like the girl, had caught him trying to reunite with those of whom he dreamt. He curled up in the corner of the pit, closed his eyes and waited for the rain to stop. How has my life ended up like this? he thought to himself. After a few minutes of failing to shelter successfully, the Encantado was caught off guard by the sticks and leaves being moved to one side above him. Someone had made an opening. Someone wanted him to escape. Then, a makeshift wooden ladder made of rope and branches was hurled down to him. 
Someone really wanted him to escape. Not needing to think twice, the Encantado gripped tightly to the bottom rung and started to haul himself up. As he got closer to the edge of the pit, a figure came into view. It was wearing a dark hood and a long cape so its face was concealed, but as he climbed out of the top, the figure removed his hood and an old man with glasses and a bald head was revealed. The Encantado knew the face of this man. He was one of the humans in charge of locking the mythicals up. This was Alton King. The children have failed, King said, to which the Encantado did not reply. They have heard mention of Meliora. I need to get there to prevent catastrophe, but I have never had the means to. How? the Encantado replied. By getting you in there to let me in, King replied. When the time comes, you must open the door. The Encantado nodded like he knew exactly what King was talking about. He knew of Meliora, but not of the door. The occupants of Meliora would be sure to help him. They helped everyone even former occupants of the underworld such as himself and his old acquaintance Lycan. All mythicals were welcomed there, but they had to find you, not the other way around. How do I get in? the Encantado asked. I have long dreamt of going to Meliora to help find my... They will come for you in the next few days, King replied. Then you must go in and be perfect to be accepted. A time will come, though, when new memories will form in your mind... That is the time to open the door, King explained, and the Encantado knew he was holding information back, but didn't want to call his saviour into question. Why do we need to do this? The Encantado then asked. Because we have word that Condonar is coming, and our world needs to be ready, King replied. The Encantado had heard the stories. An angry alien was taking over planets and was seeking revenge on Earth in particular for a heinous crime the world had committed. If life as he knew it was to be protected, then Meliora was where he must go. I will do as you ask, the Encantado replied, the mention of the name Condonar sending nervous shivers down his spine. What will you do? The children have failed and need replacing, King said. With whom? the Encantado asked. I have found one who I believe is perfect for a mission such as this, King said, sounding like he had exhausted every other option. Who is it? the Encantado questioned. Before King disappeared, he looked his newest ally dead in the eye and simply replied, Monita. The Sophie Hardy Saga was written and produced by Emma Dale and narrated and produced by Leona Hall. If you enjoyed it and would like to continue to follow the adventures of Sophie and her friends in coming episodes, then please subscribe through one of the many podcast providers out there. The links for each of these can be found on our website. If you require more information, visit our many social media channels or if you would like to purchase a hard copy of the book, then be sure to check out www.sophiehardysaga.com. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy. Thank you.